One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Welcome to a special two-part series we're calling Comedians on UFOs. One of my biggest inspirations in the world of the weird is John E.L. Tenney. He's been studying UFOs for decades, and something he's said on several interviews always stuck with me when it comes to the questions of life. Are we alone? And what does the anomalous truly represent? Here he is talking about it on the Project Human podcast. In the depth of my own mind, I talk about life and reality and consciousness and the universe as being a game. We're just playing. And when I say game, I don't mean the type of game that we as adults understand games. As adults, we understand games as games having a winner and a loser. I'm talking about games when we're children and we're told to go outside and play. There's no expectation of winning or losing. There's just spinning around in circles until you fall down and laughing and climbing a tree and fashioning a sword out of a stick. You're just having fun. You're just playing. And it really seems to me that that's what this reality is about. It's just having fun. It's just playing. And it's giving you obstacles. And it's giving you challenges. And it's giving you easy rides and slow dives and really high peaks. If you were born on a planet of flat glass, you would beg for a mountain to get in your way. To me, the anomalous, or more specifically, UFO accounts, remind us of a playful world, a humorous world, a species looking for structure and pattern, and constantly being bombarded with both chaos and ridiculousness. And that is most definitely UFOs. It's funny, or at least it can be funny. Many UFO experiences and discourse subjectively is not fun. But when you strip away the government involvement and the dark narratives painted by those who choose fear, you find phenomena that pushes every single boundary we've set for ourselves, in our societies and in our scientific understanding of the world around us. UFOs make us think. They sometimes make us laugh. But most importantly, they make us reflect. And so does comedy. Comedy gives us something we can't readily explain. 
a communal experience full of confusion and raw emotional release. In the end, it makes us more human than ever. So when we're faced with something possibly non-human, we can choose to run away from it or fight it, or we can embrace it and sometimes laugh about it. In this special two-part series, I dig into the archives of Somewhere in the Skies to bring you a collection of interviews I conducted, or was a part of, that involved comedians. And as you'll see, a common thread starts to weave its way through these conversations. Why are comedians drawn to UFOs? How can we use it to both accept and possibly even understand UFO phenomena? In part one, you'll hear from Reese Darby, Kumail Nanjiani, Ashling B, Dave Foley, Steve Berg, and Moshe Kasher. I hope you'll truly listen and try to thread that needle of absurdity we call ufology. And I hope it makes you think. But again, most importantly, I hope it makes you laugh. Reese, thank you so much for joining me today for the very first time on Somewhere in the Skies. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan, for having me. I'm a big fan of your show, Avid Listener. So, uh, yeah, very pleased to be here. Thanks, man. Well, I really appreciate that. I mean, hey, we were supposed to meet up in uh, at Contact in the Desert, That's which was right. supposed to be this summer. But um, such is life. The world has kind of fallen apart. But, um, hey, man, hopefully next year we'll be able to uh, chat in the desert. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, here's hoping. Yeah, here's hoping. I know. I know. It's almost over. I hope. I hope. But um, hey, we're here to talk UFOs. And um, before we even get to that, you know, I want to talk about the podcast, everything you've done um, for for ufology and uh, the paranormal. But um, I have to ask you, I just learned this recently. I did not know this about you. You served in the New Zealand Army. Is this something you're willing to... Uh, talk to us about what got you into that and how did you transition from that to uh to acting yeah sure it's it's an interesting one um see i was very dedicated and still are to a certain degree but certainly in my youth uh to the ways of the military now i was a uh air training corps cadet now the air training corps or atc as we call it in New Zealand, and I believe it's a Commonwealth thing, is uh, basically a unit for kids from the age of about uh, 10 through to uh, 15, 16, that uh, has an emphasis on the Air Force and the ways of the uh, of of flight, but also um, uh, basically takes kids who want to do something like scouts, but it isn't scouts. And it, uh, I, when I discovered that, I signed up immediately because as a kid, I used to watch a lot of war films and I was just into that kind of stuff, uh, the sense of order. Um, by the way, I answer questions usually uh, sort of like it takes me 20 minutes and then I'll spin off into some tangent just to give you a warning. <laughs> you know, this is my improv styles and about 15 minutes in, we'll be talking about something really weird and we'll go, what was that question again? Uh, oh, before, oh, why, why are we here? <laughs> We're already there. We're already there. Uh, but just long, long, long story short, uh, then I then I joined the army cadets, uh, and I um, it was it was a one, once a week thing that my mum would take me to uh, after school, 
and you had a sense of order. You would iron your uniform and you learnt uh, discipline. You would march. You would, uh, you and sometimes you'd go on these camps and do uh, some really good uh, military training with the actual army. You'd do some weapons training. You'd get some adventure. It was a lot of fun. And then uh, I joined the regular force. I went to the regular force cadet school the last year. Uh, it was in existence in New Zealand. Um, it's it, it's uh, it then uh, closed down, uh, not due to lack of interest, but I think it was a a cost issue. It was a it was a million New Zealand dollars to train each each soldier. But I, yeah, so that was that was me. I was fully trained. I was like one of the elite. Uh, went into the actual army from that point, um, and it was a signaller for four years. Uh, and the Royal New Zealand Signals Corps. So as a communications electronics operator, I was also one of the last of the Morse coders. So I learned Morse code, and I used to be able to do it at 40 words per minute, which is essentially... You know, that kind of speed. And I would be writing down in my tent, you know, what these codes were uh, that were coming through and then giving the uh, results to the, the officer that was waiting. I used to drive Land Rovers, put up massive antennas, loved it. But then in that same time, uh, also then started getting interested in girls. I was a, a late, I was a late bloomer, if you will, which is a great thing to have, I think, for a boy. But then I started going, oh, gosh, I'd like to have a girlfriend. And then I started going, oh, am I going to be a soldier for the rest of my life? And then I got into trouble a lot because I've got a wicked sense of humor, as you know, and it's not ideal for the, for the military. So I was. they said to me, uh, my, my commanding officer said, you know, you should you should try something else, maybe go to university. And I always thought, yeah, I always wanted to be a journalist. I always wanted to um, – one of my one of the few skills I have was writing and creative writing. And uh, you you know all about that. Uh, okay. <laughs> and so I thought – well, at least, yeah. <laughs> I'd give that a bash. Uh, so I, I left at that point. But I've never left the love of what it did for me, self-discipline-wise. I still have friends – uh, uh, that were in the army with me during those times. And uh, yeah, it's something that will always stick with me for the rest of my days. Wow. See, it's amazing the different lives we can lead in one lifetime, huh. Reese. I mean, we've all been there. I was an athlete growing up. I, you know, I thought I was going to oh, wow. be a pro baseball player and then UFOs and the theater world took over, man. And the, the rest, I, I don't know if my dad is proud of, you know, the transitions I've made or not. Yet. <laughs> I, that's yet to be seen, but hey, man, I can chat with him a, over a beer about UFOs for hours. So I think oh, I've great. done my job. Yeah, but um, okay. So that's amazing, and now it's kind of come full circle. So now you're like interviewing former Navy pilots and stuff like that. So it's that's again, right. it's all connected somehow. But um, let's talk about um the the origin story. You know, the Peter Parker getting bit by the spider. How did you uh how did you get interested? in the ufo topic and i'm sure you've mm. answered this a million times but um for our listeners who might not know yeah how'd you get interested in all this stuff have you ever had an experience um yeah give it yeah. to us okay so for me uh those people that know me know that i'm definitely a hundred percent creative and with creatives we have an imagination we like to think outside the box we uh don't run by the uh, uh by the mill uh, nine to five mindset. Uh, we wake up in the middle of the night and have ideas and write them down. Still do, always will. Uh, whether they are alien downloads or not, I'm not sure. Uh, but as a kid, 
I uh, and this if you really want to go to the roots of it all, and some people might like this because they might feel they're the same way. I was a mistake. So my family, there was uh, four kids, and then nine years later, I arrived at the wrong end. My parents split up. Uh, I really wasn't supposed to exist, and I've always felt that that kind of um, love of the other and the the unknown and why are we here? Why am I here? And what else is here? What do we not know? And I kind of searched for anything that wasn't supposed to be here as well. And that's where cryptids came in and that's where UFOs and aliens came in. So for me, they kind of made sense to me because I felt like that. I've always felt like that. And so as a kid, I would look through uh, these books on monsters and things, um, the unknown, and I would get excited about it. And for me, it offered uh, an excuse for me being here. Um, it seems weird, but I think some people may be able to relate to that. And I've always had that in my heart going through life. And I've always had an interest in what else is out there that isn't run of the mill. Um, and will we ever solve it? I'll solve why I'm here because it was obviously um, – <laughs> a, a night of passion at some point where you know uh yeah but uh still i i kind of i love the fact that i'm a mistake because i'm always searching for uh something bigger and that's led in a lot of ways to my success um because i'm not going to take anything for granted and sit back and relax I'm 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 always uh, on the adventure. Um, so yeah, in terms of my own personal experiences, um, I would love to say I have seen cryptids, uh, but I haven't. But I have had a feeling of them. Uh, ghosts, unfortunately, which are my least favorite of the paranormal things, <laughs> I have I have had kind of experiences with, and I can go into that a bit later. Um, ufology, I've seen uh, UFOs. Uh, twice, possibly three times, but unfortunately only as I call them astronomical ones, which are up in, mm -hmm. up in space. And that's through looking through night vision goggles and seeing, uh, anomalies, uh, that are moving in a really weird direction at contact in the desert. And prior to that, I've also seen them at Loch Ness, uh, which was a cool place to see them. I've been there three times looking for Nessie. And once I was with, um, we, my wife and I and my, my kids were staying with some hippies next to the lock. And uh, they invited us out to the backyard after this um, very uh, raw, what was that? Raw, not raw meat, raw food uh, diet um, dinner. Oh, kind of, yeah, yeah, something yeah, like yeah. it was it was all put through a, a blender and we had to eat it. Uh, oh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, uh, but it was obviously very good for you. And then yeah. sort of we, after that, um they talked about, oh, yeah, because I was obviously asking about Nessie. And this couple said, um, by the way, the wife, uh, I, I, I could do a bit more research on it right now, but we haven't got time. But I remember using my my memory abilities uh, that she was an ex-supermodel or something like that, or she was an ex-Miss uh, uh, Universe type uh, lady, a, a quite interesting interesting past. The guy, um, I'm not sure, can't remember what his what his deal was. 
But then, you know, you can forgive me there. If she was an ex Miss um, Universe, you know, I probably had my mind more on on what what she was talking about. Uh, but we were, <laughs> next thing I know, we're in the backyard and uh, we're looking up at the stars. You said like the cushions were already there. This is something we do all the time. She said. And we're looking up with the binoculars. My son was there too, my my eldest, and he would have been, gosh, he must have been about six or six or seven then. Um, the little one, I don't think was, I think he would have been um, cuddled up with mum somewhere inside. But we looked up and with the binoculars and we're just looking at the stars. And then she said, just keep an eye, just keep keep looking and you'll see some that, um, lights that move in a, in a weird uh, pattern. And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, well, this could be satellites or anything like that. I'm um, just kept looking. We kept looking. And then all of a sudden into, into the, um, into the binoculars, uh, came, uh, a light that moved in a squiggly fashion and then shot off in a weird direction. And there was no other, uh, excuse for that other than, uh, I said to her, Oh, I think I've seen one. And she said, did it move like this? And I said, yes. And she said, yep, that's, that's them. We see them all the time. And, and then when I saw them again in that same fashion in, uh, contact in the desert last year and the year before, because I've been, I've been twice now. Um, you know, it, it, it made sense to me. And the most exciting one was last year when I, when I put the, uh, night vision goggles up. When you, if you ever get to go to, um, contact in the desert listeners, uh, there's usually some dudes hanging around, uh, either selling or at least just giving people a go with these amazing, very expensive tech uh night vision binocular systems that are really uh, an absolute must if you want to be a um a ufo spotter because these things are fantastic and as soon as i put them up almost like i willed it to happen this thing just came straight into my field of view did it like a almost like if it was a hot rod a, a donut it was like did a little circle and then did a squiggle and then darted out and i'm like okay so that that was not a satellite. That was, that was, and, and, and it happened immediately. And that, that kind of spooked me out a little bit, but unfortunately that has been my only, I haven't seen anything close. I haven't seen, um, you know, and I'm very envious of that driving along and the power of your car running out and all of a sudden there's a light. Uh, so, but yeah, a believer, of course. Well, Hey, I mean, look for every close encounter, there's incredible things going on. Uh, just beyond our atmosphere that we just can't explain. Yeah. And sometimes for me, that's just as exciting as if it were alien or something like that. You know, it's, it's science we haven't discovered yet. It's anomalies out there that we just don't know. So, I mean, the fact that you saw anything is, is huge. And like you said, you know, I, I want to get your opinions on this later, like willing these things to happen. That's, that's kind of a big part of, I think where a lot of this UFO stuff is heading. Um, but mm. we'll talk about that. Um, all right. So my my next question for you is the X-Files. I'm a huge fan. So I'm sure you knew this is going to come up at some yeah, point in the interview. Um, how did it happen? It's by far my favorite episode of all, what, 11, 12 seasons that really? they've done. Oh, God, man. It was brilliantly written and uh, performed by everyone involved. But this is one of the biggest listener questions I got. What was it like working on the X-Files? How did it come to be? And uh, yeah, give us maybe the rundown of all that and how you got to wear the cold jack, the Night Stalker. Oh, yeah. Hat, yeah. So I guess so we can start off by saying I willed it to happen. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was an alien download in the middle of the night and I went, yep. 
I mean, I don't know. I just think, I mean, I obviously I have a good agent to, 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 to get through this one real quick, but also give as many details as I can. Um, you know, I have a good agent. I, and so I do get good auditions and I don't get many, but I get interesting ones. And for some reason this came up and it kind of made sense to me. So in I go now, you know, uh, another interesting thing is that when the X-Files was in its, um, uh, most, uh, oh God, I hate it when I can't come up with the words, um, popular, uh, stance, in the world in the nineties, I was in the army. So I didn't see a lot of it. I had to catch up with it in, in later years. Now, what I did see with it uh, was mainly a drama show. So here's me now getting an audition for this, for this, uh, the new, the comeback season. Uh, I think tw- was it 20, 20 years later, something like that. Um, and I'm thinking, Oh, here we go. Okay. Here's, here's a chance for me to, to act dramatically because uh, uh, anyone who knows me, you know, I'm a comedic improvised actor and uh, that those are my skill sets. Although I'd like to think I could do a good job uh, in a drama, but now maybe I'm getting my chance. So I go along to the audition. Now the sides were very minimal. So and when I say that, I mean the little bit of script they give you to do your audition with, because they didn't want it very top secret at the stage. It was a really uh, a big secret that this, uh, well, it wasn't so big. I think as soon as it leaked out that the this phenomenal show was coming back, everyone started talking about it. But yet the ideas for the episodes and, of course, you know, they were very, very top secret. So I got these I, like half a piece of paper to look at when I went in there and uh, I delivered these lines. And by the way, the lines in this audition, it was certainly not comedic at all. I think I had to give a little part of the monologue about uh, the fact that I was a human for the first time it didn't make much sense to me. Um, and I just did the job I thought I could as if it was, uh, if I was delivering a, a dramatic performance. And I, um, it was very brief and uh, I walked away and I was uh, called back um, before I got to the car. Uh, the runner came through and he said, um, Hey, listen, can you, uh, are you available for these dates? Just checking, you know. And when you get the old, are you available for these dates as an actor? Your ears prick up and you think, oh, here we go. Got a good chance here. And then <laughs> and then I got a call on my way home about the moustache. I had a moustache at the point at that point. And uh can you can you are you willing to lose the moustache? And you know, for a split second you think to yourself, oh no, there's no way I'm gonna lose that. Sorry, that was we were so close, guys. Uh, but of course yes what mustache i'm already shaving it as we're driving um but i said yeah of course that's not a problem and then when i got home i got another call <laughs> this is where i'm i'm already driving home thinking oh i've got this i must have this part this is this is amazing got another call when i got home saying hey listen we've just had a chat uh to Darren Morgan, uh Chris Carter, who by the way, when I did the audition, were both in the room. They were the only two guys and this and this, you know, assistant. Um and they said you don't need to lose the mustache uh, mustache. And I'm thinking, well hang on, are you telling me I'm I've got this? And I think I don't even can't remember then because I was so excited with what was going on in my head getting this massive role, possibly, that I can't remember whether I think that phone call finished and then I had to, you had to get the official one from the agent, uh, from my manager saying, uh, that it's yours. But I already knew at that point. I mean, 
they're checking the dates and they're, and they're they're shaving my mo and then and then bringing it back. Um, so I, yeah, I got it. Now I later found out that of course, of course, I've got that because the the role was for someone who uh, was a human for the first time, someone who is sort of naive to the ways of being a human, someone who comes across with empathy, but also you could imagine uh, is is possibly from another world or or inhuman in some ways. And that pretty much sums me up. That's, that's how I've always felt about myself. Uh, so um, long story even longer, I do the show. Uh, on the day, right up to this point of the first day of, of acting, by the way, you know, having seen the show, you know that my character has a really long monologue in the graveyard with Dukovny. And I was very nervous about that. I, I normally, with, with my roles as a, as a comic, as a comedy actor, you know, the script is, uh, there's, there's less writing involved and you can play around with it. Now, this writing was so great, uh, obviously, um, that I couldn't play with it and I was too scared to even ask if I could. So I just had to really learn it. So I remember, I think I, yeah, it was Vancouver and I was walking around for hours getting it all into my head. A lot of, a lot of people who haven't been involved in acting always think, how do these, how do these actors remember all of these lines? And I often think that as well. Cause you know, I'm not, I'm not a great memory guy, uh, in one ear, out the other, as my mother always used to say. Uh, so, but for this very, very big role, this is the most, uh, and I've done a, a few, you know, big roles in my life, um, emphasis on the few, but they have been rather big, some of them. Uh, but this for me personally was, was the biggest because, uh, I love the, sh- uh, the subject matter, obviously. And to be part of this phenomenon, to be part of the X files meant more to me than anything. Uh, it's my jam, baby. Uh, as my mother always used to say. So <laughs> it's nice having you on the screen because I can see you laughing at the moment. When I'm, looking at, when I'm just looking at me, I'm like, what am I doing? Crickets. Yeah, who am I talking to? But I'm also used to just talking to myself, so it's not too bad. I get to the graveyard and we start doing the scene and I'm dramaticing it out. I'm like, wow, this, this, look, watch Darby act. Look at this guy. And then Darren goes, uh, Reese, uh, you know, just just be yourself be you know you don't need to because sometimes if you're acting like uh, you can tell with some people are acting oh that guy's acting look at the way he, oh what an actor but if you but you can't you got to lose all that to actually be a good actor and so but i didn't think because by the way the scene was about me wanting to kill myself you know it was a pretty pretty horrific kind of idea um and the, the viewers at the time aren't sure what this guy's about why is he trying you know it's it's so brilliantly written this episode that it, it un it un unfathoms unfails and un, you help me out ryan it's uh yeah, yeah, un, yeah. unfurls unfurls there we go un, unravels unravels oh, yeah, I'll, uh, take, uh, I'll take that, that work? it unravels throughout the episode that uh you know why he is the way he is and in fact he you know he's he's he wasn't human first he was uh he was uh lizard first and then uh or reptilian i should say and then became something he didn't want to be um so when when i got the when i got the note from darren to um have more fun with it old reesey came out and then the personality came out and then Dukofni, you know, had to, it w- was, re- was reminded of Flight of the Concords and was, he was a little bit starstruck. I'm starstruck by him, obviously. He's a little starstruck by me. We're getting that yeah. both, both stars are striking and <laughs> magic is made. <laughs> wow, man. Well, um, 
that that ang- that sort of existential question in the episode is what really resonated with me and it kind of followed you throughout your work i mean you have this podcast called aliens like us and uh that kind of dips into you know these questions in this x-files episode of who are we why are we here um what makes us human uh and why you know the every we all, we've all asked these questions in our life. You know, why do I wake up every morning and go to work? What could I be doing? What should I be doing to make the world better? And, uh, you know, especially right now, I think a lot of us are having a lot of time to self reflect in our lives, you know, because we, we have the time to do it. So, I mean, there's no better time to go back and kind of ask these questions and with your podcast, um, First of all, I got to ask, like, where did the title come from? The the different meanings you can give to the title yeah. of your show is what really struck me. So, um, let's I guess let's kind of dive into that. Yeah, you know, moving away from the X Files, uh, what made you want to do this podcast? You know, I'm into the subject matter, and just even though we're moving away from the X Files, I'll say one more thing about it because you, oh, yeah, you you brought it up there when you're talking about the existentialism of the episode and and how it kind of uh, makes sense and it's like a uh, it's very relevant right now for our lives and how we're thinking. Um, an interesting, um, I guess, uh, part of that, uh, the, the show that was happening for me at the time was that I was questioning, my character was questioning his life, questioning what it means to be a human. And he, he did not like it. He didn't understand why he had to go to work. Uh, he bought the dog, Dagoo, uh, because he felt that that's what you're supposed to do. And that gave him happiness, which, which is why people get pets. And it's, it really, but the, here's the weird thing. Uh, the synchronicity part that freaks me out is that my character, if you remember his job, he, he worked at a, um, a cell phone store. Okay. So that was his now in real life, uh, back in New Zealand for many years. And I've recently, uh, um, done it again. I was the the face of a cell phone campaign um, in real life. So the the this this kind of reality meets fiction uh, blur was was happening in front of my eyes. Oh, wow. I of course also in my early years watched the X file X Files and had imagined meeting uh, Mulder and Scully, and <laughs> there I am meeting them, uh, uh, you know, in a in a porta potty. Uh, <laughs> you know, and so for me, with the imagination I have, uh, and, and I cross between what is real and what isn't all the time in my head, uh, particularly when I do my stand up, and we can go more into that if there's any questions about that. But I, I've, I've done stand up for, you know, over, over, uh, uh, over 20 years now. Um, and with the stories I tell on stage, they're a mixture of reality plus my imagination extending. Uh, into unreality to make things funnier than they really are. And I confuse the audience quite often on, you know, did this really happen? How much of this is true? They always walk away and sometimes question me, did that really happen? I mean, that's a thing with some, with a usual thing with stand-ups, but for me, it can be way more mystical because I'll be talking about mermaids or jetpacks and there's, there's like, I think, you know, knowing Reese, maybe that did happen. And so, and, and some of it to a certain degree has, you know, and, and these kind of occurrences, but, um, here I go again with this 20 minute going off in a different direction thing, Love it, but, but to pull it back, to pull it back, um, I will say that, yeah, the, the synchronicity, the universe, uh, making 
these decisions for me, putting me in a, in that character position, putting me in that show and for that show to be a fantastic episode, which, you know, they are hit and miss. And for me to oh, be yeah. luckily in one that was historically, you know, it, it was, is going to stand up was just out of this world, which is a cool thing to say on your show. And of, you know, I knew and- we'd make it in there somehow. <laughs> There's your soundbite. Well, I have to first, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think, you know, people love or hate the the reboot of the X-Files. But um, Mm. I think that episode you guys did, uh, it probably saved that entire season. And I think the same could be said for the following season with their uh, Darren Morgan episode in that season. Those are what people like. That's what they crave. You know, Monster of the Week, exactly. Yeah. Literal Monster of the Week. So, um, no, I think it's it's amazing. I, I love how it kind of bleeds into different parts of your life. And um, I, it kind of reminds me, there's uh, there's a quote I used to always go back to with um, John Keel. And uh, it, it's something, I don't know it verbatim, but he says, if you stare far enough out into the sky, you'll eventually see the back of your own head. Oh, and I wow. always, yeah, like, I know that one. Yeah. Dude, that always blew my mind. Cause I think it's right. The more we search for answers and um, get involved with this UFO thing or the paranormal, the more we're looking for our own importance, our own, uh, uh, our own answers in all this. I mean, I've told people, yeah. you know, there's that altruistic sense of, yeah, I want answers for the public on what UFOs are and whatnot. But honestly, I want those answers for myself, first and foremost. I want to know what happened to me or why I saw this or what it all yeah. means. And I think that's what it, it always comes back to us, like you said. Like I it's like always that. putting that mirror back on us. Yeah, It is. And the answers that you seek and hopefully you find are the answers that are personable to you. And mm-hmm. so, you know, will, you, will, will we ever solve this mystery? Well, maybe, maybe not as a... Uh, not as humanity, but individually, we might be able to solve it for ourselves in our own head, what we think they are. And I, you know, just from reading, I've been reading your book, Ryan. I've got it here with me, obviously. Great book. And, and it, it's thought provoking because of the personal touches that you, uh, deal with in here, because the, because rather than the, um, nuts and bolts kind of, what is this thing? What was the speed? What was the height? Uh, it's, it's our own personal thoughts these eyewitnesses, what it means to them. And, and it gets you thinking because what do we have if we don't have the answers already inside our own brains and we just need those doors to open up. And that's where we feel uh, that the, the mysteries can possibly be solved. Absolutely, man. Well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And I have to agree. I mean, that's why I wrote the book. I, I of course I care about what they saw in mm. detail. Cause you know, we want to figure out what it was, but end of the day, like how did it impact them? How did it change them? And, uh, we'll talk later about, you know, that capital D disclosure, but, uh, I think, you know, every person who sees something or experiences something, that's a personal disclosure for them. So, um, yeah. yeah. I, I appreciate your outlook on that and um, kind of tying it back to uh, to the podcast. Can you tell us how oh, it, yes. yeah, how it came to be? <laughs> well, man, we will get there. Baby yeah, steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, I knew there was something. Be, there's something. There's a reason <laughs> we're here, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, aliens like us. How did, who, who did you do this okay. with? Um, to, yeah, give oh. us a, the origin of that. Okay, so cool. So I have this 
Previous to that, I have a podcast called The Cryptid Factor. Right. And I've been doing that since 2008 with my friend Leon, uh, who was known as Buttons on the show because he pushes all the buttons because he's the, he's the tech. He's the, uh, the producer on, on, uh, on the day pulling cables, uh, setting the levels and of course editing the whole thing. So he's kind of the brains of the network. And we started off with David Farrier. Uh, and then in later years, we have, uh, we, the, the band has changed, uh, and we've got Dan Schreiber. Now that, that podcast, uh, you know, that always has and always will be, um, un- until we actually get some cash coming to us, uh, a hobby and we love it. Now we've got, you know, busy careers. So it was a, really just an excuse as we started off to get away from the wives for an hour on a Saturday. Uh, now I can tell you the, the whole crazy history of the cryptid factor, but we probably don't have time. But to transition forward in time to now, uh, recently Spotify coming to me and saying, Hey, would you like to do a, a podcast? Uh, we need a, a comedy podcast, but also I hear you're into weird stuff. I said, yeah, sure. I mean, um, I can do, I haven't done one on, uh, particularly on, on aliens or, or, or ufology. Um, I've done stuff on cryptids. Um, but I could, I was, I'm very interested in, and I'm sort of, I was sort of mid, not transitioning more into that field, but certainly opening my own paranormal field up to include ufology more than I had in the past. So I was excited about that idea. Um, and I said to, I said to Spotify, I won't put any, I won't give any specific names. I'll just call the people Spotify. Uh, I said to Spotify, I said, listen, spots, uh, I've got, uh, a friend that I work with that I, I really need to bounce off. I've got to have buttons. And so Spotify is like, all right, uh, oh, I suppose so. And then, then they, uh, connected me up with another chap at American, uh, Ethan. And so, um, next thing you know, we've got our team and, uh, I came up with the name. We, we you know, it was, it was up to me. It was my, my show. So I, I thought about it for a long time. Um, one of my favorite movies was Spies Like Us. Mm-hmm. You remember mm-hmm. that? Uh, I I, I needed a catchy name and of course I love wordplay so aliens like us just made total sense to me when it came I thought oh that's it because not only do aliens actually like us hopefully um, aliens are like us and also of course Buttons and I uh, were aliens in America aliens uh, um, by proxy of our position in the country so it just made total sense uh, and then it came down to, um, yeah, getting it done, 10 episodes, uh, getting, uh, now Spotify came, came on board very, um, hands on, uh, with regards to needing, uh, templates, needing almost not so much scripts, but certainly a lot of, a lot of paperwork of what we were doing. Now in the past, as, as I've already told you today, I'm very loosey goosey. Uh, the most I've ever done with buttons in terms of uh, organizing things by writing things down was he would do a pie graph uh, in his book and he would go, right, so we've got we'll 80% of the show, we'll do this, then we'll do this. And then the, the, the only other stuff we, we really concentrated on was um, uh, recording uh, funny stings to, to cut in between the segments. Um, so I wanted to maintain that we did that in the show and uh, Ethan's good with uh, music and has some friends that can uh, do a bit of uh, – have got some gnarly keyboard skills, so we thought we could throw a bit of that in there. And really the, the difficult thing was to make a podcast that has comedy 
uh, is silly, but also deals with a subject matter that is important. But regardless, some people still think is kooky and, 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 you know, and, and, and ridiculous. Uh, and yet I wanted to pull in my, my audience and also um, through comedy and get them to open their mind up and also believe that there is stuff out there that is happening. And uh, it just so happened that, you know, in the last few years, uh, the world was transitioning from it being a subject that people didn't really bother to take seriously to now, uh, thanks to all the, you know, the major news articles and the proof that's coming out about the existence of UFOs to be something that is real and that we actually do have to go, oh, okay. Uh, oh, 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 heck. Um, yeah. Yeah. The joke's <laughs> over. So, so kind of, uh, yeah, exactly. So, um, so it was good timing on all those, on all those, uh, with all those elements and, but the other important thing that what I, and which I will be forever thankful for Spotify for, for ensuring is that we, you know, we got some good quality guests, uh, some of the, some of the top people in the field to, uh, who, who, by the way, you know, have a sense of humor and who are, who may, may know me. They didn't all know of, of my, what I've, what I've been up to. Uh, but a lot of them, you know, were fans of, of certain degree and, they were willing to um, to come on board and and say their stuff, um, and so that that's how the show came into being. Yeah, and I mean that that's a really good thing to bring up, Reese. Is um, that balance? I think uh, you know at the end of the day, we're talking about the weirdest shit in the world. Like, if yeah. we can't have fun with that, yeah, what's the point? I mean, I'm and I know I'm uh, I'm drawing back to my own personal experiences, but I did a um, a panel discussion with um, Kumail Nanjiani, who was in your episode yeah. of the X-File. Um, out in LA, I did a panel with him all about UFOs. And I'm going in thinking, like, this is, they're going to be bashing me the whole time. Like, this is just going to be like, but yeah. but I was ready. I was yeah. ready to, like, do it. And, dude, I mean, I got there, and they could not have been more serious about it, which right. I super appreciated, you know, that, um, like you said, this is a topic that deserves a legitimate study and it now is yeah. by the US government and governments around the world. But at the same time, like, come on when you're talking to, and I do want to ask you about the contact email box in a minute, but um, um, we're dealing with some crazy ass stuff. And if you can't laugh about it, um, what's the point? And a lot of these experiencers, they fully recognize how crazy yeah. their stories yeah. sound, you know? So I think that's a big part of it too. It helps if they have a sense of humor because if you, so it's got, it got a, a few, um, bad reputations in the past from people being so super serious about it and that they're, and yet they're, they're talking about things that are, uh, are so weird that it, it almost became a little inhuman not to, uh, question yourself and have a little joke about the fact that I saw this crazy thing and it didn't make any sense. Um, and so I, I feel, and it, as an aside that humor in general um, connects us together. And I've traveled around the world and done gigs and been in countries where I cannot speak the language. And that's pretty much all of them that don't speak English. Um, and yet I've been able to um, connect through humor. And so that that's really, it's really important. Absolutely. I think that humor and comedy brings us 
closer together than pretty much anything in mm. the world. Um, and these profound questions we ask with UFOs too. So um, I want to talk about a couple of these guests you've had on. Now, this one really surprised me when I first heard the episode. Uh, Paco Chirici, the first guy to go public about the Tic Tac UFO event. Like, how did you get this interview? And um, what did you make of his story? It's incredible. Well, he was he was super cool. Uh, yeah. you know, he was a, a U.S. Navy fighter pilot, um, X, I believe. Uh, but he was willing to come in. He had a, a book he was, uh, promoting as well, which always helps. And then it comes down to that's another good thing about being attached to Spotify was that you've got people in the, uh, in the admin realm who are pulling strings for you and, organizing things which is something once again that buttons and buttons and i especially me uh it's not our it's not my area of expertise i'm not going to get on the phone to people and go hey man can you get on my show i mean i'm sure you do ryan but uh you know it's not my i you know i, I don't want to say i've got people to do that for me but you know i've got people to do that for me uh so <laughs> so we got him um and it's really there's no, nothing beats the horse's mouth and when you hear uh, someone who's first of all that as 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 boys on this podcast we're in awe with because the guy was a fighter pilot. Uh, he's flown Tomcats and things like that. And by the way, I told you at the start I was in the Air Training Corps as a twelve-year-old. My dream was to be a fighter pilot. So I'm already sitting here fizzing, going, "Wow, you're you're what I wanted to be." I couldn't be it because I was no good at physics. I'm an idiot. I, I'm, I, I can't. I can barely do maths. So why you have to be great at that kind of stuff to be a fighter pilot? I, I don't know, but you know you do, and I'm glad you do because they're, they these guys are super smart. You know, they're not just. They're not me. They're not. Uh, they're not uh, leaving school and jumping in a jet plane um, and and traveling at those speeds. And and they have super lightning fast reactions, and their brains work really super fast. So I think to and and uh, uh, us regulars can't quite even fathom that that if, just pilots in general uh, uh, have got to be really onto it. But these ones that fire these supersonic things up in the sky, and they when when they see these things. And they talk about these things that they see, you know, they're not making that up. And so we, we have to respect that. And I, re- and I respected, uh, what he was saying and, and the fact, but also being ex military myself, I could connect with the idea that, uh, it's, it's definitely a bit of a boys club and we like, we rib each other. And, uh, you know, there's obviously it's, it's men and women, but as in general and the women are the same, uh, they're, they're, they're tough. We're tough, tough customers. And we like to um, mock each other and stuff in the in, in the in the military, and we kind of uh, this this competitive nature. And so, if you were to say something like, "I, I saw a UFO," you know, people are going to laugh, and they're going to, um, yeah. There's there's that sort of it's they're they're tough characters, and so for that to then become uh, truth and to be an accepted truth uh, in that institution to begin with is is a real solid um advancement yeah yeah absolutely i think the the we have to stress that point too that these are trained observers and like you said um that ridicule factor has been in the military for a long time you don't report these things same with commercial pilots i mean i go back to you know the um the the japan airlines case where the pilot reported the ufo when he got to the ground and then he was put on desk duty for the rest of his career 
Like, that's so sad, man. He yeah, reports yeah, one yeah. UFO. They think he's nuts and he never flies again. So, I mean, I, I totally get why I, a Top Gun pilot would not report a UFO because, like you said, all the other pilots are going to be like, oh, wow, you couldn't outmaneuver that or you couldn't think quick enough or you're totally, yeah. it was a glare in your, you know, the, yeah. uh, the dome of your plane. Like, you're, or worse, you're looking for attention. Um, right, right. You know right. what I mean? Uh, yeah. In fact, you know what? I just had a, an idea there. I would love for this to happen. I don't think it will, but you know the new Top Gun that's that's coming out, which yeah. I think every, I'm excited about. Um, wouldn't it be great if there was a UAP in there uh, that uh, Maverick catches out the corner of his eye or something, or there's a there's a tic tac? Oh, it'd be such right. an amazing reference. I hope Dude. they. I, I don't think they will do it, but that would be great. I remember. I think it was um, my English class in like middle school where i wrote a sequel to top gun and it was like it was maverick going to hunt down saddam hussein in a uh what do you call those the stealth fighter oh yeah so so when i saw that this new one was coming out i'm like oh there goes my plan of (laughs) well you don't know that could be the plot you could have i hope you didn't leave that script lying anywhere i know my teacher probably gave it to him man but hey no that's a good point i mean um you know the fact that that this could be making its way more into the mainstream. I mean, every time I turn on the TV, someone's talking about like the Tic Tac UFO or this Mm. or that. And um, it's not a world I ever thought we'd live in where, you know, the U S government would be seriously investigating this, which we'll get to. But um, the, the next guest I want to talk to you about is, um, okay. So this book, the, the book cover is just, burned into my memory, terrified me as a kid. And uh, that's communion. So I got to ask you, what was it like interviewing probably the most famous UFO alien abductee of all time, Whitley Strieber? And uh, what do you make of his whole story? I mean, it's, it continues even up until this day. So yeah. What do you think? It it was, it was fascinating. Uh, So that one was hands on buttons and I in um, contact in the desert in a small room, you know, actually sitting right at a table with Whitley and he, you know, as, as you, as you know, from the interview, we got to feel the back of his ear where this bump was, where he had this implant, which I believe is, yeah, like it's, it's still in there. And he freaked us out with the, 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 the point of where it moved. And what I found fascinating with his story was that he, he was not saying that they were, aliens in a sense that they, he didn't know what they were, um, but that he, that, that, that it was ongoing and that there's that whole point of, and people will argue against this with the, the will of wanting it to happen. Um, his uh, wife had passed away, if I remember correctly. Uh, and then the idea that he'd written science fiction books up until that point. And so you've got that thing whereby people are like, oh, come on, he's, this is just the next level of his uh, imagination. Um, but so that's in the, that plays in the back of your mind when you're talking to the guy. But I've spoken to a lot of people, as you have as well, and there's nothing better than actually being face-to-face. Over the phone, you know, you can't tell. But when you're there, and I read people for a, for a living as a comic because I'm on stage and I have to read audiences and I have to fathom how they're feeling and whether my stuff's going to come across. And when the room is different, when there's uh, there's too many drunks or when there's uh, the lights aren't 
good enough and the mic's not quite right. I have to adjust my performance and, and I have to be able to, and I take a little bit of pride in the fact that I'm a good judge of character in, in terms of that. I think, you know, I think performers have to be in a, in a way because otherwise you misjudge what you're doing and you, you know, you're going to bomb or you, right. you know, you're, 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 you know, and that, and that is that essentially is my job is to, is to, uh, is to be is to be great and to be able to do that as an entertainer i have to i have to read uh and so i'm sitting here reading this guy and uh you know it's it's um it's genuine to me and buttons is always he's full of joy and very we're both a couple of kind of young well young i say young getting on a bit now but young in the head uh which i think is a very healthy thing uh you know always open open for uh fantastic tales want to be astonished but uh we're not so loopy that we're not grounded um you know buttons is a ceo of a huge company and you know um well you know what i do uh <laughs> i'm an actor I, i'm a comedian so that's not very really grounding but um i yeah so i i really i believed what he was saying and um and it was it was spooky and by the way, communion, yeah, the book and the movie, really, uh, really, really spooky stuff. Like that kind of stuff, uh, it gets you uh, the hairs on the back of your neck standing up because there's a sense of evilness to it. That That's the worry, and we don't want that, but that is part of alien law is that, you know, we, we're not sure how much of it, uh, first of all, is true, but secondly, uh, if it is, how much of it is uh, has bad intent, and mm-hmm. whether and whether what they're actually doing to us and manipulating us in certain ways, and so all of that was coming into play when when we spoke to this guy, and feeling feeling the thing behind his ear, dude, it was like next level. I've done some pretty cool things in my life, but that was one of feeling someone's implant. I mean, I, I highly recommend it. I gave it a, <laughs> like I said, I gave it a little tickle. Yeah, you had to see how yeah. it reacts. <laughs> Man, I I completely agree with you. You know, for the book, I interviewed hundreds of people and maybe there's like 40 in there. I don't know how many, but um, there's nothing like being face to face with these people. And like you said, I always get asked the question, well, do you believe everyone that you mm-hmm. write about? And my, I guess, safe answer is I believe these people believe yeah, what happened. Right. To them, yeah. You know, and some might find that passive, but at the end of the day, like I wasn't there, I wasn't there when Whitley Strieber had these experiences. I can't say if yeah. it happened or not, but look, I mean, these are supposedly mentally stable individuals as, mm. you know, someone like John Mack, the Harvard psychiatrist who looked into alien abductions. He, he did a huge study and he said, these people were not, you know, this wasn't abuse as a child. This is not a fantasy prone individual. Like mm. these are stable individuals who have never had an interest in UFOs or aliens or any of that. And they're reporting these things. So I have to agree with you. Yeah. Like judgment of character is a big thing. The other thing I'll say is that, you know, nobody wants to be ridiculed. You don't right. set yourself up in life to go, Oh, I can't wait to get ridiculed from this. So and it's not about selling books because yeah, yeah, he's already a successful bookseller and you're not going to, uh, you know, there are other things you can do putting yourself out there to have people poke fun of you. Uh, and I've been, I've, I'm, I've been ridiculed many times as a, as at, at school, as a, you know, a, you know, a little bit of bullying or, a, you know, I'm, I was the class clown. 
but um, I've been made fun of and it's it's not fun. You don't want to set yourself up for that. Um, yeah. But when there's something inside of you that is that is true, that is um, burning inside of you that you need to get out that and, and you're helping other people who have experiences as well, then, you know, you've got to do it. And I take my hat off to any one of these experiences uh, uh, contactees uh, that have uh, that have gone on the table and and have spoken about their experience. That's a that's an outstanding thing to do, and and you've got to you've got to respect that. Yeah, I, the first thing I learned when I got into this this crazy world is uh, of UFOs is uh, to have empathy for sure. Yeah. Like you don't know this person's life, you don't know their history you can't come in with these preconceived notions because like you said, you know, just being face to face changes everything. I remember, you know, watching a woman break down in tears with her husband when she was retelling me her story of a quote unquote abduction experience. And I'm like, I'm sitting there like, man, like what the hell am I doing? I'm like sitting here hoping I'm going to hear a really cool alien abduction story, but this event, traumatize this woman wow yeah that's that's a good one because that makes yeah opens it up for you and you you realize so that you know you know uh it's not just for my and other people's entertainment this is fully affecting some people and uh and so that you know it's 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 cool to that end that i still managed to get those contactee uh, mailboxes into what is essentially uh, a show that is has a lot of comedy in it. So that, I yeah. think the roller coasterness, uh, if that's a term, the roller coasterness of of <laughs> it is of, now of listening to that show, um, yeah, speaks volumes because you're like you're shocked, you're laughing, you're upset, and then it's the credits. <laughs> yeah, right, man. Yeah. Good point. I mean, and it is a whiplash, you know, which I appreciate about uh, your show. Like you mentioned, the the contact email bag is where people can uh, submit their stories am i correct on your show yeah yeah so the interesting thing there was my wife dealt with all of those so um and that was basically they left a message i think she spoke to them um but it was it was set aside from the three of us guys who were who were functioning as as hosts and we would then and grab it and so w- w- often when we listened to the contact email box the first time was when it was put into the show and so that that made it it, it helps with these types of shows if we can and I learned that from the cryptid factor uh is that if we can spook each other out uh it's great because we're all like we're we're kind of on the same level as the listeners and we're like whoa okay so sort of the last uh, episode I really want to cover with you, Reese, of uh, your podcast is your interview with Dr. Michael Masters. Now, I know this is kind of a running uh, a running gag in your show with your co-hosts about um, about aliens being us from the future. And this is this like this concept blew my mind when I first heard about it. I think one of the dudes from the, the Rendlesham Forest incident might have talked about this, but what do you make of um, what this doctor's brought forward that uh, aliens could be us in the future? Yeah. So this has really grown on me. Now, when I first heard this, and to be honest, Buttons was the first one who 
brought this theory to my attention um, a few years ago, and I always mock him. Uh, we're best buddies, so we're laughing at each other. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, it's us from the future. Come on. And you know, he 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 would say that uh, you know, millions of years. So we've evolved to this point. That's why we look the way we do. And you know, there was some. It was it started to uh, make sense in some in some ways. But the real uh, issue I had with it was if time travel um became a thing then uh we would have it now it's it's that whole dichotomy of you know when when does it happen and if it does happen then surely it's going to happen constantly um look i'm no scientist um i've watched back to the future a few times but that's about my that's about my experience uh in it now um fast forward to uh dr michael p masters and he really has some good things to say about it. He he delivers a great interview. He does lectures on this. Buttons and him have been talking uh, uh, many times. Uh, they're both big fans of the concept, and I've got to say, uh, you know, they they swayed me towards it because th- th- this this concept has been brought up, and uh, in, 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 certainly in recent years, and it's becoming more and more believable, uh, and so. Yeah, I kind of, I, I don't want to, I, I'm not 100% in on it, but I'm kind of, I'm swayed towards it because let's be honest, uh, we're running out of, uh, of answers and we've been trying to answer this, this big mystery, um, since, since the, since the forties. And who knows, even before then, when people didn't know what to call these things, whether they'd be called, uh, angels or goblins or fairies, it's the other. It's where are they coming from? And so, yeah, I think, um, it's got some, it's got some truth. Yeah. I'd have to agree. I mean, again, like, and who's to say we're dealing with one thing? It could be interdimensional. It could be, you know, yeah, there isn't one answer. There is not one answer. And I think my answer would be is that there is so many different concepts that could be. Uh, the answer and that there's definitely more answers than one. I, and I was thinking today about the things, the, the orbs, the things that, uh, the lights, just the simple lights that people are seeing. They're not seeing anything behind the light. Um, uh, you know, maybe because it's too far away or there's a series of lights. There's got to be more than one answer. And, and one of those, one of those answers, uh, is it could be us from the future. It could be us traveling in different timelines. It, interdimensional is a big one for me. I'm really a believer in that, but I'm also a believer in the fact that some of these objects could just be organic themselves. They could be spirits. They could be, that could be returning from another dimension that, that it's not an actual physical object. It's just, it's an energy and it's watching you. Uh, the, the fact that people have recurring um, experiences that they see one and then a few months later or years later, they'll see one again, or they'll see, and and it keeps following them throughout their life means it could be connect. It's got to be connected to that person. So it's got to be maybe in the family line. It's got to be a spirit from another dimension that is uh, coming back and messaging you or keeping an eye on you. So, and you talk about, so that the spiritual nature of that, and I'm, as I say, I'm not into ghosts, but it's got to be, there's got to be a connection there. And, and yet that, so that has a strong, um, uh, kind of weight behind it. And then you've got the metallic craft, which is a completely different scenario, but yet those things are real as well. So, and then, and then you throw tic tacs in the mix and you think, what, what the hell is that shape? What does that signify? Is, and there can't be anything inside it because, well, if there is, it's certainly not human at those, 
speeds and those velocities and what they're doing. So if there is, is have we have we advanced this far in the millions and millions of years in the future that we can withstand that? Or is there some sort of energy within inside the Tic Tac that enables us not to feel it? But think about it. We've already started not flying in things because we've got the drones. We're now going to have uh, the next few battles um, are going to be drone versus drone. They did a, a dogfight recently with, uh, I think it was the F-16 versus the, the drone F-16. And the and the drone kicked its ass. So that's now. It's 2020. Where, where the, and and you know, uh, I'm talking about jet fighter pilots and how I uh, I would love to be one. That that job's going to be running out. Uh, I, th- I think. Um, so when you think about it that way, there is there prop. If if it is future us, it's we're not in those things. That we've just sent those back. And maybe that particular shape is something that goes through the uh, the, the 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 rift in the uh, time space continuum. Um, who knows? And the fact that they're squiggly, they move these squiggly things. And when I saw one up in up in the space through the binoculars, it did the squiggly moves, like I said to you, like a like a like a hot rod doing a donut spinning around yeah. and then squiggling out. I was like, what? What's with the squiggles? <laughs> but then <laughs> That's when you your get number something- one question, yeah. <laughs> But when you get something in your eye, and I, I was shot as a kid uh, with a uh, um, my mate uh, had one of these um, little. We used to make guns. We used to use the the, the rubber fingers from a from a rubber gl- a glove, and we'd attach it to um, you know a little um, uh, plastic uh, canister uh, like a tube, and we'd yeah. put little little monkey apples in there, and we'd. Uh, or bits of chalk, and I got I got shot by a bit of chalk. I know, we were crazy, you know what young boys are like. And we'd we'd run around, and this uh, this is before I joined the army, but I was yeah, I was heading towards that way. We'd run around in the forest and would shoot each other. I got shot in the eye with this little tiny bit of chalk, and and to this day, there's still a thing that's in my eyeball that that moves around, and when I'm looking, it's, it sort of squiggles about a bit, and uh, very similar movements to to the UFOs that people sometimes see. And I'm thinking to myself. Maybe that's what it. Maybe the maybe the Earth is just one big giant eyeball, and there's a few squiggles. <laughs> there's a few things that are being shot at it, and they're just sort of floating there, and then they they disappear. Um, I don't know. That's pretty out there, but I think hey, <laughs> it's, it's it's just as plausible as any other theory out there when it comes to this topic. Trust me. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, you did mention. Um, you know, uh, 40s, the 1940s. And mm-hmm. I want to get your opinion on this. Uh, let's take, for instance, the famous Roswell UFO incident, 1947. Uh, we're now hearing from the New York Times that the Pentagon has been briefed on off-world vehicles, they're called. Yeah, right, yeah. What do you make of this, man? Our own government saying there's possibly materials out there from something not from this earth and uh do you think these things have actually crashed on our planet and that we have i don't know bob lazard them have we reverse engineered I, these things or yeah have these craft actually crashed is my question i guess yeah i think so i think i think we kind of i i believe the roswell uh crash i think um something of that nature something so huge in our uh human folklore uh has got to come from from uh from a truth base because it's it's still there we still talk about it and it hasn't been debunked and you know and and of course it's it's also very difficult to debunk it's 1947 and and but the debates will go on and on till the cows come home as my mother used to say but uh uh so i think if you're going to be in this subject matter you, you know you you can't 
can't be in this realm of our of our belief that we and the things we chat about without saying that you believe in that. I, I mean, we can't we can't have UFO podcasts and go, but you know what, Roswell was a step too far. Uh, so, <laughs> so we so from the very base level, you know that that is that is a definite happening. And then if you believe that, then of course you've got to believe reverse engineering. You've got to believe, uh, and I'm I'm in the and I know you are too in the Bob Lazar camp because it just. I just part of it is because I want to believe X Files, uh, and also, <laughs> and also because I think um, it's. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's just exciting for me. And I think I love the unknown, and I love that, uh, and I trust knowing that I was in the military myself, and that you know there are secrets that are kept in governments. I was, I had top secret vetting when I was a signaler, so I was privy to um, you know things that weren't allowed. Uh, that were beyond classified. It was top secret. Um, and there was, by the way, before you ask, there was nothing too exciting to reveal there. <laughs> this is New Zealand. But, you know, I had to sign, I had to sign a lot of stuff and uh, they did a lot of background searching on me and stuff. And uh, it probably did freak them out when they realized, hang on, you were a mistake. You weren't even supposed to be born. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> that's on the record, right? In your uh, on your birth certificate. Yeah, maybe that's why they led me in. I'm like, oh. I'm like, but um, uh, what was I saying? You know me, Ryan. Yeah, what were we saying? Oh, uh, UFO crashes, like oh yeah, we, or reverse engineering. Like we we have that hunger to continue believing it because that's what keeps us going. It's taken this long for them to kind of admit it now, and with the yeah. off-world vehicles, that's there's your admission right there. And this disclosure that we're, that we're currently in with the small D, uh, as uh, Richard Dolan likes to say, big Richard Dolan fan, by the way. Uh, I think if you're going to be in ufology, uh, you know, to, to have someone of his, uh, of taking the, the history of it and taking the, the complete knowledge of all the cases and stuff like that he does is so important in our field. And I know there's a few dudes like that, but, um, I like, I like that guy. Um, uh, it gives so much legitimacy to this thing, and I think um, I'm excited about about next year. I'm I, I hate this year because everyone does. It's 2020 and it's shit. But the things that have come out of it that from us sitting on our asses, trapped in our houses, has been positive and 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 in some ways for the for the mind because we're we're exp- but in. And to that degree, there's been a lot of negativity in conspiracy theories and people spending way too much time on the internet and getting really unhealthy. And yeah. I feel sorry for those people. I don't know about you, but like we've all lost or know someone who's lost a friend because of their beliefs over the over this year. And we go, what? I didn't know you. Were, okay, you're into. And so we go, oh, I can't talk to them so much anymore. And that that's been happening um, because of the goddamn internet and uh you've got to be really careful what you what rabbit holes you fall down and yeah. and i even felt that i know i'm spinning off into more tangents now but that i think the listeners are getting used to it is that <laughs> uh is that that's one of the things with with ufology is that there are dark rabbit holes there that you can fall into and and even when you go to co- uh, conferences like contact in the desert that there's some people that you know aren't legit or they're or they're sp- springing forth cultish type uh references and and storylines uh and and f- for want of a better word bullshit that are suckering people in 
people like me who want the unknown, who feel they don't belong, who are looking for weirdness. And so you've really got to have your head together and you've also got to have friends and keep, keep your people close. And so, and springboard each other with, what do you think about that? And, and like, that's why I have buttons and I have like guys that, and Dan Schreiber, um, and Faria that we kind of, uh, if I might be thinking about something and I'll spring it to them and I'll go, Oh, now that's, I don't know about that. And we'll, and you've got to, and then do a bit more research. But when things start to go dark, that's a good sign that you should pull out a bit. And as a, as a comic and as an entertainer, I, I love to keep things light because I think we need to talk about this, but we need to, we need to, um, we need to be happy, especially in these times. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just say that kind of stuff. I think it's important. It, it's very important. And I'm so happy you brought it up. I mean, I get, I get emails every day from people, you oh, know, you yeah. whether it's anti-vaxxers or QAnon yeah. or all this yeah. complete and utter bullshit. And I'm not afraid to say that. Um, it's dangerous. You yeah, know, these are the type of people who shoot up pizza shops and, yeah. um, drink bleach and, you know, to cure viruses. And look, uh, we talk about UFOs. Of course, we believe there are conspiracies. But when it gets to the point where people are dying because of these unsubstantiated claims and uh, disinformation, that's a problem. So I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear you say that. Um, I always I always promote critical thinking on my show, which a lot of this conspiracy theory lacks nowadays when once yeah. it was it was a way to like, you know, exercise your your thinking skills and your common sense and your critical thinking and now it's become the complete opposite of what it once was and look i understand people are scared you know we live in uncertain times and uh there are people who will take advantage of that and yeah. tell you what to believe and yeah you will pay them for that information so i i agree with you you know i i always struggle with these ufo conferences that i go to where you've got a military pilot up there talking about a Tic Tac UFO that's documented. Mm. And then you have someone who says I've met 183 races of aliens oh, yeah. Yeah. and they're, you know, this, and I struggle, you know, and don't yeah, get me I, wrong because there's a, there's a fun part to that. And as, oh, a, as, as an actor and as a, as a guy who, who loves Mork from Mork, you know, I'm excited about that kind of right. thing, but you've got to take a strong bag of salt with you, not just a grain. Um, and you got to flick it over your shoulder every five minutes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 That's such a good point, man. Well, I'm, I'm happy to hear you say that because it, it, it is something I think that has drastically affected the United States in particular when it comes to mm-hmm. politics and how we're dealing with things going on in the world. But, um, that's a whole other rabbit hole we won't go down, but I do <laughs> want to, uh, yeah, I do want to get to some listener questions here if you're game for that. Yeah, sure. Awesome. Awesome. And it's up to you how in depth you want to get with these brother. I know you're a busy man, but, um, let's start with this one. It kind of ties into what we were just talking about, about cultish figures and whatnot. Um, Tor from Patreon asks me, uh, the narratives people go by in ufology very greatly. Like we talked about, you know, um, we've got Tom DeLong and everything this guy's doing talking about, uh, UFOs are a potential threat. And then on the other side, you've got these individuals like Stephen Greer. Um, I'm sure you're familiar with. Yep, yep. Uh, Saying the antithesis, you know, aliens are peaceful, then they're here for good reasons. So uh, how do we decipher between these two narratives? And is the answer somewhere in between? Or what do you think personally about these extremely drastic uh, extremes that we see in the UFO field? I, I think the answer definitely is somewhere in between. 
And it's yeah. important to have both ends of the spectrum. And you've got to remember that the United States as a Formally and right up until recently, I believe, you know, I mean, this is an argumentative position, but, you know, being the biggest superpower in the world uh, always is on the front foot with defense and they have to, they've got to keep their big walls of Rome protected so it doesn't implode. And, you know, lately, you know, it has been. And I think um, that's why they're on the front foot, rightfully so, defense wise on what are these things and are they a threat? And, of course, that makes total sense. Now, if this was New Zealand, uh, and it helps having me, you know, I'm from I'm from the Shire. I'm from a little, uh, uh, you know, uh, island uh, in the South Pacific, um, set of islands, I should say. Um, but uh, we, we wouldn't be, uh, you know, as worried defense-wise about these things um, because – you know what are we protecting um a lot of a lot of sheep and cows and some and some great visual effects artists in wellington <laughs> but <laughs> uh so i can understand that threat part of it and and that that that's good because but here's here's my here's my other thoughts on that if that was if they were truly a threat a threat we'd all be dead by now or they would have already taken over come on let's be good honest point. 1947 was the first crash landing uh, you know, it's not going to take them. How how much recon are they doing? You know, and this yeah. comes back to my old military days. I know what it's like to go on a recon. You do one, you get your you 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 get all the um the stuff you need, uh, uh, and then you return that night in the dead of the night, and you invade and and you win. Uh, so the fact that that hasn't happened makes me believe that we can shift things slightly more towards the Stephen Greer idea that it's a consciousness that these things uh, we just need to, and I love this idea that we can all connect through meditation and, and that we are all one. Now that uh, it could have been, uh, what's the James Cameron movie avatar. It could be that I'm a big yeah, avatar yeah. fan, but that, that they talk about that there. And um, it makes total sense because all living things, you know, that the old adage of, you, you know what your pets are thinking. You, yeah. You, you, when you, when you come home, your dog's excited to see you. We connect with uh, other sentient beings, uh, without, you know, communication. And mm -hmm. that's through, through, through the mind and through the head. And the more we advance ourselves, the more we're going to open up those uh, extra parts of our brain that are going to enable us to, uh, mind read each other. Now, you know, we can then go into, uh, technology trying to help with that i.e. musk you know chuck a chuck a thing on a pig and next thing you know you're fast forwarding your memories i mean that's that's people i know people are freaking out about that but there is something to be said about um not needing that and look i'm not a big greer follower i, I mean i know what he's i know what he does and look i've, I've barely uh, meditated in my life because it's just not who i am but i'm i'm willing to understand it and i know i know about the dmt stuff and um, i mean look i've done magic mushrooms uh and it was an accident uh no it wasn't uh but i nearly ate, i nearly ate my shoe uh i thought it was made of chocolate <laughs> well that's another story um so yeah just to answer the, the 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 question to to round things up i think it's um it's definitely in the middle there but um i can understand both ends of the spectrum and i think we should be more concentrating on the yeah the thought processes of our brain and what and how we can connect to these things via things like uh, telepathy and, and, and extreme meditation and things like that. But uh, at the same time, haven't done it, too scared to do it, 
I'd rather just write jokes and act. In yep. comedy. You know what I mean? But I'm interested. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm terrified of, of taking anything to alter my perception. Um, a, cause I don't think personally, physically I could handle it and B, <laughs> like I'm, I'm, there's always that fear of like, what if I what if you can't come back? Yeah. yeah. What if I can't come back? Exactly. So no, I think you're right though. I think, you know, re- remaining open to the possibility. I mean, I had a woman on a couple of weeks ago who talked all about the consciousness uh, right. aspect to all this and um, the U S government using remote viewers to, oh, yeah. To get oh, hostages out of Iran. Yeah, man. Yeah. I believe it's real. Yeah. And I think, again, like it's stuff I'm willing to entertain the more I realize how not set in stone the world is in front of me. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I do agree. I think the answer um, is somewhere in between both of those. But uh, we don't know what it is. So, of course, our military is always going to look at it as a potential threat. So I think that's important too. Yeah. you know, um, it'll always be there, but hopefully they're uh, going to come save us soon. Uh, <laughs> if anything, but um, all right, here's our next one. Bigfoot society. Uh, this is another really popular podcast in the, uh, the Sasquatch realm. Uh, he asks on Twitter, what's the one guest you want to interview? If uh, aliens like us gets a second season, we'll get to that. Um, who would you want to interview? And um, who you, who's like your dream person? Well, we I wanted to get. Uh, I mean, I, I Tom DeLong definitely in my yeah. in my head was one, you know. Um, but from other than other than his perspective, which is is not, is, he's just you know really he's in deep, and I he he's got so many contacts and uh, with to the stars they've they've got made such a great institution with uh, gaining so much uh, intelligence and uh, and putting it out there. Um, you know, um, unidentified as a, as a show that's uh, it's it's opening people's minds up and and it's it's advancing us through into disclosure, which is which is exciting. And so, any anyone involved in that show, um, any of those uh, gentlemen I see on TV that that seem to be connected with uh, a bit more knowledge, a bit more um, classified stuff. But of course, you know, that's it's will they reveal it? You know, what are they willing to say? And a lot of these guys that are retired. The other thing that comes to my mind is is eyewitnesses who um, are, are really getting on a bit, who, ha- who are ex-military, who have retired and who can reveal truths, uh, testimonials that, that I've, I've read. Uh, and I think it was an unacknowledged, that, 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 uh, that book. Um, yeah. Some of those, some of those, some of those testimonials are um, fascinating and uh, are from retired generals and high ranking, high ranking people, uh, that just gives so much legitimacy to the field that I would I would love to talk and I like talking to um, older people. I just think I, I've always respected older generations as we as we really really should. Um, being ex-military as well because of uh, the, the people who have fought in wars and things like that, you know. Um, so as 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 young minds, I think we we need to uh, hear the wisdom of older folk. Um, so I, I I would go down that direction for sure if we if we did go uh, get another season. Awesome, man! Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the first person I interviewed when I was thirteen years old was uh, a Vietnam vet. You know, he uh, he right. had a UFO sighting over the Pacific, and uh, he didn't talk about it ever to anyone. Yeah, um, I got in <laughs> touch with him and like talk to him for three hours, maybe five minutes was about the UFO sighting, but the stories this guy had to tell, I agree with you. Like 
what a what an amazing life that a lot of these people have led and like let's respect that let's uh let's build off of it and let's ask new questions so yeah totally i think that's an awesome awesome way to go about it and i can't wait hopefully to hear some of those um awesome violetta on patreon she asks all right we're going back to the x files reese um did you ever get into any in-depth discussions about ufos with Duchovny or anyone uh, on set did that ever happen good question yeah. uh no but uh Duchovny was reading uh that book uh, i think it's called humanoids or humanoid or hu hu yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, I'll have to check on what is, but it was, I, it was about, uh, Hugh, humanity, uh, and, and, uh, so he, he's into the, into the subject matter. So he's just not acting. He is, you know, he's a, he's a believer. Um, and so I found that really cool. Um, yeah. but yeah, um, short answer is we, yeah, we, there wasn't a lot of standing around the fire um y- yarning it was more like me and my trailer going over those difficult lines <laughs> dude you had some heavy material there heavy I mean, material man not only that i had to get like someone really iconic to try and stab me to death with this glass bottle and uh you know it was one of those it was a it was a it was a um a theater glass so it was like yeah. it wasn't proper glass but we he I got him to sort of poke me and then he actually uh, made me bleed. I got a little scar in my, in my fingers because it, even if it was like, it's like candy glass, it's like glass that you use in, in TV that when you smash it, it's not a real glass, but it's kind of like made of candy, but it still, it still managed to uh, make me bleed. And so I'll always have that memory. A permanent souvenir from the yeah, X-File. A, a little, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That's awesome, man. Well, hey, you know, I mean, we've heard in the past that X-Files had people on set from intelligence communities and uh, actual FBI investigators who looked into weird stuff. So we know that a lot of inspiration from the show came from of real course. life, which is really cool. So, um, hey. That's all we can ask for in a show, you know, covering this topic is go to the people who actually know about it. So, yeah. Yeah. Give. Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Moving back to Hollywood. Uh, Jason on Facebook asks, uh, what percentage of people in Hollywood and entertainment uh, that you know uh, have talked about these things, UFOs and stuff? I mean, you're very visible and out there on the topic, but um, do you ever get shit from people in the entertainment industry about being into this stuff or anyone you could think of who you're willing to out on the show oh, who's wow. really interested in this stuff? Yeah, we're getting scandalous here. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of thing you can't you can't do unless they are out with it, you know, but um, in that degree, I uh, first of all, I don't get ridiculed within the community of, of Hollywood or anything like that with my beliefs. And I get away with it, obviously, because I'm a comedian. I'm weird. I talk about weird stuff. I do weird, weird things. I predominantly play weird characters from other realms. Uh, so. So that's okay. I, you know, um, and in this day and age, now that it's more and more acceptable, uh, the stigma is not attached to it. Um, it's, uh, or at least it's slowly getting released. It's still, it's still there, uh, in some, in some ways. But, um, for me, uh, because of the field of entertainment I'm involved in, uh, I'm not, I'm, yeah, no one, no one points a finger or, or says anything behind my back, at least not, not that I know of. Um, if, I, if I if I was in politics, it'd be a different story. If I was a uh, 
uh, a lecture of some sort if I was dealing with way more serious subject matter about certain things and then I had this as my hobby or had this belief, people would go, oh, okay, uh, then because then you they worry about you and that, that that pisses me off because it doesn't matter what you do uh if you believe in this kind of stuff that's okay and that should be okay and you you have to sometimes separate it from from your actual job particularly if you're in some sort of really serious kind of position um but in my position which is not serious <laughs> uh it, it 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 runs hand in hand um yeah. so yeah now do i do it does it come up much in uh in green rooms or in um uh trailers um of course now and again um and it's actually because people know i'm into it they'll they'll get the courage to bring it up or said i'm into this or i've seen this what do you think reese and i'll and i'll have a discussion with them and i think that's really cool so that's one of the reasons i actually am quite open about it because it is the unknown uh no one's really got the answers apart from some people who like contactees who who may who strongly believe that they've seen these certain things or have had these certain experiences that, you know, that that's a different thing. Again, I'm not one of those, but all I can do is, uh, is, is chat and, and, and um, hypothesize and theorize. And I think that's one really fun thing. That's the, that's the coolest thing about this field is that it's just, it's just folk talking. It's like, um, and it's, and it's uh, getting our brains moving and it's, it's opening the little doors in our brains and zapping each other with these ideas and, and through that, finding some sort of disclosure as well. So, um, mm-hmm. Or not. You know, I, I, always, I always think the journey is much more rewarding. Yeah, like, yeah. I almost don't want the answers, Reese. I think we're going to be, like, disappointed if we do figure out, you know? And it's I actually us. It's actually, yeah. and then it's, then it's out, then it's, yeah, I know. Um, but us from the future is still going to be exciting, but you Absolutely. still, when you, when you, you, when you, when you, when you see these and, and the, one of the things that's got in the way is pop culture in a major way. And I'm, I'm, I'm partly to blame of that, obviously, but I, but it's when you think back to the little green men and things like that, the movies of the fifties, the source of men from Mars, that kind of stuff's, it's, it's muddied it all up. And then then people are picturing those things. And then when they think they see things, they're seeing those things as well. And, and so it's the, it's the, um, that mixed with the reality of the fact that maybe they, there are these beings with the almond shaped eyes and stuff because they are so, they're so prevalent in people's visual memories and things. So (laughs) it's, it's a muddy old river, isn't it? Isn't it right? (laughs) It is. There's days I wake up and I'm like, why, why am I doing this? But hey, conversations like this where we can really stretch out and like, like you said, hypothesize, you know, um, anytime one of these UFO people says they have the answers and they know what's right and what's wrong, that's when I run for the hills. I'm like, come on, man, or, or woman, let's be honest. Those are the ones you sometimes see at those conferences is where they do stand in front of a massive crowd and they say, right, well, this is what the story is. I've yeah. been in contact with these aliens. I've done this. I've worked on these products with them. Um, you know, and that, and, uh, and that's, you know, Bob Lazar's not quite at that level. He's, he's, I put him slightly differently to that because he's, uh, he's, he's not, uh, admitting working with aliens or things like that. Uh, right. he's, he's technology, technology based. Um, but, yeah, it's it's the grain of salt thing, and it's the it's there's such a thing as there's the want to believe, and then there's that 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 personal want to be 
to be too strong. So you've got to pull yeah. your want back because if, if you if you start sprinting towards that finish line with that big want tattoo on your forehead, you know, you're going to hit some false finish line and fall over and start opening the champagne. And then people are going to be around you going, dude, you came down the wrong track. Oh, that is the perfect analogy. I, there's <laughs> interview over later. <laughs> least, um, there we go. <laughs> um, awesome. Just a couple more here, my man. Oh, this is bringing us to New Zealand. I'd love to get your thoughts on this. Um, Amanda on Facebook says, do you know about the airline pilot, Bruce Cathy and his theories on the world grid? Um, yeah. Is this guy, have you heard about him in your, your neck of the woods? The world it rings a bell, but no, yeah. I'm 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 not sure. Yeah, okay, Bruce, um, I have to look it up. Yeah, yeah, um, he's got some. I I've never heard of him either, Reese. So like, you're not alone in this. Man. Okay, um, but World Grid. Okay, she gives some information here. His central thesis was that he could use mathematics to describe a grid like pattern on Earth that powers flying saucers oh. and controls the dates and places where nuclear bombs can function that's interesting we hear a lot about ufos being sighted over nuclear facilities and whatnot so this dude in new zealand apparently thinks there is a grid that these ufos are following uh when it comes to our nuclear capabilities and maybe it's powering the flying saucers yeah what do you think of that that's a big one that's interesting i mean when it comes to grids and the earth i'm into the uh uh, the magnetic situation and magnetic uh, negative magnetic anomalies throughout the throughout the planet where people see paranormal activity and I think there's a big uh, there should be more focus on on that situation for example things like Skinwalker Ranch where there's a lot of magnetic situations going on there and that and then yeah. there's you know is a, a cesspool of paranormal activity and not just UFOs but cryptids and things like that which gets me so excited because I I, I love to involve uh, multi-dimensional um, creatures and things like that, not just lights in the sky, because uh, well, a it's it's more fun, and b there's got to be a connection there. And um, being into cryptozoology, you know, I, I I like the idea of sasquatches and and um, various other creatures like Nessie and things that uh, have been seen, and why are they seen, and are they really there, or are they just uh, appearing from uh, another dimension? Uh, because of uh, a time shift or because of the magnetic anomaly in that area that uh, at a certain time of day or a certain uh, the way that the, the earth is placed at that particular time, uh, a vision uh, happens and it could be not even of the now. It could be of a different timeline, could be of the past, but it's because uh, it's, we're living in a multidimensional universe. It is, it is here, but it's not here. And so there's that kind of, that kind of talk, which, which, which I think uh, is fun. Yeah, so so the grid line stuff. Yeah, I, I, I'll look into that. Um, I I also really like the idea uh, that the extraterrestrials always come in contact with us around the nuclear situation, and that they are protecting us. Or you know, and then there's the footage of the um, of them zapping the uh, the nuclear uh, missile that was up in space, and 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 things yeah. like that. And, and just the contact around around bases. Rendlesham Forest f- falls into that one as well, I think, in some ways, although that's another mystery again because uh, what the hell was that craft just sitting in the forest for for no apparent reason? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. By the way, didn't have little dudes in it. Uh, so I'm still, as we're talking here, I'm still thinking more and more like there, there isn't little dudes in these things because uh, uh, why why would they need to? 
why would they need to be um I, yeah. and I, I why yeah. would they need to be in there looking through the wind looking through the windshield looking down going okay just checking on oh we've been seen quick get out of here and i just don't it just doesn't seem it doesn't seem right but it's still worth uh talking about because then people who have have who have had experiences you know swear till they're blue in the face that they have been taken up and, and have con- and have been and have uh talked to these beings uh mm-hmm. through their through their mind and what have you so you know get that a bag of salt and 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 uh and join in on that discussion everywhere absolutely baby salt me up make me salty um that's such a good point though the whole idea of um you know maybe they're it's their version of drones we send unmanned things to other planets why would you risk one of your beings lives or, you know, look at our fighter jets. These things cost millions of dollars. So we're not going to risk putting a pilot in there and the crashing on another planet until we're sure that we're going to be safe. And look, if, if Roswell taught us anything, they're not safe. They're crashing. So, but I was just going to say, that's where, where, when Roswell comes in and then you think, well, okay, so there was, there was, creatures inside there if we if we go with the focus supposedly so, yeah yeah so that kind of spins that out of a little bit of context uh, out of out of uh, uh the focus on what we're trying to get to so it's it's yeah. once again the river's muddy you know um it's, yeah it's frustrating yeah for sure every time we think we've solved it but, uh, <laughs> uh, um all right the signals on twitter asks love your work reese can you tell us about your favorite ufo case of all time Rendlesham for, for Is sure. It? Okay. Yeah. Rendlesham forest. Uh, just because, uh, you, you know, it's out of the States and there's so many in the States and I know there's, there's ones in all over the world, but that one for me, it's, it's got a, um, you know, heavy American involvement. Obviously it was uh, those, those two American bases that were in, uh, in the U in the UK at the time. But, uh, I love it because, there's so much going on with it and the craft was right there. They actually went right up to it and they touched it. It had like hieroglyphic uh, signs on it. It's just got so much Steven Spielberg sort of George Lucas aspect to it. Um, yet, yet I believe it, it is definitely real. And then there's the whole uh, issue with the, if you read into this case with the um, one of the chaps getting, uh, getting the download writing all those binary codes in his notebook and then th- and then the uh, translation of what that came out to be uh which does uh feature forth uh the hypothesis of uh us from the future things like mm-hmm. that it's just the the mysteries that are the unraveling of that one is is really cool because there are so many cases and a lot of them are just sightings or being chased by something or a light in the sky or a um, you know, a, uh, the Phoenix Lights is a is a really cool one because it was just the amount of eyewitnesses, and you've got those boomerang shaped craft, and um, there is no kind of, I find not believing in that one to be hard. Uh, you know, it's not a bunch of flares. There was there was just it's a, a, anything that's stacked with a lot of evidence. First of all, are the, are the greatest cases, but anything that uh, is more than just uh, lights in the sky, it's that, the, a tangible um, uh, kind of physical effect on people uh, really pricks my ears up and makes me even more excited. So, yeah, Rendlesham's 
um, up there for me. I would have to agree. I mean, you even had Nick Pope on your show yeah. as well, the former MOD molder, as it were. And uh, exactly. physical effects too, man. I, I mean, one of those guys had like heart failure that they discovered That's came fine. from being around radiation at this UFO event. And then the government paid his health bills and said it was directly connected to this UFO event. So that's insane to me, you know, that yeah. this guy's being covered by the VA and because of a UFO event, like it just blows my mind. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the, the danger that comes with the negative uh, magnetic negative energy and stuff that, that, that we get from these things uh, that's time and time again uh, brought up uh, yeah. is, is really scary. And you think oh, the, the the effects that these things have on you. So when, and I often think about that when I think, oh, I'd love to see one of these things up close or whatever. And then you think, well, hang on, people who have done that have had really bad effects for the rest of their lives and stuff. So there's that. That's where know. the potential threat comes in, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's, it might not even be their intention. They just exactly. don't know. They're from another world. They come through with energy that we can't suss out. That's not good for us. So maybe right. that's why they're not coming to us more ob- uh, more more re- readily because yeah, they, yeah. they know that they 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 um they will have a, a diverse um, uh, adverse I should say effect on us as humans. Yeah, I, I think yeah. Again, I think it comes back to us having more to do with it than we think. It's the same with our pilots. You know, if these UFOs may not potentially uh, be malevolent, but how our pilots react to them or how they deal with the situation in the moment uh, could be a threat. Like you know, yeah. they could they could set off a world war if you know they shot at one of these things that was just there to be like, hey, we're just checking out. Like we've got the cure for cancer if you want it. But Or you could just blow us up. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting. Right. So here's our last listener question, Reese. I think you'll like this one. If you could visit the location of any UFO flap, sighting, landing, what would it be? What's your dream case other than Rendlesham? I know we just covered yeah. that. If it's Rendlesham, like that's your answer. But yeah, any other dream cases you wish you could be personally involved with? I would love to, and I know there's an expedition uh, that's underway uh, in the planning stages, uh, and that's off the coast, Catalina Island, where there is supposedly a USO base under the sea. I believe there could be something there. The amount of sightings that we have off the coast of uh, California here that seems to be centered around that area, and and I think they're going out uh, with, a, with a research ship. I'm a big fan of research ships uh, from Jacques <laughs> Cousteau and uh, you know the Life Aquatic. I want to be on one of these things. Um, and so I think that's something I'd like to do is to go out to sea. And because I think some of the big answers that we haven't, uh, grasped yet are under the oceans because Mm. what a, what a place to hide. Uh, you know, there's more down there. I think that's a mystery than up in our skies for sure. I think so. And, and, and things are coming out of the sea. That's, and, and when you were out at sea, to any extent away from land, you can see the absolute vastness of the ocean and to, to see a little bloop come out. Um, no one would notice it. You know, a little, these tiny things that might come out to survey to, uh, these, these orbs, these craft, whatever they are, um, a perfect place to hide. And so I wish a lot of money went into, um, creating some sort of, uh, Nemo, uh, type, uh, 
submarine, sub, submersible research craft that could go on top and underneath, um, or both. Um, yeah. And, and, uh, search our oceans, uh, for, for not only Atlantis, but, uh, but the USO bases that might be underneath the seas. That, that would be super cool. Well, hey, full disclosure, man. Um, I am one of the media reps for that expedition you're talking oh, wow. about. So I will uh, put you in touch with those people and hopefully we can get you out to Catalina Island. I mean, you're not that far away if I'm mistaken. Well, I've got the binoculars, man. So, uh. <laughs> Dude, you are ready to go. I'm ready to go. I'll, I'll grab get your scuba my, gear. I get my scuba gear and my drink bottle and uh, my flippers, and I am there, my man. Oh, love it, love it. We're gonna make it happen for sure. Well, wrapping things up here, Reese. Man, thank you so much for all your time. We've been almost going for two hours. I, oh, yeah. I really appreciate this. Um, tell us a little about. You've spoken about it um throughout the interview, but the cryptid factor. You, yeah. uh, I know you're going to be having some exciting stuff going on with that soon. Um, what is the cryptid factor? Who do you do that with? And yeah, give us a little rundown of that. So that is my podcast uh, with Buttons and Dan Schreiber, and it uh, it is about cryptozoology first and foremost. But because the stories, uh, eyewitness reports, and uh, uh, news relating to that subject matter isn't coming in thick and fast every five minutes. <laughs> uh, yeah. We also deal with uh, weekly world weird news, which is one of our big segments. So we uh, talk about anything weird or paranormal that is happening uh, on the earth uh, on a weekly basis. And we, we uh, don't discuss things before we get together. The three of us are in different continents uh, presently. Um, uh, and so like Dan's in the UK, uh, Buttons is in New Zealand. I'm here in, in LA at, at the moment. And we, we get out, we get our, uh, we get our stories and then we surprise each other with the headlines uh-huh. and we, and then we, um, we kind of outdo each other with the spookiness. And then we, we chat about, um, where, where we think these stories are going. And we, and, and first and foremost, um, you know, we have a great laugh and it's entertainment. Um, but we, uh, do what we have done on the aliens like us. And that is, um, hypothesize and, uh, yeah, just try and answer the mysteries of the world. So that, that podcast has been going, uh, since 2008. It actually started on the actual radio in New Zealand. We were on a dance station called George and we were on Saturday mornings. Um, so people would be coming off a high listening to unst unst music all night. And then all of a sudden our theme tune would come on and we'd be discussing Sasquatch and theories and we'd get a lot of people uh, uh, texting us saying, stop encouraging this bullshit. And that kind of became our motto. Uh, so we've been uh, encouraging BS since then. And it went to different radio stations. We got fired from George. We met, we moved to uh, another radio station, a student one, um, and then we moved from that to uh, another uh, another station that was uh, in the middle of a shopping mall. And we were the three of us. Uh, uh, this, this is when Farrier was on the show, uh, would be in this shopping mall with these microphones. People would be walking past with their with their, their bags and stuff and ice creams. And we'd be have our headphones on, you know, talking about UFOs and things. <laughs> It was, it was just, we just love the bizarreness. We have met matching berets and t-shirts that we wear. And it's kind of like, it's kind of like the Ghostbusters on heat. 
Um, and so it's just a lot of fun, but also, yeah, it's a passion. And, and so that podcast, which in itself was a cryptid because we would only be able to do it when we could get to do it. It was sometimes would be once every third week or, uh, and we'd put it up on online and people would go, ah, we've discovered another, another one of your, uh, show. (laughs) Uh, but. But as of lately, we've got back together and it is now weekly. And uh, so it's this is the best we've ever done with it. Um, and I think it's because the world's a bit screwed and we're all kind of, uh, well, we're out of work, let's be honest. And uh, so so that's one positive that's come out of 2020. And so it's on it's on all the networks. Uh, it's on Spotify and uh, it's on SoundCloud and iTunes, I think. And we're trying to and, – and by the way, it's not monetized. It's a complete hobby. Um, so yeah, that, that's where we're at. Um, we've actually tried to turn it into a TV show a couple of times. Um, I think it'd be great. Um, but we, one, one, one of the ones we did, we, we, we did it for discovery and they were like, someone, someone really loved us. And, and then, and then the upper management, when they saw the pilot, they just went, you guys are just mad. What you, no one's going to watch this. And, cause, you know, <laughs> and, and so we kind of took that as a badge of honor as well, because, okay, I guess your audience is not for us. Uh, but it's, you know, um, it really is the, it is the choo-choo train that never stops. Uh, so that's the cryptid factor. Um, awesome, man. Hey, encouraging BS since 2008. There's the t-shirt right there. Yeah. I'm in. Let me know when it's available. But no, I, I've recently started listening to that one as well. I love it. Um, here's another project I'd love to um, to throw to our audience, especially our New Zealand audience. Um, Big in Japan. Can you tell us a little about this? Uh, oh, yeah. What it, yeah. Um, what what brought this project about? And what was your experience like going, um, going over to Japan? My girlfriend lived there twice now. Um, speaks pretty good Japanese, but I am terrified, man. Um, culture shock is not my thing. So what was it like? Yeah. Total culture shock. Uh, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so basically that was, um, a really awesome experience. It came about because of the, uh, supposed 2020 Olympics being held in Japan. Right. So the right. idea was, uh, to make a show for, um, the Australasians, the South Pacific, where I'm from, down under, uh, to give them a little bit of a, a, a culture woohoo about uh, what Japan's like. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I was sent over there on assignment, if you will. Um, and there I was. I'd never been there. Always on the top list of places I want to go. Um, and it usually is for people because it is so different and um, so interesting and so many cool pop culture things come out of Japan that that uh, that uh, encourage and construct really cool things in the Western world that we end up, you know, we, we, we the original ideas uh, are from Japan. Also, I'm a big robot fiend. So it just made sense for me to to be part of this. The other thing I'll say is that it was possibly the last travel show created uh, because I did it this year um, and I was in Japan uh, in January through to uh, mid, mid-February so for five weeks. Um, and, and wow, then right before the world. Yeah. Yeah. COVID struck while I was there. So the last, oh, week, last okay. week and a half, my wife was like, you better get out of there, uh, you know, because I was, there's a, a close part of the world to, to where things were really kicking off. And right. um, so I finished up with it, um, wore a mask heavily in the last week or so, and then and then and then got out, you know. But uh, what a time! Uh, my my kid, uh, my eldest boy Finn, uh, uh, takes Japanese at school, 
He's getting real good with the language, loves the culture. It was very jealous I was over there. So I was uh, I was thinking of him a lot, and I was getting doing him some good groundwork so that I could return there uh, with the family because I know he really wants to go. Um, of course, you know, then the world turned upside down, and then the Olympics didn't even happen. Uh, and so, but we managed to get the show out. So it was called um, Restarby Big in Japan. Uh, it hit the New Zealand uh, television screens, and I believe it's going to Australia next. Uh, where it's just called Restarby in Japan. They've dropped their big. Uh, <laughs> turns out I wasn't so big. Um, Not so uh, big. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was great. You know, I got I got a couple of recognizers there. I was in a, uh, I was in a, a very a geeky part uh, where all these figurines and comics and stuff like that. I go to those places quite a bit. Um, I forget the Japanese word for it. Uh, but uh, I got recognized from the X-Files when I was in this uh, figurine and comic book store. And oh, wow. uh yeah, and so that was really cool. The, the, these uh, Japanese fans were very excited. I saw this rock band uh, that um, the audience was. I, I this can't be right, but I'm thinking it was like ten thousand people in this uh, this audience. Um, it was called uh, was it called Baby like uh, Baby Rock or Baby? Anyway, some of the listeners will know the the name of this this rock band, um, yeah. and. Uh, yeah, I said that was just a couple of these great. Ex- I also trained to be a samurai, um, and I and I uh, created this mascot uh, and and walked around and went to a snow festival, a fire festival. I I really almost clocked Japan in five weeks. It was a fantastic, wow. fantastic trip. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Yeah, they're big on their uh, mascots. There, I've noticed we've got um, Hikonyan, which is the samurai cat, all oh, over yeah. our apartment back in new york city because that was the uh every small prefecture has like their own yeah, mascot right. you know even so cool yeah they call it the yurikara and yeah. uh it's a really cool thing because japanese people are they're kind of shy and there's not this uh, and to their credit they're not touchy-feely which is great in this era but uh yeah, so, but, they do, but they do like they do really connect with uh inanimate uh, objects of of uh, of characters and things, and so mm-hmm. I, I think that was really cool. And a lot of other countries, you know, they they would they would more likely to mock the idea of a of a mascot, or you know, you know what we can tend to be like. You'll 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 push it or something like that. I've been a mascot in New Zealand in a parade where someone's just kicked me. You know, but that sort of stuff would not happen in Japan. It's all hugs and 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 photographs, and it's a really good really good uh, energy to the people over there and a very disciplined culture. So I, I, I really, I really loved it. It sounds like it was a, an amazing experience. And Hey, look, the day will come when we're all able to, to travel again. And fingers I, crossed. Hope, <laughs> fingers crossed. I know, I know if everyone, you know, pulls their weight, but um, man, this has been amazing again, you know, while the world kind of falls apart, there are things to look forward to. And the fact that I got to get you on here today, huge honor. I'm a huge fan of everything you do. Yes. I'm in a fanboy out right now, Sorry, <laughs> but um, the fact that you have these interests only makes you that much cooler in my eyes. And I'm sure oh, many thanks, others. Ryan. So um, yeah, I got to thank you for coming on. Is there anywhere that our listeners can, uh, find you on your social media to uh, ask you some more questions. Uh, yeah, I'm on, I'm on Twitter. Uh, I don't do it much at the moment. Uh, the last few things I've been doing on it is just, to, I've, I've discovered what I, what I, what I want to do with it. And that's just put out little poems every now and again, just to uh, make people smile or whatever. Cause I don't like to have opinions on things or whatever. There's enough of that going on. And a lot of Twitter is negative. I'm also on um, uh, uh, Facebook. I have a fan site on that. You can just 
find me there um and instagram as well so it's it's normally either uh, it's r-h-y-s-i-e-d-a-r-b-y reese darby is one of the one of the hooks i go with other than that you know google me find me and uh if i'm if i'm if i'm uh if I'm not working out on the Peloton or writing jokes, I'll uh, I'll answer you. Nice, <laughs> hey. Keep fit, man. Hey, look, there's the cryptid factor symbol at the back there. See? Oh, love it. That's so cool. I can't. There, oh, there it is. So That's yeah, we'll have to get you in aliens like us one made next. But um, dude, again, thank you so much for coming on somewhere in the skies today, and uh, we'll talk soon. Yeah, man, and thank you. Keep up the good work. Uh, Great show, and uh, keep fighting the good fight. I'm with you all the way. The Somewhere in the Skies podcast is free to listen to every week, but if you would like to help support the show, we have a very active Patreon page where you give what you think the show is worth. In return, you'll get early access to the main show, bonus episodes, and priority to ask our guests your listener questions. Your support truly makes the show continue and grow. So, to learn more and to join, visit patreon.com slash somewhere skies. So the connections both in Hollywood and in the UFO subculture have always been ridiculous. And that pretty much sums up how I connected with today's guest. I was researching Roswell for a television special I was hosting. And in my deep dive, I came across an awesome segment by today's guest on Comedy Central. Highly entertaining show he was on called Drunk History. And I did what every podcast host does. I bombarded our guest on his social networks. And he was kind enough to answer me back. And then I saw he knew my good friends Greg Bishop and Tim Banal, who I know are probably listening. So I learned that his UFO knowledge was much more comprehensive than just Roswell. So I'd love to take a deep dive today with him and also talk all about his awesome new podcast that he's a part of called Voyage to the Stars. So Steve Berg, thank you so much for joining me today on Somewhere in the Skies. Why, thank you for having me on, young man. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I know we were talking off air for a little while here, so I know this is going to be a super fun one, and that's what I have been striving for with Somewhere in the Skies is, you know, we have times, dates, the history of UFOs, but dude, we're just going to deep dive today. Good! That's where I'd like to live, deep, deep, deep under the water. (laughs) Awesome. So, uh, well, let's start with, you know, the origin story. How did you get interested in UFOs to begin with? Well, that is a great question. You know, like, the exact... I don't remember a moment... Like, I, I remember this, so... When I was, I think, four or five years old, my mom took me to get a library card. And this is kind of more her story. She remembers it more than I do. But she told me, you know, check out as many books as you want. And so I looked around, and I was like four or five. probably really couldn't even read that well by then, if I even could. But I came back with a book about magic and a book about UFOs. And from that point on, I I was was (laughs) obsessed with getting, like, these – my library had this, like, Billy Myers picture book. Oh, nice. And for me, as a young kid, I was like, oh, my God, those are real. I can't believe this. Why isn't anyone talking about this? Like, <laughs> So, honestly, my kind of gateway drug into UFOs was Billy Myers picture books when I was really, really little. Yeah, but I kind of, like, thought about this deeply. Like, I'm like, why did I get into UFOs? I, ne- you know, never didn't have an experience or anything like that. I've never seen anything. 
but I think I might, I grew up in a family with, with like no religion. Like I never went to church at all. I mean, we celebrated, you know, the holidays, but like not really. Uh, and I think maybe I got into UFOs because I was like looking for something as almost as a religion replacement. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, like that's that's doing like a deep dive, like almost like doing self uh, reflective therapy on myself. But oh, uh, absolutely, man. I mean, <laughs> UFOs—they yeah. are a belief system in many different oh, yeah. ways. So. And as a kid, I just like would believe everything and anything just because I wanted to, and it was so fun. Yeah, but that's kind of you know I didn't. It, it, it's, it's a pretty generic uh, way in. I. Just, I, I thought it was something that, like, I'm, I couldn't believe that not everyone was interested in uh, <laughs> as a kid. It kind of continued to feel that way, to be honest. So, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. How, how boring, Steve. God, you weren't abducted yeah. when you were 10 years old. I Come know. on, man. No, not that I know of. Maybe I was. It'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, man. It sounds awesome. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, yeah. That's pretty cool, man. Like, I, I was sort of the same way. I did have sort of a initiation experience as a, as a young boy, but, um, I did the same thing. I went that deep dive into my public library. I, um, I ended up keeping most of the books and they never got them back. So, me too. That's what I would do. I was actually, so funny. A lot of my books are from the Omaha Public Library. Okay. Okay. I just never returned to my, probably, my poor mom probably had to. Pay a hefty fine for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I know. I feel like I probably own the uh, library by now with how much I I (laughs) owe them. But, um, well, that's pretty cool, man. I I love hearing how people got into this. And everyone comes at it from a different angle. And um, like I mentioned in the intro, I saw you on... Um, I've seen you, I should say, mm-hmm. in TV and movies and right. everything. And I was really surprised when I saw you pop up on a show my girlfriend and I religiously watch, Drunk History. And you covered right. a case. You covered the case, the right. seminal case in ufology, Roswell. And, you know, I had my brush with that recently with the case going out to the actual crash site, going to the Roswell Daily Record, and right. uh, meeting Jesse Marcel's granddaughter, which was awesome. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, man. Like, we, we, really, we really tried to strive to do something new and get stories out there. And I'll be honest, you know, when I was approached to do this... Uh, television special i i didn't want to do it i i, I was like right. roswell what the hell is left to say about roswell what, uh, what yeah can I that's say the challenge <laughs> yeah man so i mean but coming out on the other side of it after doing it my mind was completely changed on the entire incident so i want to ask you having covered Ooh, it on tv and um researching it and everything yeah um what are your personal thoughts on the roswell well case? you know i mean that's interesting your your how you said your uh mind was changed on it after doing a deep dive into it because like i feel like the more i've learned about roswell i guess for the last 20 years mm-hmm. the further away i get away from thinking that there was any kind of non-human intelligence involved mm. but you know and, and, but that I, I don't, you know, like I, I just—it's so hard, you know. It, it, it's such a tough uh, case, I think, to really like draw any kind of like conclusion on because while I would say that you know it's hard, it's almost impossible to rule out any kind of terrestrial origin of it, unless there's something I don't know. Um, but I mean, obviously, it's an interesting case because it's kind of like the—it's really one of the you know cornerstones of the UFO mythology of the 20th century and. So that, you know, whether whether or not anything happened there, it is an important case because it's such a big thing in UFO, UFO pop culture. It's almost like kind of like 
you know, I, 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 you can probably obviously tell I just read Diana Walsh's, Walsh Basilko's book, you know? Because yeah, yeah. I, I, so many of the things that she talks about uh, just really resonated with me in terms of, just, you know, like whether or not something's true, it doesn't matter, you know, it doesn't make it any less important. Just kind of like creating like new mythologies, kind of that a whole Carl Jung type thing, like where it doesn't matter if it's true. Enough people believe this and maybe we're making it true, you know? Like it's uh, right. I know I kind of maybe drifted a little away from uh, Roswell, but, you know, in terms of doing it for drunk history, uh, I'll just explain, like, how that came about. I I had done a couple of the narrations and done some of the reenactments. Derek Waters is an old friend of mine. We used to – we both started out at Second City in Los Angeles doing sketch. And so we met there and just became, you know, great friends. And, uh, you know, when that show – he got that show, he just, you know, asked me to be a part of it. So I was like, absolutely. I can drink beer and be on TV. It sounds (laughs) It doesn't uh, take much convincing, yeah. No, it doesn't. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of started begging him from the beginning. I'm like, oh, dude, let me do a, some kind of UFO episode. And he's like, yeah, it's kind of hard because there's not really a conclusion. <laughs> and I'm like, good point, you know. Yeah. And then uh, they were doing an episode specifically on the state of New Mexico. The one season they were kind of focusing on regions and states. And so I was like, Derek, Roswell, dude, I know there's no conclusion but let me do it. He's like, dude, fine. And he, you know, they ended up loving the episode. It was actually kind of like a popular segment for him. But yeah, it was fun to do. And I kind of came to the conclusion like that like Project Mogul seemed like the most likely explanation okay. for me. Okay. Which is not popular. I got like actually some shit for that, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's just impossible to say what the fuck happened. Oop, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, dude, no, we, we're all about the fuck. Okay, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Fuck all it's, you want. Fuck all I want. All right. So yeah, but it's you know obviously a very important case. Whether you're into Roswell or not, you can't deny its importance. Well, yeah. I I will I will admit here, and I even brought this up in the our. Our investigation. I, I I tend to err on the side of uh, human when when it comes to Roswell. Right. I would agree with you that I think it was some sort of top secret project. Uh, mm-hmm. My investigative partner and I sort of came to the conclusion that there was most definitely a cover up. You can't deny that. Yes, no, there definitely sort. was. I mean, yeah. even with the press release that was. Absolutely. They were being very unclear and weird about it. So that makes it interesting, too, you know? <laughs> they, they they spoke more with the cover-up than, you know, than anything else. I in agree. In terms of, you know, retracting the story the, the day after. But um, we it was really interesting, man. When we were off camera, we were getting ready to go to another location. Uh, this dude, this local in Roswell comes up to us. He's like, what are you guys doing? And obviously, you know, like we're filming. He's like, oh, I wonder what it's about. Um, yeah. <laughs> so he goes on to uh, goes on to tell us, you know, my my relatives worked at the 509th Bomb Group, and uh, they Ooh. they told me the stories about what happened there. And he went on to tell us one of the most like disturbing stories ever, which kind of related back to all the work Annie Jacobson had done, and all these Ooh. stories about like high-altitude balloon experiments where they were sending children up in these things, you know, oh, discarded God. children, um, oh, disabled geez. children, super dark, man. And, you know, they were seeing how high they could get these these humans into the air before, like, 
bad shit started to happen. So <sighs> for so us, dark. man, it, it's so dark and it's way more disturbing than a UFO cover up. Yeah. Um, so mm-hmm. we, we didn't even go there in the special, but it's kind of what we, we alluded to at the end of our thing is there's wow. so much more to look into. This could be way more disturbing than any of us thought. And, and maybe that's what they wanted all along. Let the public think it was aliens. Meanwhile, we're going to kill all these kids that no one cares about and, Jeez. and start the space race. It's, it's insane. It's insane. That is really insane. It, you know, it almost reminds me of, and I never read the book, but I've read, you know, I, uh, Nick Redfern wrote a book about Roswell. Yes. That I've, was very controversial and very, people you know, were like mad about it. But is that sort of what the, his theory, wasn't that kind of his theory that they were doing like testing on like, you know. Yeah, it was um, Japanese POWs. Right. And like, oh, he got a lot of flack for that. But I'm telling you, as soon as we got to Roswell and we spoke to several locals, they all sort of had similar stories to tell now whether it was the japanese or um you know just runaways or um unfortunately like mentally disabled and physically disabled people that community you know society sort of shuns aside um it's 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 disgusting if any of it's true but oh yeah welcome to the world of conspiracies (laughs) (laughs) oh we're deep in it (laughs) God. Well, you know, sort of sort of um connecting to Roswell. Yeah. Steve, I got to ask you. We lost Stanton Friedman recently. Mm. You know, the guy who basically brought Roswell to the public. So, Absolutely. did you did you follow any of Stanton Friedman's work and what did it mean to you if you did? Well, I mean, yes. I mean, I, I don't think you can, uh, you know, be a saucer buff and not have been influenced by Stanton Friedman either directly or indirectly. Yeah. Uh, as as a kid, he was, you know, for me, the face of ufology, I guess, if you know, if you will, like, because he was the one who was on like the legitimate, you know, he he was seen like the you know unanointed spokesperson for ufology in like the eighties and nineties, kind of when I was a kid growing up, because he would be the one on Larry King eloquently speaking about the topic, and also kind of had you know he had a background to to prove it. He was a you know nuclear physicist, Stanford, a lot, a lot, a lot, you know, but like. He, Stan Friedman was the guy, man, you know, like he really was. And I think sort of at a certain point in my, you know, UFO uh, personal, you know, like looking into the topic, I maybe stopped caring about some of the stuff he was talking about, like in terms of like, you know, the government, like government and UFO stuff is like, while it's interesting to me, is not that important to me because I – I actually tend to believe that the government <laughs> maybe has more evidence of this stuff, but has no clue what it is. <laughs> like I, I really believe that for some reason. I feel like I, I need to be proved wrong on that until I would think anything else. But uh, yeah, Stan Freeman is a you know larger in life luminary of the, of the field. Man, I, I love the guy. Actually, the only run in I ever had, and I was a, I was a kid, probably thirteen or fourteen, at a UFO convention in Lincoln, Nebraska. And Stanton was kind of like, you know, the, the big, he was the big closer of like the week, the weekend, you know, and I'm like, I'm going to see Stan Freeman. So my mom dropped me off like an hour away from Omaha where I'm from in Lincoln, Nebraska. And I spent the, you know, spent a couple of days and going to these lectures and I, I was just floored. It was incredible. But I remember waiting in a long line to, you know, it, it was like a book signing for Stan Freeman and I, I didn't have a book, but I just wanted to wait in line and like shake his hand. And so I get in the line and shake his hand and he's like, what? No book? And I'm like, no. <laughs> And he goes, next. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so, like, disappointed. I was like, eh, sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm 
kid. <laughs> but oh, I, man, I, that's know, I, I think you know. But he like it sounded like from what I heard, like he he went out doing what he loves, man. Like there's no, you know, like he was like literally like on tour or like going to yeah. a speaking or something like that. I mean, that's how I want to go, you know, like doing what I love, but still still having passion inside me. And uh, yeah, man, I think he, that that's a life well lived. I, I, I would have to agree, man. I mean, like you said, like, he sort of preached the same thing for over 50 years, but, like, there was something to it. And, yeah, you know, it's important what he was saying, but, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he had his little sound bites. So, yeah, he was the one they would put on TV because he knew how to work the media. And he knew That's- how to, like, make the most of the time he was given to talk legitimately about UFOs. So, you know, we Absolutely. have so much to thank him for in terms of that, I feel. No, hundred percent. I mean, I I use the term "gray basket" for like things all the time. <laughs> gray basket. I was actually yeah. I was actually talking to one of my managers about setting up a couple of ideas I was working on, and she was asking me about one of my ideas. I go, I just kind of t- toss it one of the gray basket for now. <laughs> <laughs> I love <laughs> that. She has no idea what, what that's referring to, but yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, what's that other one he had? Noisy negativists. I yeah, think it was noisy negativists. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a couple, man. He's got a couple like buzzwords that are pretty great. But I mean, how? Like, I feel like that's gonna catch on like right now because I mean, we're just swimming in a world of noisy negatives, neg- negativists right now. Uh, yeah, I know, man. Dark times. <laughs> Stan Friedman knew more about the world than just UFOs. So yes, he did. Yes, he did. <laughs> but like you said, he went out doing what he loved. He was on his way home from giving a UFO lecture. So what else? What more can you ask for? I mean, I think that's, I think it's kind of beautiful. Obviously, you know, like maybe his family would have preferred to be around him, but like, I'm sure they were like, you know, he was doing what he loved. I mean, what more can you ask for? You know? Yeah. Well, getting back to, you know, some of your, um, your, your brush with all these UFOs and Hollywood and everything, man, this is a bit more on the paranormal side. Um, and I know it's a little, uh, it's a little sordid history for you, but I have to ask Skinwalker Ranch, the film that you've done, um, found footage film. Is there anything you're willing to share with us about your research into into Skinwalker and the process on that project? I well, you know, like a lot of especially independent movies where you're getting, um, you know, when you're, you're kind of like somewhat at the with any look with anything in Hollywood, you're sort of at the end of the day, someone at the mercy of who is giving you money to do this. Yep. <laughs> you know? I'm so well aware. <laughs> I, uh, you know, live my life as this kind of like idealist, you know, uh, I, I still think Hollywood can be about art and, you know, like doing something exactly what you want, but uh, <laughs> you're not paying for it. It doesn't turn out that way most of the time. Yeah. Anyway, it, but, so I, I had gotten fascinated with uh, the Skinwalker Ranch. I think maybe hearing George Knapp talk about it on a show mm-hmm. on one of his, it, it wasn't with Art Bell probably at the time, but Either it was what you know he was hosting the show, but anyways, he did uh, this show years ago, probably ten years ago now, about Skinwalker Ranch, and I was like, just holy shit, captivated. And I remember going out and getting the his you know book about Skinwalker Ranch and reading it in one sitting, mm-hmm. and then like reading it the next next week. And I had just done this indie movie that was shot in Utah, and it was a really it was a fun little movie. And uh, so I kind of became you know buddies with the guy who financed it, the executive producer, and I pitched him this idea. My friend, uh, well, not I, not myself, this uh, Devin McGinn, who was my partner uh, in this project, and, and he did you know most of the directing of it. He really, I, I was kind of just more of a quality control guy in the set. But uh, 
we pitched him this idea literally just in a, on a car ride. We had no material. And he was like, I love it. I'll give you guys this much money to do it. And we're like, what? And he was like, so serious, like set up an account for us, like started paying us to develop it. And we're like, oh my God, I can't <laughs> believe that was easy, you know? Yeah. But I mean, it was such, I, we felt like it was such a good idea and we had kind of a way in, you know, I, we, my pitch was, it was kind of like a more of a psychological thriller, not a horror movie. It was not intended to be a found footage movie for, you know, it was more like poltergeist set on a ranch, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm like how, I'm like, to me, that sounds really good. More of a psychological movie, you know, but, uh, you know, the, that when it was coming out, the found footage trend was uh, reemerging in a big way. So we, at the last second, kind of got pressured to turn it into a found footage movie. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. That's life, Yeah, that's Hollywood life. You know, like, I don't, like, hate it or, like, shun away from it. It's just not the movie I intend tended to be a part of. You know what I mean? Like, it, it was just, it, I look back at it and say, like, hey, it was a job. I made some money. Moving on. Exactly. You know, like. Yeah, I was going to say, you got to research Skinwalker Ranch, which hadn't really been done that much at that time, you know? Not really, yeah. No, I mean, I did, dude. I mean, like, I still love Skinwalker Ranch. I think about it all the time. I always, I'm always, like, trying to convince my wife, like, on our next vacation, hey, what if we took a road trip through Utah? Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I don't know. It doesn't sound great to me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but eventually I do what I, you know, I actually have a couple buddies who are, like, you know, mildly interested in this stuff, and I'm trying to convince them to take a road trip with me there and, like, camp, and I love fly fishing. So I'm like, well, fly fish on the way, man. It'll be great. You know? <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, but, yeah, it's still a pilgrimage I need to make. I, I used to at least get a hotel, like, at, in Gorm and stay there and just, like, bullshit with locals and you know drink beer to hockey talk so this sounds fun to me it sounds awesome and did you did you happen to see that recent documentary on skinwalker ranch oh yeah 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 i saw it as soon as it was available the um the uh i can't remember his name uh he's got a long jeremy lockerby corbell's yes. film yes. yeah 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 no i watched that in area 51 and Look, I mean, because here's what I will say. I felt very gratified to see like more pictures of the property and some. Um, but I feel like I don't, you know, without saying anything like, you know, like, you know, I don't want to like rip it apart because any effort to do something about Skinwalker Ranch, I applaud. But uh, it, 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 I think it, it left a little something to be desired for me. It, it might, I think it's just his style of. Uh, directing and maybe crafting a documentary is not for me. You know, a lot of people have said that, and Jeremy's a, a friend of the show, And um, but you know, when you make films, like, it is out there for the public to either rip apart yes. or praise, and you yeah. know, I think he's still finding his footing, he's getting his voice out there, but at the end of the day, like you said, how do you, how do you cover Skinwalker Ranch in like an hour and a half? It's I mean, impossible. It's an impossible task. That's why, like, I say, like, I applaud him. Like, I, I love that that dude's out there doing what he's doing. Like, I will, I'll, like, and, you know, like, I know he's sort of a polarizing figure, and that's fine. You know, like, that almost makes him more interesting to me. But, uh, yeah, it's really, like, I, and that's what I kind of thought when I was going to watch it. My expect, I kept my expectations somewhat low because I'm like, how do you really cover something that really isn't documented that we know of? I mean, maybe there's like, you know, secret videos and secret pictures and stuff like that. But, you know, it's, you know, like, it, it, I don't know. It's, I feel like it's an impossible task. Yeah, I enjoyed it. I, I've watched it twice. So it's not like I didn't <laughs> like it, you know, like I would not go back a second time. But I, I just to be able to see more pictures of the actual property to me was 
so I felt so it felt so good, <laughs> you know, because like I could look at the just like mundane pictures of that property all day. Like for some reason, it just excites me. To totally, no end. Man. Well, I feel the same way about the Area 51. The Bob Lazar film he did, too. Yeah. Is, you know, I, I've always been very on the fence about Bob Lazar. And I went yeah, to the be- uh, the L.A. premiere of that one. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna, I'll tell you right now, man, like I left definitely like a little changed feeling more like I believed Bob Lazar, at least that he saw what he says he saw. Now, whether or not that was all bullshit or disinformation, like I'm completely open to that, but I left being like, holy shit. Like I, I, I actually believe this dude. Yeah. I don't know. It's tough. It's no, look, I, I actually, if, if, you know, if you had to, if I had to make a choice, I agree with you. I think you said something very important. The whole thing that I believe that he believes what he's saying and what he believes. You know, I believe that he believes what he saw. And I think that is very powerful. It's the same thing with, like, Whitley Strieber. It's like he has no real evidence. But I believe that Whitley Strieber experienced what he thinks he experienced. It, whether or not it was actually what it was, who knows? But, you know, like, so I, mean, I feel like you had you kind of hit the nail on the head. That that what you just said, I think, applies to a lot in this field. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is the mantra. I believe it, they it believe this. <laughs> I, yeah, and, and that's important. You're really important, actually, you know? So that that's, it's you know, it goes, I mean, I'm not trying to tangentialize too much, but that's kind of that, you know, it's like almost Jacques Vallée-ish. It just goes back to the whole thing where he said, he, he you know, he believes this topic is way more complex than aliens coming from another planet, you know? And it, I don't know. I feel like the more and more you look into this stuff, and then the more and more you read Jacques Vallée, you're like, how how do you not subscribe to a lot of what he's saying? You know, right? right. And dude, I mean, there are nuts and bolts ufologists out there, and that's we need that. Like that's the yeah. stuff that's going to make it to the mainstream. Data, yes. radar, um, trace yeah. evidence, and that's awesome. And it's like yeah. we need it. But at the end of the day, like I'm the kind of guy who. I want to interview witnesses and get their testimony. And sometimes that's all we have to rely on. Yep. But I think these stories are very important. You know, I really do. And and I agree with you. Like I, I am probably, I'm more turned on by listening to experiencers, contactees, or people who have even secondhand knowledge of high strangeness. Mm -hmm. I I will always be interested in, in people's stories. Will I always be interested in like, the Navy's involvement in the Tic Tac incident? I mean, you know, like, it's I, frankly, it's, I find it all very boring. <laughs> you know, like, okay. you know, not, I don't know if, that's, if you want to get into all that, but like, I follow it, sure, but like, you know, almost at an arm's length a little bit, just because I feel like it's, I find so much redundancy in all this stuff, and I don't understand why people are so excited right now. I, 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 I understand. The fact that, like, Washington Post is, like, writing articles. That, I will agree, of course, is exciting whenever, like, a mainstream uh, media sort of like that covers it, you know? But let's, it's, yeah, uh, let's, uh, let's touch on that, Steve, because actually, sure. you know, that that is what is in the zeitgeist right now. And, you know, we have this new show coming out by Tom DeLong to the Stars Academy. Yeah, I and, said like, my just before we get on nice nice hell yeah man. it's it's a good show i've seen the first episode um but that being said like there's no arguing that what these dudes are doing and how the mainstream media is covering ufos right now is 
it's big and it's it's out mm-hmm. there unlike it's ever been before. So I right. mean, not getting too deep into to the stars or the navy or anything like that. Right. Um, what do you think about this being a new sort of era of disclosure? I mean, my fucking parents are texting yep. me, being like, "Oh, we're gonna watch that show tonight." Oh, your aunt's coming over. Like they can't believe this. Like, oh, they're yeah. just on Good Morning America. Like it's yeah. crazy the amount of attention this is getting right now. And is this all a marketing ploy for this TV show or? Yeah, I think it is. Do you? Okay. <laughs> oh, I do. I do. I mean, like, just knowing how uh, Hollywood likes to market. And look, at the end of the day, you know, History Channel doesn't give a shit if they're disclosing real information. They care about numbers and ratings and how much they can charge for ad dollars. Yeah. So the more they market this, the more they give money. I mean, it's just like when you do, when, you know, when I, when I do, even like my podcast, I'm on, they send me out to do press before it even comes out. So this, you can look at it as like, look, I, I don't think uh, Jimmy Kimmel or Stephen Colbert is that interested in having people from that that show to be on, you know, so they have to market it somehow. So to market it as kind of like this, like, I mean, I'm not trying to like, you know, this sounds like I'm trying to like, you know, take the air out of the tires. But uh, I do believe that this is, I mean, if you, if you don't believe this is marketing, then I, I don't. I don't think maybe you understand how <laughs> how TV works. This is definitely, I mean, it's definitely, you can see this is their marketing campaign before the show comes out. And that's fine. And, like, it's really cool that, like, Good Morning America is taking an interest in this stuff. Yeah. But I just have to go back to one thing that I think is really funny is that, you know, so many people in the UFO community for years and years and years have been like, never trust the government. Never trust a word they say. They're lying to us about UFOs and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And now when the government comes out and tells them that, yes, UFOs are real and this is, how, you know, this is what it is, everyone's like, absolutely, the government's right. We totally believe that. <laughs> it's, I find it so hilarious. It's so funny to me. Oh, man. The it, irony. Like a, well, yeah. And then in like the Tic Tac video, you know, I remember seeing that 10 years ago. It's not. Really? It's not. Oh, the Tic video came out, like, it was released a long time ago, like, in 2010. Yeah, I mean, I've heard I've heard rumblings of that, and people have seen it. I personally had no knowledge of it. Um, but again, like, I wasn't really chasing UFOs that closely back then, but that's interesting. So you knew about the Tic Tac event much, much I, earlier? I, you know, yeah, all it looked like to me at the time when I saw it, I was like, yeah, that looks like some uh, radar footage of an airplane, you know, cool of a little thing that, you know, is flying around. So it, it wasn't that exciting then, but it, I guess it got more exciting when you heard the story behind it and you heard some of the testimony and they started talking about it, how it was like going in and out of the water and all that stuff. That is all I'm not. Yeah. I find that stuff interesting too, but I'm just a little like skeptical of, how all this is being rolled out. I feel like to buy this whole cloth and just like buy into this whole situation is a little weird, especially when an entertainment production company is the one, you know, like I'm not trying to disparage it. Like good for, I'm glad this is all happening, but you know, I think a lot of my friends and you like, yeah, like you too, because everyone, you know, a lot of people who know me, you know, for more than two days know I'm into this stuff. So people are like, dude, what about all this stuff? They're forwarding me there. I'm like, yeah, it's cool, man. You know, I guess. (laughs) It's, like I found the Chicago O'Hare incident way more exciting than oh, totally. all this all this stuff to be honest. So totally, man. Well, you, that's, you make a good point too. Like we have to, we gotta remain level headed when it comes to this. There's people who are 
super, super pro Tom DeLonge and to the stars. And, and then you have the people on the complete opposite side saying like, oh, this is all just a whole disinformation campaign all over again. We've seen this, you know, throughout the decades in UFO. Some Rick Doty stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I'm kind of still somewhere in the middle. I applaud the efforts. Um, I think it, it's making UFOs cool. And dude, yeah. like you and I both know how long we've strived for oh, the UFOs buddy. to be cool. <laughs> it's been an albatross around my neck. Give me, you know me, like like shows I've, I've spent time developing and pitching about like UFOs and paranormal and all this stuff. Yeah, it, it, it's a tough road. But I feel like now, oh my god, it's now it's my time. I have a chance. <laughs> Let me. Well, that's actually my next question, man. Yeah. Um, I know for a fact there are a ton of UFO shows coming out after this uh, History Channel thing. You know, I, I'm guilty. I'm part of one of them. But yeah. I, I got to ask you, in pitching these UFO shows to networks mm-hmm. and um, all that, what kind of UFO show would you want to work on or watch on TV, I guess? is um, Well, mine would be more of something where it's not about like finding the truth, but it's more about the, the people and the characters. I'm really fascinated with um, 1980s UFO culture, <laughs> you know, because <laughs> I think it was such the wild west. And I didn't really experience it, but I, you know, like read Jacques Vallée's like um, his journal book journals about the 80s and like, uh, you know, just like all the William Moore stuff going on, the Benoit stuff going on. It was like. Such a, I, I, I would feel like a TV show based off Greg Bishop's book, Project Beta. Oh, is, God, yeah. It's the show I want to make. Like, I talked to Greg about it multiple times, but I, I either want to make that into a movie or a hour-long com- sort of like not comedic comedy show, but like a, sort of a dramedy. Because yeah. I feel like a lot of this UFO stuff, especially with the people and just the culture of it, is absolutely hilarious. Totally. Not in a way of making fun of people or their beliefs. It's just – it's just that, you know, like I, I remember hearing one story about Adam Gorightly in one of his books, Happy Trails to High Strangeness, wrote that he went to like some like weird UFO conference in Nevada. And one of the UFO, I think Jordan Maxwell <laughs> was selling rotisserie, rotisserie chickens like before. <laughs> and I'm, I'm like, that is what I want to make a TV show about. <laughs> you know? like, when I read that, I'm like, nothing's funnier to me. Nothing's funnier to me. <laughs> like, you know, I would probably want to do something that was a little bit light and funny because like, I don't really want to try to compete with like all the, the you know, the serious like X-Files, like governments, you know, hiding secrets from you. That type of stuff is becoming a little boring to me, I guess, my old age. Yeah, it was my dream. I would do a Project Beta, the TV show. <laughs> that is like a pitch that so many people can get behind. I thought that for so many years after I read yeah. it the first time. I'm like, holy shit, this is a movie. This is a movie right here. It, it, it is. It's a movie. I didn't even think you could stretch it out to six seasons of TV. You know, like, you know, I have to, like, take some liberties with, you know, some narratives and stuff like that. But just to base it off Project Beta and then, you know, kind of tangentialize and go off from there. Oh, what a great palette to work from. Absolutely. Well, let me get your opinion on this. Are you uh, are you pro or anti Project Blue Book, this history television show? I tried to watch. It just wasn't for me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it, that's another one where I'm like, all right, they're they're making Heineck this serious, like, staunch believer and like almost like an action hero. Means meanwhile, you've got this rich history of the guy who literally on the way to 
going to investigate a case as it's happening, his car breaks down with his other like government officials. So they're waiting for another government car to show up. And Hynek is like, fuck you guys. He hitchhikes like 50 miles to the site where it happened. (laughs) And he gets there before everyone else to investigate, be the first one on site. And that's the kind of shit I want to see, man. Yep. Yep. Dude, I'm, I'm with you on that. I think they kind of, uh, they had a huge opportunity with a show like this. And, and sometimes I feel what happens is they get these great opportunities or someone has a great idea and then they hire a writing staff that has no interest in this topic at all. Yeah. And so they're just going to tell a very surface story. It's it's so true, man. I had David O'Leary, the head writer, the creator, I should say, on the show when uh, the first episode aired. And right. you can tell this guy is so passionate and trying to do so much justice to Heineck and he right. knows his stuff. My God. Uh, oh, but like you said, man, once the execs get involved in these, yeah. these people who have no history with the topic or, or care whatsoever about, you know, this niche right. UFO community, it, it's, it's gotta be tough. I can't imagine the struggle that yeah. O'Leary's going through right now with the pressure oh, of yeah. a season two, you know? It, it would be – it's very tough because so much of the stuff of the UFO topic that I love, I think to an outside audience would be considered mundane. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like the idea of like Heineck hitchhiking. I would love that. You would love that. But I, the execs, they'd be like, why? No, that takes five pages of the script. <laughs> Cut that. You know? Like, so it's, it's like honestly a lot of the good like nuggets I bet that this guy wants to tell he just have, he's struggling up against. You know? But again, like I like that it's out there. You know? It's just not really probably – I think you know, when, when a UFO show comes out, they really try to target – people on a on a, like almost like a one-on-one level yes. if it was a college course we are i mean not to be like you know this is nothing to brag about it's maybe uh something to not brag about because i may, you know potentially maybe wasted a lot of my time looking at this <laughs> stuff but uh we're at a master's level you know what i'm saying like so the stuff i'm gonna want to see is probably not what 98 percent of, of you know people want, would want yeah. who, who would watch this show that's what I say about even like Project Beta. Like I want to make a Project Beta TV show. I don't know. I think it would be a tough pitch. People would be like, see, you want to make about UFO culture in the 80s? Excuse okay. me, what? What? Where are the aliens? Like, there's no aliens. And they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> it's so true, man. Like well, yeah. I got ripped apart for my Roswell special just because all these UFO vets are like, this is everything we already knew. And I kept telling them, Guys, this is the CW. These yes. are like 14-year-old girls watching this. They have yes. never heard of Roswell. So it really yeah. – I understand marketing and yeah. demographics when it comes it's to – It's a business at the end of the day. It's a yeah. business, yeah. So yeah. like you got you to gotta realize when it's, when it's straight-up television and when it's like uh, a documentary. They're completely different right. things. So yeah, I, right. I totally it's, agree with you. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sort of like I can't really talk about it too much. Not that it's like – should be secretive, but it's just like because I, I really shouldn't. But I'm, I am, I am myself developing a half hour sort of doc series on the UFO topic and other weirdness. But um, it it, it is an uphill battle because you know, like I have to, I'm trying to make a show that I think people can find humorous, interesting, and then my goal is to have like people like you and Great Bishop and Tim Benall say that's a good show. Cool. Cool. Well, but you know, that I'll is be there, such man. a hard balance, man. <laughs> it is. It's like it's it's like almost the hardest thing I've ever tried to like develop. To be honest with you, so but if I, I you know I hope hopefully I get a chance to at least shoot a pilot. So cool. You know. 
Well, you know we're all in your corner, uh, for oh, sure. Uh, <laughs> well, look, going back to the UFO community, Steve, um, you know, we've heard some of the most incredible stories, and uh, some are just borderline crazy. Like, let's yeah. let's be honest here. I, and I love them. And I love them. I love them, crazy. too, man. And that's why we love this field. And the, yes. they come from people telling them uh, who... I don't I, – I hate singling people out or alienating people, but they gain these huge followings, almost like a cult-like mentality. So why do you – Maybe someone like, <clears throat> Corey Good. <laughs> okay, you said it. I didn't say it. Yeah, I didn't say it. But why do you think that is, man? Do you think there's like a place for people like this in the quote-unquote UFO community? Absolutely. Now, I would – when you said – we started even saying this, I looked over my bookshelf and I saw – and this is a synchronicity. But – uh Messengers of Deception, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite books about the UFO topic, really lays out, like, really lays out. It's almost predicting people like Corey Good and and uh, David Wilcock, and I'm I'm not judging them. They're doing what they're doing, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But they they have taken this angle of not we're not UFO researchers, people who know the truth. And if you listen to us, you are going to find out what the truth is. And that is basically sort of the same thing as a cult leader or any, you know, every religion started as a, as a cult. You know, even Catholicism, it was all a cult. You know, originally it was probably just eight dudes going, hey, how do we control people? Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, uh, and I, I, I largely feel like if you read, if God, Messengers of Deception is such an important book to reread right now. I can't even say that enough. But Jacques Vallée warns about these types of people coming into this field and, you know, co-opting the UFO topic into a metaphysical, I've got the answer, listen to me, you know, if you give me, you know, $20 or something like this, I'll tell you more. <laughs> I mean, it really is, you know, like, uh, and so, I, I mean, I find all that stuff deeply fascinating, too, that, you know, people's, like, just need to believe in something incredibly sensational, you know, like in, so UFOs as religion is definitely a thing in my eyes, Yeah, you know, it really is. It, it's, and it's a new religion. And Carl Jung, he wrote, you know, what's it, I read his book that he wrote about UFOs towards the end of his life. I can't remember the title, but he talks about this, you know, like this is a mythology for the 20th century. So it's, Really fascinating because I feel like a lot, you know, not a lot of these guys, but, you know, a handful of, and it's usually always white men, of course, who are (laughs) like these types of UFO, like culty luminaries. But, uh, yeah, I think like, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's funny to me to watch it. That's another good TV show idea too. Absolutely. (laughs) Like a a Corey Good type guy. (laughs) But uh, I mean, like, honestly, like, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of all ridiculous but i for some reason i like that it's in the field it's funny to me it it kind of keeps me compelled i check in with what those guys are doing every once in a while i like the weird stuff man (laughs) i can tell man but you're you're so right the the ufo uh lore mythology or feel i don't know what the fuck to call it anymore that being said um it repeats itself over and over again. You have the contactees, you have the abductees in the 80s and 90s. Now we have these dudes claiming, you know, they were working with Obama on Mars in a secret soldier program. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you know what, Ryan? It's like, it goes back even further than that. When you read, when you read, you know, the works of Valet and stuff like Passport to Magonia, it's like these patterns of like, you know, abductees, contactees, and it's undeniable when you read the work of L.A. that this stuff has been going on for a long, long time, <laughs> like thousands of years, probably before man, you know, like 
So it's almost like these patterns, they, it just alters itself as we evolve technologically. You know, it's, it's very strange. It's yeah. very strange. Pasoka you know, like, all over again, man. <laughs> it really is. And who, I mean, and like even you, you know, read, you know, you deep dive into Dinah Walsh's book and uh, Valet's book, and you're like, how many religions that are still around today were started by potentially a UFO incident? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Maybe. I don't know. You know, it's a, uh, but it's, it's food, food for thought for sure. It's food for thought. And, you know, the idea of deception, I struggle with it because, like, I believe that there's, 99% of alien abduction testimony and everything is either, you know, regressed memories of trauma right. or right. Uh, delusion or straight up just bullshitting. But then there's like, dude, there's always that 1% where I'm like, holy oh, crap. Yeah. I believe Oh, no, that. I'm with you. I see. I'm, I, I totally agree. Like, I mean, like, you know, like even, even like looking at like the Travis, you know, some of the big, big, you know, no abductee case like Travis Walden, Willie Strieber. I actually believe, like you, you said earlier, I believe that they believe. So that is enough for me to be really interested, you know, in, in a weird way. Because I'll, we'll never know for sure. You know, like it's not like, you know, Travis Walton's going to produce like concrete evidence at this point or Whitley for that matter. Yeah. But uh, the way they did talk, I mean, it, it's – I find it very compelling. So I don't want to throw out these cases, you know. And, I, I, and I'm actually I, – I love the John Max book, Abduction, back in the day. It scared the hell out of me as a kid. Yeah, yeah. That was a very powerful book. And I think it's like, you know, whether or not any of it's true, it, it almost doesn't matter to me anymore. You know, like it's just interesting. It really is. And I feel like there's just something going on that's non-human. <laughs> you know, like, that's all I know. That's the only conclusion I can make of all this stuff is, like, I believe there is a phenomenon. I believe we have no idea. And we're probably not even close to an answer. And we probably never will be. That's gonna be the uh, that's gonna be the opening uh, buffer for the episode. Just, I, I'm marking it. I'm marking it right here. Actually, yeah. And none, of, none of these things I'm saying is original thought at all. It's just you know, it's really probably it's pulling from your show, pulling from Greg's show, Tim's show, and all the books I've read. So it's just you know. It, it's weird because I kind of I, I sort of like refound the UFO talk because I had grown up loving it, but there was like this like kind of lag period I think like around like 2008 or something like that. I'm like oh, I'm just tired of reading the forums, nothing's new, and then I started hearing like Greg's show and people started talking about Jacques Vallée and John Keel. I was like, ooh, hold on, yeah, yeah, this stuff isn't dead yet, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's know, like, it's Dracula, dude. You take the stake yeah. out and you start all over again. <laughs> I'll always be interested in this stuff, man. I, I, I root for it. I want more information. I hope this disclosure thing is the real deal. And maybe we get like, you know, some more light shined on this and we can get maybe an answer or two would be really cool. Or even just, you know, they would elaborate more on maybe some of the patterns that they've found with these objects that are flying around the sky. I would love to know. Cause that would be, that would be incredible. Even that they like, we've noticed a pattern with these things. I mean, like that would be so cool to know. It, it but was. beyond that, I just don't think we're it's going to bear the fruit that everyone wants. I would have to agree. I don't think we're ever going to fully know the truth. But yeah. you know, there's people like you and Greg and all the UFO researchers. No matter what their belief system are or their approach, like we're all just stumbling along on the journey. I think that's way more important or rewarding than like actually finding that that one answer because there probably isn't yeah. one. No, there, I, I just don't think there really is an answer in like in the way we perceive answers being answered. Exactly. <laughs> that is such a weird, like garbled weird thing to say, but like, I just, you know, like it's, it's, I don't think it's an, uh, something that we could even perceive as an answer yet. I believe that, there, that there's 
something going on. <laughs> so I just, yeah, it's, it's such a hard thing because like, you know, like I'm sure you run across this thing and like I do all the time when people are like, Oh man, you love the UFO stuff. Dude, I totally believe aliens are real. I'm like, sure. I believe there's aliens out there. And then I told people like, but I don't think, you know, necessarily that they've ever visited earth. In fact, I don't, you know, I don't yeah. believe that a biological alien has intelligent alien has ever been on this planet. I just don't see any real evidence for that. And they're like, wait, what? And then that totally confuses them. And I'm like, oh boy, do you have like two hours for me to explain what I, <laughs> so it's a tough topic to talk about. It That's is. why your show is a real treat. Oh yeah. Thanks man. Well, I mean, it is, it's that constant struggle of trying to separate ET from the UFO. And we, yeah. we try to, we try to yell that from the rooftops. Like, we're talking about UFOs. We're not talking about aliens and little saucers. Maybe, yeah. but that's not what not that, what we're trying to get across. Yeah, and I'm not saying that's not it either. Yeah. I just but there's but I think it, it's funny that that is really – and I think it's actually people's minds are being opened up a, quite a bit more these in the last like year or two. It's like – because then now here people say like, well, maybe they're interdimensionals. And these are people just kind of like who aren't into the topic. I'm like, OK, well, another, at least another option is getting out there for people, which I think is good, you know, so. Totally. But yeah, there, it's, it's funny that, you know, I guess probably it goes back to Kenneth Arnold and Roswell, the Roswell era, that people just, you know, we were kind of in the whole – you know, was launching the whole space race thing. And, you know, that was what was in the zeitgeist at the time. So people were like, oh, well, they're obviously from space. Yeah, it all started with Kenneth Arnold and Roswell. God damn it them. Did. <laughs> <laughs> or God bless them. <laughs> or God bless them, yes. <laughs> they seemingly started a new religion without meaning to. But, um, exactly. Well, what, uh, what, are there any cases, Steve, that you really, when, when you do have those friends who are like, Dude, UFOs, like when they find out you're into this sort of stuff, what cases do you turn them to where you're like, this is what shows there's a core phenomenon. It's a credible thing. Like, are are there any that really come to mind? Oh, boy. You know, like Paul, I think I'm sure Paul Kimball, what was it? UFOs Best Evidence? Maybe Paul Kimball, Kimball. you know, the top 10 cases uh, years ago. And I I thought I thought he kind of hit on probably a lot of the mainstream ones. Uh. God, I'm really drawing a blank on those. Uh, no, 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 that's fine. I know I, it's I, like I, Randall Shum like, and Yeah, Kexberg. Yeah, is very interesting. Uh, Kexberg, I mean, you know, I think something happened. I don't think it was a UFO. I actually went out to the site. My wife is uh, from close to that area. so oh, okay. Yeah, there, there was not much there. But <laughs> I did see the acorn uh, statue, which is cool. Yeah. But um, – <laughs> I, I can tell you that it's funny because, like, I, I don't really have go-to cases that I point to as, like, dude, see, see? But I have ones that I that I think about a lot myself. Oh, okay. And uh, the Herbert Shimmer, Shimmer one, Ashland, Nebraska. The, uh, the, dude, I I'm just from, covered that. Oh, no way. Yeah. I uh, Dude, see, I'm from Omaha, Nebraska, and Ashland is, like, 25 miles away. Wow. So that, for me, was always kind of, like – a really important case just kind of is, you know, sort of happened in my backyard. Actually over Christmas, I went to go uh, meet with somebody from the library who gave me, who let me see the the police report. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I went to like a restaurant to try to talk to some old timers and they were like, Oh yeah, we knew him. People, and then people ran him out of town, you know, yeah. and I was like, Very man, sad man. case. And, and that's what they all kind of said. He goes, he goes, he was kind of a sad guy. And I was like, Oh man, that's, it has a really unhappy ending. You know, yeah, he Stuff. Like it really ruined his life. In covering it on the show, like I had the amazing opportunity and resource to get some some audio from him, like 
recounting everything. Oh, cool. And, uh, it, it's it's a little creepy. Again, it's one of those cases where I'm like, what the hell did this dude have to gain from coming coming out with yep. this story? And it ruined him. It ruined him. I mean, <laughs> to the point where he, like you said, he changed his name. He moved out of state. He yeah. lost his job at the police department. Like, yeah, I mean, it it, it did not. He benefited. I mean, it, it just took every, it took everything from him. But he stuck to it till yeah. like his dying day, which to me is yeah. like, all right, either this dude like was so delusional that he started to actually believe his own story yeah. or something truly strange yeah. happened to him. I, 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 I tend to think that he, again, going back to what you said earlier, I think it's so important, man. I'm going to keep on bringing it up. I believe he believes what he saw. I do. I've, I've, I've like looked into this case since I was a kid and like, there's not a whole lot to read about it. Unfortunately, other than what, you know, you can easily find on the internet. Yeah. But man, I just don't see that he made this up. I, you know, like in terms of just like pulling it out of thin air, I think either, you know, he had some kind of delusional episode or some kind of fugue state, or he went to something truly anomalous. And we have to remember too, that he did go under hypnotic regression, which can be very detrimental and very contentious. Dude. Yes. It's, it's crazy. It's actually weird. Hypnosis is getting big with just general therapy in Los Angeles. Is it? It really is. I have a friend who's he's been you know goes to you know everyone in LA has a therapist. <laughs> and one of my friends is going to like a really like you know prestigious like expensive fancy therapist who's like really credited and he's and this therapist is putting him into hypnosis and I'm like wow. whoa buddy be careful <laughs> and he's like I love it man it's actually it's weird. I'm getting in touch with my inner child I'm like okay but uh, just you know be careful. <laughs> yeah. If you hear the word like alien abduction come up, run. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or three gray staring at my window. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just uh, call um, me first. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll we'll hash it out before you uh, talk to the therapist. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I've never talked about UFOs so intensely at this time of day. Yeah, I know, right? So it's at night, you know, after maybe a bong rip and a couple of beers with some buddies or something. Most of these shows and everything are always like coast to coast, you know, it's like yeah. two in the morning. But right. you no, know, I, I work an evening job. So like, unfortunately, the mornings are always like the best for me. And I, everyone I, always says the same thing. Like, it's too early to talk about this shit. <laughs> no, I love it. This gets the day started up right. I'm, you know, buzzed on coffee and uh, this get, is get, fun. Get yeah. <laughs> Awesome, dude. Well, that's good yep. to hear for sure. So, what other uh, uh, cases could you turn us to, man? Well, for modern, the 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 case that blew me away and got me so excited, I think, was the that that's happened in the last twenty years would be the O'Hare uh, International, the Chicago Airport case. Absolutely, that is so fascinating because there were so many witnesses, uh, pilots, people who worked for United Airlines, people who were just at the airport. They all described the exact same thing. <laughs> and it was really, it's really weird, right? Really weird. And like, whatever it was, it literally like pierced a hole through the clouds and like yeah, took off. Sh- yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's that, ca- that, I, I'm always so, I remember, there was, do you ever hear the rumor that Dan Aykroyd supposedly paid like a million dollars for like footage of it? Yeah, that would not surprise that. I heard that years ago, but I, you know, I, you know, yet to see anything uh, 
come out with that. But I, I, I'm still hoping if I ever see Dan Aykroyd in L.A., man, that's the first thing I'm going to ask him. Yep, yep, I know. Give me the O'Hara goodies, please. Supposedly there is video footage. I've heard that from several sources. Right. But again, who am I? Like, they could be totally making that shit up. But yeah, I mean, there's got to be. One produce one. My God. I mean, I, I, I just thought that was such a crazy case. And I remember, you know, like even like I think – to this day, it was the most hits the Chicago Tribune had ever had. Oh yeah, it shut down their website. Yeah, yeah, it, like broke their website. Like there, I mean, there's some great like uh, footage of the the new the local like newscasters like off camera talking about it. And they're like, holy shit! I saw that. That was hilarious. <laughs> it's crazy. It's so funny. I love it. I, I actually, in terms of maybe it's not you know on the surface a UFO case, but Jacques Flake kind of convinced me otherwise that the Fatima incident. To me, feels like one of the most exciting potential UFO cases. Can you imagine, like these these kids or whatnot, and then eventually a lot of people were thinking they're having like a miraculous experience. Meantime, it's like a, a being from Zeta Reticuli. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe it's both. Uh, Who knows? It's both, dude. dude like I, I think. Well, it's it's also weird. It's like you know, like he. What's interesting? There's a chapter in one of uh, Valet's books where he writes about the year before on the same day. Mm-hmm. These kids actually saw these beings. Really? Another group. Of so it was like this was not like an isolated incident, but the, the Fatima one just got a lot more buzz and press, and it had a lot more witnesses. But this this had happened the year prior. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, it's uh, it's I can't remember what book it is. I think it might be. I don't know if you've read a uh, Jacques Vallée's uh, Forbidden Science series, where it's just his journals. That's the only one I have not read. Yeah. So yeah, he's got a volume one through four, and I've only read one through three. But man, they are so important to read if you're into this stuff. I feel like it's almost like my favorite UFO stuff is his journals because it's like it is deep and it is personal and it is really like he is really trying to hash this stuff out. Yeah. And it is so deeply fascinating. My God. Yeah. It's it's um, interesting to have seen the trajectory Valet has taken, you know, since he started all this. And now he kind of has uh, not turned his back on UFO studies but at least on the ufo field and community and a big part of me does not blame him one bit of course yeah yes yeah. it's sobering to say the least but he's it, done it is. he's done like proposing these theories and getting his information out there in in turn you have these cult leaders and these charlatans just like sucking off the valet teat as it were. yeah yeah no it's it's it, it is i mean i i think like i don't even know where this field would be imagine it without that guy you know like it, it really is hard to imagine the ufo field without jacques light for me because without the work of his work i would not i probably would have lost interest 10, 15 years ago, to be same, honest. Same. Uh, when, when I kind of rediscovered him, you know, 10 years ago, it was, I all of a sudden I had never been more interested in UFOs. Yeah. You know, like it, it's just, he, he's going to places where I feel like are, it's just, I, 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 the one disappointing thing is, is that I wish more people would follow his lead and kind of like go down the paths that he's lighting for all of us. And like you are, and like Greg is, and by, I wish it, it still feels like a small faction of us uh, Jacques Vallée devotees, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I always kind of term like you know people who are into the Jacques Vallée stuff, like you know Greg and like Red Pill Junkie and those guys in uh, the punk rock of UFO. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, like yeah. <laughs> absolutely, man, like you know. going against the norm and yeah, yeah. we we should and start that, the uh, the Valet cast, I think. 
Dude, I'm so in. I'm in. I look at card care member. Yeah, because that, that's where really where my interest lies is is in all these thought experiments and just try to take the topic as far as you can. You know, like because I, I when the the one problem with with when people get too I think attached to all the you know the government stuff being the answer and you know the conspiracy stuff. It's just – it's almost like you've made up your mind and just said, I'm, I want to stop learning. The government knows and until they give me the answers. You know, it's like I'm like, yeah, but you're not really learning anything new. And it just seems like also such a negative like kind of like I'm, – I'm, really I'm really not a big conspiracy theory guy. Like I find it so – I find it very toxic, especially nowadays where people take them so literally. I mean – how, how boring, man, like trust or not trusting, but how boring would it be to accept the answer by the government about UFOs? Like, yeah. uh, like you said, they've been probably lying for a really long time and not mm-hmm. lying about like being in cohorts with the aliens right. or just right. like lying that they they're in control of it or that mm-hmm. they know what's going on. They don't know right. anything. They, they don't. And that makes me really be sympathetic to their situation. You know, if you think about it, if they were to come out in the 1950s saying, like, look, there are these crafts that appear to be physical and they're controlled by a non-human intelligence and we can't do anything about it. Anyways, uh, you know... <laughs> anyway, <laughs> here's Wonderwall. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So you can kind of, like, see how, you know, not that I'm one of these people like, oh, the UFO, we came out with the UFO knowledge, like, you know... Society would completely collapse. I don't think that would be the case. Yeah. But I do think it would potentially be, you know, hurtful for, to the government military if they, you know, admitted that there's something that's out of their control. They are a control system. And when a control system admits they're out of control, the control system fails. So Perfect. Yep. I couldn't, I couldn't summarize that any better, my friend. <laughs> um, well, okay. So. Moving to sort of your current work, that which we can connect to sure. to UFOs, absolutely. This is yeah, yeah, yeah. this is what I was really excited to get you on. You know, other than talking about it over an hour about UFOs, um, Voyage to the Stars. This is so cool, man. How did this come to be? How did you get involved? Give us sort of the uh, the origin story of Voyage to the Stars. Right. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, Voyage to the Stars is a uh, science fiction, uh, it's, a, it's a science fiction improvised podcast that kind of plays upon, like, all the, you know, big science fiction tropes, Battlestar Galactica, Star Trek, <laughs> yada, yada, yada. It kind of plays with all those and flips them around and uh, turns into a sort of a dark comedy. So I got involved uh, I, for years and years and years and years, kind of made my bones in the improv and sketch comedy stages in L.A. And um, so I got approached by the creator, Ryan Koppel, to do this show. And, he, you know, because he, he knew I was an improviser and also kind of knew that I was into space stuff, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> or a little, a little <laughs> geek, geek, the geek world, whatever. I don't know. But uh, so anyways, yeah, we got together and uh, it's, you know, Colton Dunn, who was a legendary improviser and on the show Superstore is on it. Uh, Felicia Day, who is a great improviser and also just kind of like, you know, a internet queen. She is a, right. you know, very large figure. And then Jenna Varney, who is another wonderful comedian on a lot of TV shows and stuff like that. And yeah, so it just kind of, all, luckily it all worked out. So none of us had ever really, ever really improvised together. So yeah, we, it's, it's kind of like a Kirby enthusiasm type situation where we get like a brief outline of what the episode is, the story we need to drive forward. And we just kind of go off on our own and improvise the dialogue. That's really cool. Again, like yeah. it's, it's not 
really, in my opinion, really been done in the podcasting world. It's like, yeah, you have these scripted stories that have the whole thing outlined and planned from yeah. the beginning, but like you guys are like discovering, uh, discovering like the story on the way. That's really interesting. It, it is fun. It's a, you know, it's a fun way because you have to really be in your toe. So it is like, you know, it's like playing music where you really have to be present and really, really listen because like, it's not like we're doing like an improv show, like on stage where it's like, you know, we get a suggestion of orange peel and create a 40 minute show off that <laughs> this, we're actually having to tell a very somewhat complicated narrative. Right. While improvising dialogue, so it it is it is quite challenging to be honest. Like even though I've been improvising for over fifteen years, it's still probably what the hardest thing in the improv realm that I've ever had to do. But it's been a ton of fun, man. So it's been great, and we're doing you know we're doing a quite a few live shows around LA and San Francisco, and I'm actually going to Nashville today to go. We're going to go do some shows this weekend and. Uh, Oh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. The live performing is really the most fun for me because that's kind of what I grew up doing. So it, it, it's 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 interesting how well a podcast works live. I, I was very skeptical of it working, but I'm shocked. Yeah, because it really is just like you're just doing a live show, a live comedy show. Cool. And you know what? It really is, I think, the wave of the future when it comes to both comedy mm-hmm. and radio. It's like mixing these two worlds together uh, that may not have... Well, yeah, I mean, we've had comedy radio shows since the dawn of the radio, but right. at the same time, like, this idea of podcasting, it's it seems old at this point, but it's actually still fairly new. And the fact that, like, the comedy world has tapped into that and taken advantage of that, it's super exciting. I could not agree with you more. I think I think this is like, well, it's here to stay, whether we like it or not. I mean, and, right. and I can tell you just from, like, I mean, I know, like, all these production companies out in LA are now developing uh, podcast productions offshoots. Yeah. So it, they they are. It, it really is a race to monetize podcasts right now. I think so, and vice versa. You know, a yeah. lot of TV and movies now are based directly off of podcasts. So I mean, absolutely, totally. Yeah, it is a cycle for sure. Yeah, <laughs> but I, I think I think they're great though because it's like you know largely free content that and then you know obviously with anything like TV, movies, and podcasts, you have to kind of like weed through some crap to get to the good stuff. But when you find a good podcast, man, like yours. I mean, you know, it, it, I, I, it's it's something I look forward to. It's like, you know, it's like appointment TV. It's like when, you know, when a new podcast comes out, I'm really excited about it. <laughs> you know, especially because I spent a lot of time in my car living in L.A. So right. I find them. I'm, I'm very grateful for the podcast world. Me too. I mean, obviously. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it, it, it's great, though, man. Like your show is important, you know, and, and we may not be able to hear it if there wasn't podcast. So it's a. Uh, Damn, man, I'm a fan. I'm a fan. I really appreciate that, dude. And like I said off air, like, you don't realize when you start this podcasting thing how much you can actually affect people or how many Mm -hmm. people actually listen. Like, every week I'm like, oh, cool, it did okay. But then you have, you know, I had a guy say he had just gotten through a divorce and he was depressed. And he said, like, I listen to your show every week and it really kept me going. Or if I could keep people distracted from the horrible shit in their lives or the boring stuff in their lives. Yep. Um, like, that job well done. The fact that yeah. people may actually get something from the show, that's all I could ever ask for. 
Well, I think that should be, <laughs> it'd be great if all artists felt that way. It's, you know, truly, like, I, I mean, like, I'm not trying to sound like this altruistic, you know, like, oh, man, I'm just in, doing it for the art. But, like, I do believe that as well. Like, the only reason I, you know, gravitate towards entertainment is because, like, how can I, like, not the only reason. Obviously, a lot of it's self-serving. But, like, <laughs> I, I feel like true. this is the way I can help society a little bit. <laughs> I'm not, you know... I am not. I couldn't be a doctor. I couldn't be a lawyer. I couldn't do a lot of things. But I feel like you know, I can make people giggle and maybe forget about the problems for a minute or two. So I love that. It, it, it sounds like oh man, how pretentious. But like it, it is true. Like you said, like it's cool when you find out that a podcast you did or any kind of piece of art you did affected people. That's kind of the goal, right? It is. <laughs> it is. At the end you know? of the day, like we all are striving like to connect with one another, and if I we can so evoke a reaction out of someone or a complete stranger, like job yeah. well done. I couldn't agree more, and I, I, that's why I feel like music and all music and art is like the only like like positive thing left in the world right now. <laughs> <laughs> and man, so we have to hold on to it tight and uh, really take, take care of free free uh, expression. So, yeah, we laugh because it's true. <laughs> we laugh because it's true, man. It's uh, yeah, I read I was reading the paper before uh, I got on with you. I'm like Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. <laughs> let's forget that and let's talk about yeah, your ethos. <laughs> god, I'm just waiting for Ryan to call me. <laughs> Pull me out of this muck. <laughs> oh, well, Steve, it has been such an honor, man. I'm so happy I was able to get you on. And I gotta ask you before we go, are you working on anything UFO related right now? Or um you said you're heading to Nashville right after this. My God. I am. Get packing. Like what yeah, what, I, what do you I, got? I haven't coming done up? that yet. Um, well uh I'm, you know, a lot of podcast stuff this summer, festivals and uh, all the whatnots and comedy. Fe- I always do like a lot of comedy festivals in the summer anyways. It's, it's just fun to do. The summer, summer's typically slower out here. It's, uh, people get lazy in Hollywood or taking vacations. So <laughs> right now, yeah, honestly, I'm working on a show, uh, an animated show on Netflix called Hoops. Awesome. Yeah. And so I'm, you know, kind of a regular character on that. And so that's really, I've been most of what I've been working on last month or so. It's been kind of dedicated towards that, but it is going to be, I feel like, I feel like it's the funniest thing I've ever been a part of. So I'm really excited about it. I've been kind of like really wanting to get on a really good animated show. It's been kind of a big dream of mine. So I feel like, Oh man, I feel like this is the right one. I love it. The writing is bananas. It's so, 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 so good. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of what I'm working on the next like month, and then after that, I'm gonna just kind of take some vacations and uh, do some writing, and then back in the fall, I'll be you know I may be returning to this show, and uh, you know back to auditions and back to uh, back to looking for work, <laughs> back to the grind, man, to the grind, man, yeah, <laughs> and, and little, also I, I like that summer is a little slower though because it's like January and like May has been just insane for me, so I'm like ready to slow it down a little bit, maybe do a little flock. <laughs> Yeah, well, well-deserved vacation. I, mean, I, uh, <laughs> I can't thank you enough for coming on today. Where can we uh, find out what you're up to and where to find Voyage? Uh, yeah, I don't, I don't do like social media a ton, but I'm trying to get better at it. So if you want to follow me on those things, my handle is Burgmaster5000 on Twitter and Instagram. So you can probably find out any kind of show I'm doing or whatnot. But uh, if you live in Nashville and you're a time traveler, come to the show this weekend. <laughs> I'll get you a free ticket to say you're a friend of Ryan's. Oh, I love that, man. Gotta love those deals. Steve, <laughs> yeah. thank you so much for joining me on Somewhere in Buddy, Skies. any damn time, I had an absolute blast. This is so fun talking with you, dude. You're, you're, you, you get it. You get it.
Hey guys, Ryan here. If you listen to the podcast on Apple, there's a very simple way for you to help out the show. Just click the Apple Premium subscriber button at the top of the feed, and you'll instantly become a premium member where you get all the same rewards as our Patreon members do. Early access to all main episodes and bonus episodes and content. Join our Apple Premium subscription today and thank you for your support. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ladies and gentlemen, we're live at the UCB Franklin Theater for another episode of the Hound Tall Discussion Series. Say hi, everybody. Hi! <laughs> Tonight we're talking about UFOs. Do they exist? Well, our guest expert definitely says that they do, and we'll find out for ourselves. Right now, put your hands together for him. He is the author of Somewhere in the Skies, Ryan Sprague, ladies and gentlemen. Put your hands together for him. Here he comes. And our guest comedic panelists, Ashling B., Emily Gordon, and Kumail Nanjiani. There they are. There they go. How exciting. Oh, wait, Ryan, no, come sit next to me. Kumail, you go away. Okay. Sorry. I'm trying to get Kumail back down to earth since his uh, Academy Award nomination. What about Emily? I also was nominated for an Academy Award. You were also nominated for an Academy Award, but you do not have the problems with ego that Kumail does. That is true. And I therefore do not need to bring you down to earth. It's really not a big deal. It's just an Academy Award fucking nomination. (laughs) I wish you'd stop bringing it up all the time. Well, you know what? Actually, I thought this would be a cool cool opportunity because it's probably the last podcast you'll both do before the awards, right? And I just thought, why don't you go ahead and just do your speech just for us right now? Because we'll never never get to do it. (laughs) No, no. No, you're going to win an Oscar. (laughs) This is the last podcast we're doing. Period. Yeah. <laughs> I literally, you asked me to do it. I was like, and you were like, Kumail already said yes. And I was like, Kumail, you're doing podcasts again? 
<laughs> she needs she needs the help. I'm I'm Who? grounded. Oh, I like the idea that you're you doing you're, that you're doing them ag- uh, that you're doing them again. I just love the idea of like Camille coming home all death of a salesman style, putting his briefcase down. God damn it, Emily, that's the last podcast. People are like, we need you as a guest. Oh, I'm too old for that shit. <laughs> yeah, classic death of a salesman reference, Camille. I was doing a different reference. I, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> Who are you up against? Who are these other pricks? We don't want to talk about it. Nobody, some real nobody. She who are you up against tonight on this podcast? And it's <laughs> Ashling B, ladies and gentlemen. There she is. That's her dulcet Irish tones. Ashling, are you a believer in UFOs? Uh, big time. <laughs> uh, 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 just only between like nine p.m. at night and three o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Uh, so, like, ghosts, vampires, aliens, uh, crystals. Um, you start to believe in right. crystals, I finally? Think everyone, yeah, yeah. yeah. We all believe in crystals. I mean, Gems of all kinds. Beware, 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 children. She's showing um, a necklace, ladies yeah. and gentlemen. Right, we she believes in necklaces. Yeah, um, I believe Emily, in necklaces. Emily, you and Kumail are big X-Files people. Are you guys also be- are you believers? She's not. Are you not? No? No, I'm a I'm a absolute believer, and it's the only thing I'm frightened of. Oh, why are you afraid of them? Because uh, I do don't get them. Mm. And I watched a lot of Unsolved Mysteries as a kid and the whole idea is that you don't know they could be taking you over on a nightly basis and you just don't know. So I was like, how do I how do I prove that I haven't been taken in the night and then they wipe my brain and then that tied me into knots for like nine nine the ages of nine to like twelve or thirteen. It was the nosebleed. If anyone in school got a nosebleed like you've been taken by aliens, there's no other way of no like And I just, had a lot what of What a nosebleed. quaint country Ireland is <laughs> <laughs> No, we murdered a lot of children and we were embarrassed by it. Uh, <laughs> Looking back we thought X Files was a documentary and nobody told us and we're embarrassed but we moved on. Kumail, what about you? You believer? I think so. Yeah, of all the 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 that sh- like I don't believe in ghosts or vampires or Bigfoot or uh, UFOs is the only one of that whole group that I think that there's a very real possibility. Ryan, uh, do you resent the idea? Like everybody's been framing this already. From I don't believe in ghosts, specters, poltergeists, <laughs> but I kind of do believe in. Does it does it, does it stick in your craw that that it's even categorized with those things? It, it's tough because th- the way I look at it, the UFO or alien phenomenon could impact the world in many different ways, whereas I, I don't think many people feel threatened by a ghost. Or- what are you That's talking about? That's the primary <laughs> characteristic what? What? of I mean, ghosts. They are they, very threatening. They say boo and you shit yourself. They have unfinished business. They came up with a three-letter word for I am threatening you. Yeah. <laughs> But I get, I get, I take your point though, Ryan. You're, you're, you're saying essentially that that because of how how potentially real this is, it feels like it more could fall under the category of possible science rather than supernatural. I think so. Yeah. I mean, if you think about a an alien civilization from somewhere else. Whoa. Oh my God. Oh shit. What the fuck? Still not scared of ghosts. Oh. Ladies and gentlemen. Science speaks for itself, man. Listen, Science speaks Listeners for at home, I don't know what to tell you except that from this, as he said, ghosts aren't scary. Ectoplasm fell from the sky. I, I am now a believer. A ghost sneezed on us. <laughs> but it's ah, boo. 
<laughs> Thank you for laughing. It did not Boom. deserve it. It ah, didn't boom. deserve it. Yeah. I thought it deserved a bigger laugh. Thanks. Good. I don't that think it did. Good. I'm not joking. Yeah. I think it did. Ryan, uh, before we get into the science and the possible changing of the world that UFOs could uh, bring about, uh, I read your book, or I read a, a good portion of it, and it starts off with your... Well, it's difficult to get what through everything. No, it's no, not. The book is very good, easy to get through. It's, very, it's a page-turner. I just... I'm busy. Anyway... Yeah. Sure. Ryan, you start the book off with your own personal experience of a UFO sighting, and I wondered if you could take us through what happened. Just tell the story. Yeah. Fuck yes. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't even Kumail. That was the specter yeah, yeah. that has appeared. Uh, yeah, so uh, I was 12 years old. Uh, I was 1996. I like. had a bloody nose. Yeah, I had a bloody nose. Um, and I was fishing off a dock. Uh, I was away with my parents at camp. And, what part of the uh, world were you in? This was in upstate New York. Okay. Yeah. Oh. Right on the near the Canadian border, <laughs> actually. Upstate yeah. New York. <laughs> and um, I was fishing, mm-hmm. and I I looked up, and I saw three white lights in a triangular formation, mm-hmm. and uh, completely silent. I, I didn't see like a, a structured craft if you will, but I could not see like the stars or anything behind it and it was coming down. Is this at nighttime? Nighttime, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, it was coming Fishing down over the water. Fishing at night, you say? Yeah. <laughs> the story's starting to fall apart. <laughs> no, okay, so it's nighttime. All of a sudden you look up. There's three, there are three lights, to quote Captain Picard, and uh, that's a deep cut, and, and you can't see past the lights. Correct, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah completely silent um all i could hear was like the water hitting the dock where i was fishing and uh, wait you were still fishing at this point <laughs> that's a committed fisherman right yeah, absolutely, there absolutely man aliens but these, these bass aren't going to catch themselves <laughs> it was perch uh, okay yeah. sure sorry that's not, that's not. <laughs> you fucking idiot <laughs> it's upstate new york. new york dude yeah, they don't have in upstate New York. Yikes. Maybe you should have finished the book. <laughs> That's the last chapter. That was like page two. Chapter 42, it was Perch. Mystery solved. Okay, so what happened? Are you scared? Are you, you're 12 oh, yeah. years old. You're terrified. I was fucking terrified, man. Yeah, I, I screamed for my dad to come out. He was inside our camp. Wow, that's kind of uh, weak, was... weak of you, by the way. Right? <laughs> I was 12 years old. Right, 12, 12, yeah. So you screamed for your dad. Did he come? He came out. He came out. He saw the tail end of this thing as it floated silently over the water towards Canada. Whoa. And, you know, Smart aliens, huh? Yeah. <laughs> We're going that away. <laughs> yeah. They're like, in 20 years, some shit's going to go down here. We don't want to be here for it. <laughs> to Trudeau and beyond. <laughs> um, question, Does you, what your dad saw, is it, did he see enough of it to be like, that was crazy? Or is he like, I don't know what I, I saw. saw something. I, yeah. Yeah. I, so, again, he saw, like, the tail end of it. So, to him, he thought it was a plane. It, it could have been. Could have been anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw it directly over me. It was huge, whatever the hell this thing was, and it just floated silently. And that's the thing that really got to me. Was like, like a Prius, like, like an Uber <laughs> coming to pick you up. But this is not. Where did you come from? But this is ninety six. They did the not horn. have Prius. The horn, we are pre Prius at yeah. this point. Yeah. So, so couldn't have been a Prius. Were you a kid at that point who was prone to believe in UFOs? Were you like sort of the kind of kid who was like looking for UFOs and, and that kind of stuff? No, not 
Did you watch That's the right answer, Ryan, by the way. That was the one I wanted from you. you Yeah, I was really leading you. Did you watch Unsolved Mysteries growing up? I I did see it on occasion. The music scared the shit out of me. Yeah, the music was terrifying. most people. That one episode with the arsonist and the guy watching, if anybody... Oh, Oh, forget about it. (laughs) That's a scary... Also, did you... um, we were talking backstage. The Time Life books. Mm-hmm. Oh, I had those. Yeah. Did you have those before or after this incident? Oh, man. I'm trying to think of when those came out. Um, this what were like, those books? This is like oh, straight man. up White Privilege 101 right here. <laughs> now, did, I know you had the books for sure. Now, did you get the books before or after your UFO experience? No child did not have those books. No. Yeah, they come with your white card. They do come with your white card. <laughs> do you remember those commercials, Emily? Yes, it 100%. Would be, be so, it was so... Infl- like, uh, it just... It, the, the stories would be so incendiary. It'd be like, and then aliens came down, grabbed the man. What happened next? Read the book. You'll have to find out. <laughs> yeah. And I stole them from the library, but they had gorgeous okay. art. You got your street cred yeah, back. Yeah, got that street cred back. They had gorgeous artwork, so sometimes I would just steal pages out of them after reading them. What a monstrous thing to do. <laughs> yeah. To prevent others from solving the crimes. Yeah, that's right. right. I won't. That's why the mystery stayed unsolved. Yeah, it's me tearing them out of the time. All the life clues books. were. Yeah. On your... You're like a young hip Jessica Fletcher. Going, they'll never work out it was me the whole time. <laughs> that's exactly right. That's how I refer to myself. So far, we've referred to. Death of a Salesman, Unsolved Mysteries, uh, Lethal Weapon, uh, Murder, She Wrote. I think we're doing a really good job You're old tonight. as millennials. Yeah, right. get yourself a piece of toast. <laughs> so, Ryan, come here. You had a question? Go ahead. No, 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 keep going. Well, I, I just want to know more about... Yeah, tell us more. Of what was happening to you physiologically at the time that you saw this? Because it was more... I don't want... Uh, no. Would your dick get hard? Or what was going on? Bro. Bro. Look at me. Bro. Should get dick get hard? <laughs> yeah, tell I me. Mean, I was 12 years old. Yeah, so it was always hard. <laughs> That's what he was fishing with. This, this line whole... the end? Yeah. <laughs> a line. That, that wasn't no line. <laughs> but, so, but you do describe your physiological reaction to seeing these lights. Because so, I, I don't want to paint a picture that, like... In the, in the book, it really struck me how intensive an experience this was for you. It was more than just seeing three lights in the sky. You, were, you felt a vibration in the air. Tell, tell us more about what it felt yeah, like physically. Yeah, I, I, I could, like... In, Maybe it was adrenaline, something like that. Uh, I was definitely scared. I felt threatened. Um, I felt this vibration throughout my whole body. My hair was sticking up. My hair was sticking up, sorry. Um, and it just... Your I, hair was sticking up? My hair was sticking up. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Okay. It, it How did you crazy. know your hair was sticking up? Or you're like, I better get my fishing mirror. It's <laughs> <laughs> sticking up. Okay. Or do you just could you feel the spikiness of your feel, like on my oh arms. your hair and your arms? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, good okay. Okay. Did you, your head. Yeah. I was like, uh, bumps. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Which is also a great series of books from our era. In case somebody wanted to reference another thing from. Now, did you have the like alt right Hitler haircut at the time? Oh, come on! I, I invented this haircut. I invented this haircut. No, it's you a did. good-looking haircut. Michael Moore did. No, no, Hitler did. But, but after that, it was me. Um, no, I used to have that haircut. No, no, but uh, I just do like the image of you. <laughs> it's very funny to think of Hitler's hair standing on end. Anyway, whatever. The little mustache goes up. Whatever. Okay. So Ryan, uh, what, yeah, what else? And then as it as it disappeared into the skyline, what are you thinking? Do you think I just saw an alien craft? Or you th- what do you think? What's what's your process? Yeah, I mean, at that time, like. I mean, I was only 12, but sort of my my limited knowledge of aviation, I, I, I knew that what I was looking at was not like a plane I'd ever seen before. Um, I knew that whatever it was, it was silent. There was no, like, propulsion to it. And I was just confused. I had no 
clue what I was looking at. And for my father to say, like, it was a plane, it was a plane to try to calm me down, like, that helped in the moment. But I just, I became so curious after that that I wanted to keep, you know, pursuing whatever. So did you, like, tell your friends about it? Did you, like, think about it for weeks and weeks? Like, what, and, and how did the people around you? Take yeah. it. Um, I, I didn't tell anyone for years and years. Wow. Okay. Actually, yeah. I, uh, I I went. I would go to the library and take out book after. And book. there were pages were missing. <laughs> Emily. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I'm white trash. <laughs> white card revoked. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I became obsessed after that. I mean, stacks of books I would take home on like UFOs, Loch Ness Monster, like all this crazy shit because sort of this door was open for me that whatever was happening out there, whatever we were being told was happening wasn't the whole story. Uh, and I'll, I'll just say that I, uh, w- when you sent, you sent me a bunch of material to look at and, uh, and when I got the material, I would say that I was probably a pretty heavy skeptic. I, be- I, I believe in alien life because it, it just seems pretty obvious that at some point there's going to be alien life out there. But in terms of UFOs visiting Earth, wherever they may or may not have come from, I would say I was a skeptic. By the end of looking through the, the, the material you sent me, I don't think it's really up for debate that there has been some – something has come to this planet. Maybe it came from this planet. Maybe it came from somewhere else. But let us – so let's go back in history and just get to the what our modern understanding of oh, it, like the military and the government's involvement in a cover-up of whatever the craft that has been seen may be. It started when? I mean, what, what are some of the early sightings that we, we refer to? You, you, were, you were telling me about one that happened even before Roswell, right, that happened here in Los Angeles, right? Yeah, yeah. It, it, one of the first, I guess, recorded ones in modern UFO history, we call it. Ashling's doing silent doing, physical no, comedy on a podcast Fletcher. right now. <laughs> Just so you That's know. That's my brand. Yeah. That's why I'm invited on so She's many podcasts. Doing the my mimes. Skills. Um. <laughs> she is doing the reenactment. That would be a great podcast. I'm going to need that. Yeah. The mind cast. I'll be. I'll be you seeing the seeing the alien. Very cool. I'm Put your so hand up like this, though. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Ryan. Uh, yeah. So before Roswell, you were telling me there was uh, there was actually a a documented uh, UFO visit here in Los Angeles, yeah. right? Yeah. Tell yeah. us about in, that. Um, 1941, it was called the Battle of Los Angeles. Where- oh, I know this. Yeah, yeah Battle right, of LA. Not, not the movie with Rihanna. Oh, fuck, I don't know yeah. about it. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, like, that movie's from 1941, it looks good. <laughs> <laughs> Rihanna, it's right. Rihanna Black, is ancient. Black show <laughs> crack. <laughs> um, yeah, so it, um, this huge cylindrical object bright as all hell was seen over Los Angeles. The army actually got really like scared about this and they started firing on it. They mobilized and sent planes into the sky. Yeah, absolutely. And this is a documented thing that happened. This is documented. This is, you know, in every yeah. You Did they bring it, it down? So they shot at it and whatever was up there complete it just disappeared out of sight. Shit. Uh, shell casings actually fell back down and killed people. So this was actually like a pretty deadly event. Are you sure that the army didn't just shoot a bunch of people and then make up this story to cover? Oh, there was a UFO we were shooting at. It fell back down. Oh, my God. These protesters were just standing under the UFO. A spacecraft came down piloted by George Soros himself. 
So that's that, legit scary, though. That is very scary. And and one of the uh, one of the uh, ongoing themes of these different stories is that the is is that idea that the craft not only are larger than any craft you could ever imagine, that they also move at a pace that is unimaginable, that d- doesn't match any technology. And they change not. direction too, right? right? That's another. Certainly all not weather balloons. Right, yeah, <laughs> it's like certainly not technology that we have now, but definitely not that we had in 1941 or 47, which is when Roswell happens. What happened in Roswell? I honestly don't know the story of Roswell, yeah, yeah. Roswell so, so tell um, us that. This was July, early July of 1947. Uh, something crashed in the desert in Roswell, New Mexico. A rancher found a bunch of wreckage on his uh, on his ranch. He reported it to the the local uh, airfield, and they came out to investigate. Uh, immediately, they started gathering everything up, uh, putting it, you know, on their trucks and sending it back to their base. And uh, they were told the rancher never to talk about what had happened there. Uh, that. The next day, the newspaper said that they had found a flying disc. And the day after that, the story was retracted, and they said that they'd found a weather balloon. I mean, that's, that's what most people know about Roswell. It was just a weather balloon. It was just a weather balloon. But there's been, I mean, countless witnesses in the military who have come forward and said that was a cover story. Like, we, we don't know exactly what it was, but it definitely was not a weather well, do you, balloon. So what I'd heard about Roswell was, like, that's they were, like people saw the uh, grays, like the little guys with the big eyes that give me all Apparently. of the nightmares. Yeah. So is that... Is that a cockamamie part of the theory, or is it we just don't know what they saw? We don't know what people saw. Wait, what's the Greys thing at Roswell? Well, the Greys are just, that's what the aliens no, are I, that have the big I eyes. I know, but I didn't know that people saw those aliens at Roswell. Yeah. There, there are many witnesses who claim to have seen bodies. Um, so what those bodies were, we don't know. They might have been dead human bodies. It could have yeah. been a test, you know, by the government, some sort of flight test. This was the very early days of uh, aerospace, of, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get as far up as we could. It could have been some sort of test pilots. Uh, the, the whole body thing has always been up for Before this, because yeah. you know the way when you, when you see aliens in all movies, we don't seem to be able to really stretch away from an alien look. Like even, what's that Amy Adams movie? Arrival. They have, Arrival. Yeah. They look still a bit like the blah, 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 blah. Like, like it's always like... Octopuses. We can't imagine anything weirder than an octopus. Octopuses are absolutely mad. Eight legs. No one can understand them. I'll eat them, but I don't understand them. To be um, fair, octopuses look fucking fucked they up. They look mad. And They're sometimes insane I'm like, looking. guys, are we all just? I mean, just not all get our heads around octopuses. Is that what aliens are? But you know, say after the film, The Truman Show. There's uh, after the film, The Truman Show. In in the sort of book of mental health. There is now a, a, a sort of disease where people think, and I think it the whole time, like, oh, I'm in a movie. They've cast those extras really bad because I saw him running around two years ago and they'd hard, they've just reused the budget for the extras. Like, there's, there's a, it, it made it's a us think. a form of dementia. Yeah, yeah that we, we were think in, people are replaced by doubles and that, yeah. Exactly. Well, I, and so you start looking for the filmic or the, the connections in your life. I wonder, say, with Aliens, how much, and, and you could maybe answer this, how much Hollywood has to answer for what we see matching or, or when, we, when we think we see something matching what's so delivered to us as this octopus-looking thing. 
But I think the octopus-looking thing is not the standard it's the image of the alien. The, yeah, the it's more is, humanoid. It's those big eyes that even E.T. fits into yeah, Arrival. Right, but, those are more, but your, your, your point is well made. The, the question is always begged uh, when we talk about UFOs uh, is, did we begin to believe in UFOs because the science fiction movies showed them to us, or did science fiction movies take from the human consciousness yeah, like the the what, was, what was reported? Exactly like the chicken and the egg. No, just the like that. The chicken and the egg. Uh, Another unfinished question. We'll get to that later. So what do you think? I mean, uh, you're a believer, so it's a a difficult question to pose to you. When we, And by the way, I want to point out that Ryan's specialty is not necessarily alien visitation. It is UFO. It's it's spacecraft, people that Mm. have seen spacecraft, right? Well, we're going to get more into the beings, but even the spacecraft, the imagery that we see when we see the spacecraft, we used to see flying saucers, and now it's maybe modernized a bit. Like like, to what? To, yeah, try, to what degree do you think we have been in? By the way, you would admit that most UFO sightings are total bullshit, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, 95%. Oh, yeah, but yours was real. <laughs> <laughs> That's what everyone thinks. <laughs> 95% of them are prosaic explanations. They're conventional aircraft. They're misidentifications. They're birds, I don't know. But there is always that, like, 5%. There are flying octopuses. Flying octopuses, Oh, those yes. guys. And that we can't explain. That right. we simply can't explain. And that goes for the government, that goes for science. Uh, you know, we've had astronomers look into this, which I'm sure we'll get into. Did you hear about, did you read that news story that came out a couple months ago about the guy who worked in the Pentagon? Oh, we're getting there, Kumail. Oh, all right, we are all right, getting all right, there. All right, all right. Hold your but, but before we do get to the Pentagon, because I think that is part of, part of what was so striking to me in looking through this stuff, is like the government has been involved in some sort of cover-up. I don't know if it's for alien spacecraft or if it's just because they're covering up the, you their know, own experimental, their yeah. own technology, mm-hmm. but the government's been involved since 1947, right? And Roswell was the... By the way, that is the year that Pakistan became a country. Anyway, keep going. I'm just trying to teach you something. That's Thank fucking so awesome, much. man. Are That's... the two things connected? Come on. You're back I don't at... know. I was fucking spaceship crashes in New Mexico and a month later we have a new country. You tell me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, well, that is another question that comes up, actually, is uh, how how much of the concentration of UFO sightings is based in the United States, mm. or how international a phenomenon is it? It is definitely a worldly phenomenon. Uh, we, we often see it through Western eyes, however. Uh, all the big cases you think of, Roswell, um, Rendlesham, um, which was in England, but was on an American military base, um, which... I can get into later as well. But most of the cases have happened here. And so the ones that are reported in other countries, are they similar images? Um, Very strikingly similar. There's many patterns to be made in terms of what they saw. The the thing I've, I've noticed, though, is that um, other countries, they take this topic very seriously, where right. here in the United States, it's very ridiculed at times. Um, Is it because we've made so many movies about it, maybe? Possibly. There, there's a lot of, like, the chicken and the egg thing, is which mm. came first, the bug-eyed aliens in the movies, or the... Uh, the bug-eyed yeah. aliens fucking me up the ass with their instruments. Yeah, right? exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Kumail, you grew up in Pakistan. Uh, tell us about that. No, um... <laughs> How much of the movie is true? Spotlight ready. <laughs> no, but what was the cultural consciousness as a kid in Pakistan? Like, do they talk about what? What? What's the understanding of UFOs in Pakistan? Did they? Oh, I mean, I remember us uh, so all of everybody talking about it. I was obsessed with UFOs since I was a little kid. I had all mm. the books and stuff. And, Time uh, life. Not Time Life, uh, but other ones. But I was really—I remember looking at the a picture of like the checkerboard 
radiation burn yeah. thing and being like, oh, wow, that's, I want that. But like if you, in, I don't know if you can speak to it now because you've been gone for so long, but if a person had, one of the things that I noticed through the, through your book and through this documentary that I watched is that people, when they come out, there's pre- a lot of pretty regular people and a lot of very high-ranking people. Right. Which are, they're immediately ridiculed and they made to be sorry that they ever talked about what they saw. Is the same kind of ridicule in Ireland or in Pakistan, is, it, does it feel as lambasted and lampooned in the, in the other countries that you guys grew up in? Yeah. I, I'd say so. I mean, the thing is, I think you'd be more ridiculed for an alien than a ghost in Ireland. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you've a very religious country, any really religious right. country, you're naturally saying, I believe in something higher, as long as it's not higher than Jesus. Right. Like, or Allah, or whatever oh, it is. Oh, uh, we've got as like, As long as it's not Jesus. higher than that. <laughs> I see your Allah, and I raise you a Jesus Christ. Um, you call them wee little spirits, is that right? A wee little spirit, yeah, okay. and not a... No, we really don't. Um, <laughs> but I, I, I think there's the belief in, in something higher than you, but the alien sign right. side of it, I think you would... Fair enough, because be to some degree, ridiculed. an alien sighting uh, flies in the face of a religious... Yes, right. exactly. exactly. It feels more grounded in science. I think, I mean, the idea of, of God and why we have it, it's, it's for all of our psychology and it's for all of our um, insanity. It's what we have to explain things that we don't have any words for at the moment. We don't have any science for it. And that's why we have it. And whether it's real or not, we don't know. Actually, but I do know, and it, it is. Oh, yeah. Is it Jesus? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. Jesus, not Jesus, literally. No. Um, is it not Jesus? Who is it? Oh, God. It's interesting because religion provides comfort, whereas aliens provide discomfort. Extreme discomfort. discomfort. Why also, would we want to believe But I think, I think the idea that we are alone is so solipsistic. It's so the idea that we are at the core of our own universe. I've always said it's it was solipsistic. You are Moshe. I it's do. classic Moshe, to yeah, be honest. Yeah. But it's so the idea that we are the only planet that has managed to like get enough heat and bacteria together to develop into whatever li- these little bags of meat we are are is 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 absolutely ridiculous. Uh, that said, I, I I don't know about the how far in advance. For example, all all of the alien spacecrafts we have are a version of aeroplanes. So we never we can't even imagine something That's right. that doesn't look like even when it moves people, as a vapor. Like yeah, we don't know. You know. Even like the Hindu what, gods what are you're Jesus. Saying that they the, all look like men. You're saying that the sightings of UFOs thing. match aircraft that we've seen in they, they actual conventional... They match some idea I don't of think that that, a helium balloon, of a balloon into the sky, say, of an octopus. Is that true, that's, Ryan? That, that, that for me is... That's the bit that I'm that like doesn't feel That doesn't feel like it tracks with your book. Like, is that is that true that the sightings of alien spacecraft fit conventional aircraft ideas? I, I wouldn't say they directly mirror our aircraft. They always seem to be a little bit ahead, um, at least from what I've gathered from, you know, decade to decade report... For, to report, I mean, you look at like the early fifties, you had saucers. You look at the sixties and seventies, eighties, you had just weed leaves, right? Just yes. floating weed leaves. <laughs> I just saw a Tesla three flying around the other day. <laughs> <laughs> well, t- um, take us. Well, yeah, please. I'm sorry. Um, oh God, what's spring heel Jack? Do you know what that is? You don't know what that is. I think okay, that's, that's a murder fine. thing, that's isn't fine. it? No, but there was... Uh, I've I read these books, and now I'm getting, like, little flashes, but in, in London, there was, like, a creek. There was, like, a sighting, and then this creature was seen jumping around for... This was, like, in the 1800s the or something. the Mothman prophecies. So are there, like... You know what? There's, like, mm-hmm. old paintings where there's, like, a disc flying and yeah. stuff. What's that about? <laughs> yeah. Great question, Kumail. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. I mean... 
Again, that would get me more that pre the idea of an aeroplane yes, where people fly. There's something. What what I was trying to say there was the idea that there's aliens. Of course, of course, we're not the only bloody planet. Like how classic hashtag human is is it of us to imagine like no, we're the only ones. We're the most advanced you could ever be. What about crack sh- crack shoes? Then that's disgusting. Like clearly, we're not the most advanced people in the world. But the that's the, your the, proof that we're not alone in the yeah, universe. Crocs, crocs guys, <laughs> don't. Um, but if, like that. We we can't even imagine something a little like you're, you, you were saying about sightings. They're a little bit further on than a spacecraft. Mm-hmm. They're not an unimaginable thing. Yeah. They're just a little bit. They, further but on. I think in but the when past, you're like, like what you were, were saying, Kamal, about those things in the paintings, you're like, that is. Yeah, that so is nuts. Are, yeah, no, right. are there a lot of sightings before like the 1900s? Oh yeah, I mean, there's there's sightings back to recorded history, from what I can gather. I mean, I I, I look a lot at the modern UFO era from like Roswell mm-hmm. on, but. Yes, I mean, you look at... Um, like Nostradamus' predictions yeah. of 9-11 yeah. or whatever. You're like, oh, that's weird because yeah. they are... that He couldn't even have imagined a, a, a building that high. Mm. So something that, 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 that to me is like, whoa, that's a, you know... You worked story. real hard to bring 9-11 into this. <laughs> yeah. Always, always. That's kind of my brand. Yeah. Never forget. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, so getting back to the modern understanding of, of the UFO era, which I think these questions are good, and what you're saying is that there are recorded uh, instances of these sightings, but it doesn't actually hit its fever pitch until, to your point, Ashling, we do uh, we do get it to the modern era. So there is a kind of, you know, sort of confirmation bias question about it all, but as we get into la- later on into but the it, history... Uh, I want to say it makes sense that as we have more science that these sightings would stand out more because back then you see something flying and you're like fuck, we don't know anything, yeah. so that's yeah, yeah, fine. Yeah, yeah. But now we're like, we know most things what the, what fuck the is hell that? is that yeah. so they, they wanted to figure out what whether it was real when we got to this exactly what you're saying to this era of ex- scientific exploration and in fact to this era of really being afraid of our skies being compromised our national security being compromised uh af- after world war ii and airspace being a secured uh, thing that needed to be secured uh we start seeing government involvement and in trying to figure out what these things are so tell me about project blue book and what what, what was that and and how did it affect the the discovery and the exploration of UFOs. Yeah, so uh, Project Blue Book was the government's first official uh, acknowledgement that there was a a UFO phenomenon. By the way, they coined the term UFO, unidentified flying object, to downplay uh, you know the danger of mm. what these things could possibly be in our skies. No, yeah, yeah. We just don't know. We just don't know. Yeah. Um, so they they coined this term UFO. They started looking into it. They hired the world's most prominent astronomers to look into this to debunk it very much like Scully. And when was this? Uh, this was in 1957 when Project okay. Blue Book started. Uh, um, uh, Pakistan had been around for 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so what was happening beyond what was happening in Pakistan, which we've all been very curious about? What was happening between 47 when they confiscated all the equipment at Roswell and the beginning of this Blue Book, Blue Book project? What, what was the government doing and what was happening in, in this space? Uh, so, no pun intended. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, if these things were crashing in the skies and they weren't supposedly ours, like clearly it was a, a threat, you know? So I, I think that was the point where they had to say, okay, we have to look into this officially. Um, they hired Dr. J. Allen Hynek, again, the world's most like prominent astronomer at the time to say, it's just swamp gas. It's just a uh, natural phenomenon. Oh, I hate swamp gas. Swamp man. Gas. <laughs> that, was a, that was a bad night, you know? <laughs> and he couldn't do it. He, he spent years investigating these cases, going out, you know, boots on the ground, like, looking at these things. And eventually he came to the conclusion that whatever these things were, they, they were not ours. 
And uh, it was pretty interesting. He started his own organization after that, after Project Blue Book ended in uh, 1969. The government said it was not a national security threat. Everything's cool. We're done investigating this. What was he investigating, though? Was he investigating, like, parts of the spacecrafts that he found or people's uh, um, reports? Reports, Reports? yeah. So he was, like, the first responder when people would report these things to the government. So they would, you know, send him out there to interview the witnesses um, and to look for any trace evidence. You know, had a craft supposedly landed, uh, they'd go out there with Geiger counters looking for radiation in the area. And did they Uh, find radiation in the area? Oh, yeah. On many occasions. In fact, like it was uh, in that documentary, like Harry Truman, who was president at the time, was talking about this isn't like this is not a classified project. Uh, no, no, this was completely open to the public. Right, it wasn't, and at the time, the, the, the conversation felt a lot more dignified. It felt a lot less ridicule-based and more like where they were actually trying to figure out whatever the phenomenon was that people were seeing, whether or not it was a real phenomenon. Yeah. And Harry Truman himself was like on was talking about it and trying to get to the bottom of it. Yeah. So, in other words, the government hired a scientist to try to disprove the existence of UFOs, and could he could not. He could not, no, I to th- the point where he became a believer. I think that's what's so scary about the whole thing. It's not just aliens, at at least when it comes to America. It's the fact that it feels like our government has been working their asses off to keep whatever it is from Mm. us. And I think that's the thing that's scary. It's not only like, not only are there beings coming from other places, but like, oh, the government knows everything. It's spending millions of dollars keeping it from you. There's something definitely bad going on here. It kind of speaks to a scarier like, oh, there there is something for sure. And the people who are in charge absolutely don't want us to have any part of it. Do you it. think I, it's getting harder and harder? Like, do you remember when Osama bin Laden was caught? Oh, my God. But, no, but it's... Nine, nine, queen of 9-11 speaks again. That's right. I just want some answers. Um, no, put on glasses. Do you remember there was a guy um, who tweeted about seeing the helicopters? And so they were trying to do, like, a private mission. But there was a guy who's like, I can see these helicopters right. outside my house. And all of a sudden, you, for example, had no access to the internet. All you could do is go, Dad! <laughs> him at the time, <laughs> but, exactly. but uh, now, like, like people, the people around can go, guys, what the hell is going on? Here's a picture. Everyone else can see this. So at the time, there was this guy just in his house going, it is weird for this time of night for these helicopters to be floating about. So that so, would be that would fall into your 95, 98 percent of of cases that are bullshit. That are people thinking they're seeing something. No, that no, really no I don't. I don't mean it like that. I mean it more that um, at the time, you like you. What would you do? To call the government. You'd call a government, get through to a hotline. Weeks later, someone would come with a white coat and go. Whereas now, you sort there are people have connection to communities, and you can take a photo very quickly. You can just take it. You know, like like you were saying about um, uh, technology, we have sort of access to go. That is weird because there's so much stuff. I can take a picture of it or. But then also it, all the stuff is it's harder to believe because exactly it's so yeah yeah that that is the biggest conundrum we have in ufology as we call it is we live in an age where anything can be faked you know every right. UFO photo every video that comes out you know so that I get sent on a weekly basis it's bullshit it's bullshit it's bullshit so in a weird way these older sightings and these older uh, uh, cases are a little bit more helpful to figure out if they're real than people saying that they see them now. Right? I, I think so. I, and, I mean, it, it's it's sad to think that, you know, we have to look back at 1947 for, you know, to see an authentic UFO. Right. So, yeah. so Project Blue Book was shut down in 1969. Why did they shut it down? Because they decided there was no credible threat, whether that was true or not. They shut it down and they said... Or did they find it enough to... To realize that they had to start hiding it. Yeah. By the way, I do want to say that the government secrecy around it, I understand that, and I 
support it. What do you I, think that is? I think if they were like, oh, we don't know. There's spacecraft mm. coming and going. We have no idea. That would be horrifying. I what would happen? Know. I want to know. No, but what, what do you think would happen? In a, in a, in a, in a world where, where we're living in a, a reality that's terrifying on a daily basis, yes. like, what would really happen if the government was like, yeah, there are UFOs? Also, it wouldn't even move aliens. the needle. Yes. You know? no, but that's like, Trump. We elected Trump. It's all yeah, good. Yeah, but that's <laughs> now. I'm, I'm saying like but, before that. No, I, I agree and with I, that. And I think that the era that these, that these craft came out, that's post-World War II era, people were really paranoid about the yes. end of the world nuclear mm. weapons. Now we just accepted that it's definitely going to happen and it's not Anything a big deal. Yeah. So, but it doesn't. Ex- so it explains why they covered it up in the first place. It, it doesn't explain why they continue to do so today if it is in fact a cover-up. And I think the evidence shows that it is in fact a cover-up. Whether they're covering up their own technology or not, we don't know. But what what happened when they shut down Project Blue Book? Did they stop researching UFOs? Uh, apparently. Th- that was their official statement on it. Um, a story came out you know, maybe a month ago, uh, where we learned that that certainly was not the case. What was that story? Uh, so this happened about a month ago. The New York Times uh, came out with an article about a secret Pentagon program that had been going on for about five years where they were secretly investigating UFOs. You mean the last five years there's been a, pro- a program at the Pentagon This was UFOs. from about 2000, yeah, about 2008 or so to, to now, so a little longer than that. And did they discover anything? So This yeah. is what you were talking about, Kumail. Yeah, it's really great stuff. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, for like ufologists who were screaming, you know, for vindication yeah. that these things are real. And by the way, to your point, Moshe, this story came out and it did not move the needle. Exactly. Everybody's just like, what did Trump tweet? Yeah. yeah. There's alien life here right now. Now, but what about Trump, though? Did he fuck Stormy Daniels? But do you he think did. that that's why certain things take off? Because they kind of capture a mood. Like, there are certain times when, collectively, we're, we're, humans are more like bees. Like, we all sort of are afraid of the same things at the same time, whether it's terrorism or UFOs at the time or, or mad cow disease or whatever it's going to be. We all get afraid of the same thing, and it takes attention away from something else. At the moment... In the world, aliens are the least of our fucking problems. Absolutely. So we're like, oh, come and yeah. come and bomb us or do something. It'll be better than what's going on now. But, but tell us so about the Pentagon. A, guy. But before yeah. you do that, actually, yeah. speaking of terrorism, just real quick, what's your favorite terror attack? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the IRA had some real doozies during the eighties. Um, no, I, I wasn't trying to d- d- distract from from what you were saying. I was just saying, in terms of it going quiet, it's because the fear has been sort of pushed somewhere else. So I'm not surprised there was no big. Uh, like kind of like hitting the news about it because people are so overwhelmed by everything else that's going on that that's yeah. but also fear. a rival yeah. came out right after the election and I sobbed like a baby during that yeah. movie. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what? What? Um, what was the, the Pentagon story? What did we learn from that? So the head of the program, his name was Luis Elizondo. He'd worked for the Department of Defense for a really long time. He was hired to uh, to head this project. By uh, I believe it was Senator Harry Reid. Uh, yes, was the one it was who, Harry yeah, Reid. Harry Reid. He's the one who got the money to do this. What are you, a hip hop hype man? <laughs> the super Harry Reid. I just mean it's not a crazy guy. It's a guy we know. Well, that's what I kept coming to with this, with the stuff that you sent me. Was like, like yes, there are crazies out there that are like you know saying that they are getting alien anal probes. But a lot of the people that are cited in your book and in this documentary are like you know Air Force general uh, majors, Air Force pilots. Jimmy Carter, right? Didn't Jimmy Carter, Carter, Gerald right. Ford, Harry Truman. So what? Uh, oh, so Morris me. Day. <laughs> Morris Day and the, and time, the time. Time Life books. Pages missing, etc. 
Sarah. I'm getting um, too old for so, this shit. So Harry Reid had hired this guy. Yeah, he hired this guy, and he got the funding to do this project because Harry Reid was very interested in the topic. And uh, so for it was something like $22 million, which right. you know to me seems like a lot, but in terms of like government funding, it's nothing. And I think that was the purpose was it was so lowly funded that it was, you know, under the radar. So, you know, they could do this secretly and keep investigating UFOs. So wasn't he involved with another guy who um, was like an entrepreneur? Yeah. What's that? So Harry Reid was directly involved with Robert Bigelow. Um, This guy is an entrepreneur. He started a... Uh, budge, the budget hotel suites. So this dude's a billionaire, and he's had a strong interest in UFOs for many, many years. He is convinced that we've been visited um, by something otherworldly, non-human, and uh, he had been helping to fund this project as well. So any information that was going into this Pentagon story was then getting funneled to Robert Bigelow. Wait, so this is a private citizen that's yeah. funding a, go- a, a Pentagon in- inspection unit? Yes. And was he legally getting the information, or was it were, was the guy just passing it to him? I, I see. That's where I, I it gets very interesting. Um, that's supposedly. Terrifying. Bigelow has wreckage from UFO craft oh, in geez. his possession. Well, in one of those budget billion. suites. Yeah. yeah. That's crazy. And he has a brother named Deuce who's actually a male gigolo. I don't know if people know about that, but uh, just looking for a joke, Camille. All right, I see your disappointment, you, you and I accept one? it. Did you find oh, you're right, you're right. Did you find a joke? Yeah, when are you going to find yeah, it? Yeah, let me know when you find a joke. You know what? The joke is out there. Um, okay, so in the 60s, so we move into the 60s and 70s, right, and now things start to get a little bit wonky and weirder because with psychedelic drugs and with the kind of hippie movement, the UFO, to your point, Ashley, the, the UFO movement sways into the cultural forces that are present at the time. What What's going on in the 60s? and 70s in terms of UFO sightings. Yeah, so I mean, you're looking at the decades when like we're very anti-war, we're all about peace, and you start to see uh, see this movement within ufology that almost these religions start to pop up around it. And a lot of people believe ufology is religion, it's a belief system, whereas I look at it more as, you know, fact-based, evidence-based. Wait, people believe, what do they believe, what are the tenets of this religion? That there were beings that came and set up our civilization and that's that's why they're coming back? Is Because that was one of the questions I kept asking myself, is like, I can understand an alien visiting, I can't understand aliens visiting sustained over and over again for 60 years, and what are they doing? How yeah. fucking interesting, I mean, what, are they, what are they doing? Are they just jerking their little twelve-year-old dicks to our, you know, like porkies looking through a thing? Well, like, why are they here so much? Lottery, probably. Yeah. What's that? They're just playing the lottery every time they come back. They're like, we're gonna get it at some point, and yeah. then we can go. Maybe it's like a cruise ship for them. Like they pay money. Oh, like, oh, go check out Tourism. Earth. Look at these idiots. <laughs> And do you think it's an, an element of it? Again, I, I just don't, I, again I believe that there are probably aliens. It's just at certain times the psychological zeitgeist or what it taps into it, it is sort of prevalent around the world. For example, fear or the idea that we're alone or that we want to go somewhere else. So I believe a lot of like religions come from God. Imagine if this is all we is. Uh, if this is all we are. Imagine if this is this is it. That would be too 
terrifying yeah. to get our heads round. So let's just really believe there's something else. But that's sort of and then with that's so, with, with, an uh, argument against you actual UFOs. Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, uh, against uh, not not to say some of the sightings, but like you're saying, like in in terms of tapping into the psychology of why we have this need or what to you believe. Have, what what need UFOs kind of take? What what need they fulfill for us? Yes, yes, like, yes, yes, exactly. So, and that's why I'm curious. What in in ufology? What what is the cult, like current thing of what aliens are doing for us? Like that we is what's in the culture? In, in other words, why are they coming here? Or what no, are they no, doing? No, no, no. Not when actually. Like it just in, I'm more interested in how we we interpret them coming. Mm. So if oh, it, we know that already. No, but like literally right now. So if it's gone from like oh they might be a threat, oh they're peaceful loving beings, we should build a religion around them. What is it now? Have they come to take us away I, from this bad... Look, yeah, is it a is rescue another, mission at this yeah. point? Well, like, well, well if in the 60s, was it that there were religions around UFOs? Yeah, I mean, there were religions popping up, there were cults popping up. But what up. was the basis of those religions? Like, are we going to be saved? Or are we, what, what, right. is the, what is the idea behind it? I, I think what, it, what was, it was this whole idea of uh, they are going to impart knowledge on us. They're going uh, to mm. uh, come here to save us. So we were searching for, like, an other to save us because we weren't, you know saving ourselves. And that's exactly how we've interpreted phenomena we don't understand. It used to be like, oh, it's raining because this goat, we should kill this goat. You know mm. you know what I mean? And so uh, yeah. seeing UFOs, we're just putting on... I don't know why you guys laughed at that. Um, <laughs> that's real shit. Um, but... but we're seeing something we don't understand and we're coming up with different reasons well, that's to explain what I just it. had a thought if all of the butt probing of the 80s was a result of like STDs and like suddenly like that <gasps> and homophobia a, and homophobia and that being a yes, thing in the culture that, that's what we're responding to yes Jessica thank Fletcher you. yes thank you so I, well exactly and the, the, what, what happened in the 80s and 90s is that they started they moved from being our like loving brothers into being people that are coming to like butt stick fucker. shit in our yeah butt fuck us and give us space aids so <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what have you encountered people that were abducted but that claim to be abducted by aliens and what like do you buy that do you buy that kind of stuff it's really tough and it, it i was extremely skeptical when i got to the alien abduction part of the book and and you know essentially interviewing people who claim this like i had to meet them face to face in order to hear or, or ask to ask as the case may be <laughs> It's funny how that all probe thing. Like that was like one case. Yeah, but really one case. No, it's definitely been more I, than one. A few. Yeah, yeah but listen, yeah. it's the Steele dossier. We don't talk about all the other shit. We talk about the fucking piss on the with the Russian hooker. I mean, so but it's also, salacious. Like, if, if you are probing as a scientist, there's only so many holes in a human. One of them's gonna be like it's like. Two nose, two ears, one mouth or a butt. Like a there's badge. only there's yeah. only one. Wait, you missed a, a very important hole. <laughs> I forgot about my main one. You know, when it comes down it. to sex, it's an ass, two nose, nostrils, an ear, and I guess you're done. I don't no, know what no. else is there. When, when I lose my virginity, I'm going to know all about the last one. <laughs> you really are Irish. Um, <laughs> but no, I, it's not that mad to think that you go up one of them, wouldn't it? Like it's your nose, your ears. Are well, true. did you ever conduct an interview with a person that had been abducted that made you feel like this is? something happened here yeah so there were a few i mean i i met with a woman face to face with her husband and she's recalling this event that had happened to her that she'd been taken aboard this craft that they'd experimented on her um and she's like gripping her husband's hand and <gasps> just crying and he's like there, like trying to calm her down now whether or not 
th- that's the whole thing that I've come to with the alien abduction phenomenon is whether or not that physically happened. If it really happened, if aliens actually took this woman, I, I can't tell you. I but you there. think she, she believes she it, and that's believes, all you can get at. Most of these people, they firmly believe that these events happened to them. No, I, I can't say they did or they did not. Uh, I'll take down the story. I'll, I'll be a listening But do you believe, like you can always, of course you can, but when you go into those rooms, is there an element of belief or is it just sort of like pity and sorrow for whatever this person feels viscerally like they're going through? I, I wouldn't say pity. I, I'm definitely open and compassionate. Mm. I, I think that's essential when you're interviewing someone with such a, on mm. such a sensitive issue. Um, just to hear them out is almost like confirmation enough for them. Yeah. If someone's willing to listen. But that idea you, of like, they do without studies, enabling them. They do studies of people like if you write down, while someone's telling you about a trauma, if you are writing something down versus not, the people who are being listened to by someone writing something down feel better, better than yeah. the other people because they feel like it's going somewhere official Absolutely. and now it means something. Yes. Yeah. I read a thing that said that a, uh, a theory is that a lot of these abduction memories are actually dissociated memories of abuse. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, I run into that. Somebody just book. snapped like we were at a poetry slam over here, I swear. <laughs> You're like, dissociated memories of abuse right there, boy, yeah. <laughs> they, they have a bingo T- talk card. About it. Check that. <laughs> oh yeah. Why one? Did they have their hound tall bingo card? <laughs> but uh, that it's someone a visitor in the night mm-hmm. taking you know all oh yeah i mean there the theories of you know abuse or trauma as a child or uh sleep paralysis you know yeah. things like this these are a lot of a, a lot of the times the explanations for mm. abduction cases but there uh, there's a gentleman that i used to speak to um he passed away a few years ago named buddy hopkins he was fucked to death by an alien wasn't he <laughs> oh, i knew it i knew yeah, it was I've real been- I've been proven real person. Oh, this is your friend? Yeah. Oh, a colleague. A colleague? All right. He was fucked to death by an alien. Acquainted. He had a family. I know. It's a fucking tragedy the way he went out. You're going to have to bleep his name. Go ahead. Uh, He interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people who claimed to have been abducted by aliens. I'd say about 98% of them. uh, He found absolutely no evidence of any sort of trauma. Well, what about the 2%? And this is what I would say to you as well. What do you think? 98% had no abuse of trauma, so only 2% were the ones who who were easily debunked. Exactly. So what did he... No, rather, what did you feel? Because, again, you're saying you have a lot of sensitivity and everything, and you clearly are a caring person. Were there any of them that you were like, fuck, man, I think this might have happened to you, when you were talking to these people? Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I... I am. Uh, I've been interviewing this guy for years now. His name is Travis Walton. They made a movie about him, mm-hmm. uh, early '90s, I want to say, called what? Fire. In the oh, Sky. that I scene is awful. Oh, yeah. that I scene. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's what is it called? It's what called Fire, Fire in, in the, the Sky. sky. Okay. What happens in the? So oh. isn't that the movie that first scared you about f- from aliens? No, ET then? was the first fucking movie right, that right. scared me about aliens. Oh. That guy looks like a penis. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not scared of this. You're not scared of them anymore. Somebody's upset. You just got the opposite of a poetry slam snap on that. You fucking say E.T. looks like a dick, motherfucker? Uh-uh. Take it back. E.T. looks like He a- rode a bike and it was cute. <laughs> are okay. you terrified of E.T.? No, I'm terrified for you. That's oh. the penises that you are seeing. Uh, oh, Come God. On. Hey, I'm right here. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. My penis. Take it out, put a blanket on it, see if we all love it. You know, in 1947, Pakistan began, and the alien dick phenomenon has never been the same. Now, 
Okay, so we're going. Uh, oh, I want you to answer that question first. Is it the, the, this person? What were you saying? You interviewed this one person. Oh yeah, I mean, he, this was back in like '75. It happened, but like six. He was part of a logging crew that went out to do a project, a tree thinning project. Uh, they see this craft. He gets out. This guy Travis. He looks up at it. It shoots a beam down. Hits him. And the other dudes, they you know, they just bolt. They get out of there. Yeah. They think he's dead at that point. Um, many hours later, they come back. And <laughs> many hours later. Many hours Should we go later. check on Claude? Or? Yeah. God, no, male no. friendships are awful. Yeah. Male friend- if that was a girl, I'd be like, get the fuck down, you piece of shit. Go on, Mary, you get up there. I'll stand on my shoulders. We'll get him back. Yeah, but men I've are no- like, run. We'll come back in a few hours and see if he's okay. Yeah, I've noticed how supportive women are of each other all the time. <laughs> uh, so, so they all saw Taylor being abducted. Travis. Uh, it's Travis. Travis. I called him Claude, and I feel like yeah. it should stick. Yeah. Okay, we yeah. will let it go. I'm sure one of them. They saw him be Claude. hit by a beam. Yeah. They so, saw that. They saw it. They all saw it. He gets hit. They leave. Uh, they report it to the police, what happened. They go out with the police to try to find the guy. They can't find him anywhere. So for weeks on end, everyone thinks that uh, this guy's been murdered and that this is this like story of a UFO was a cover-up for it. Um by the loggers, they think the loggers. By the loggers, wow. that they, you know, maybe something happened out there. They made up this elaborate story. Uh, a few weeks later, he shows up. He's found on the side of a road, and uh, they are able to, you know, get him talking again and everything. He recounts the same exact event that happened with the beam coming down, and then he recounts this crazy story about being taken aboard a craft and being experimented on. He picked something up, tried to hit one of the aliens at one point. Whoa. And, uh, That's a logger for you right there, huh? <laughs> you get a comedian up there, it's just fucking submission, you know? <laughs> I'm turning over, I'm like, it's back here. <laughs> this is the only one I have. <laughs> you got my at nose. At least it's a story. <laughs> two nostrils, two ears. <laughs> I got, got ten new minutes. I got a yeah. one-man show coming soon. Yeah. This is not the difference between men and women again. I like that. You get kidnapped by an alien and you get ten new minutes out of it. That is at least a one-man show. It was like, no, 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 go back to the other stuff. That's all I got yeah. on that, actually. Motion talks fast. Yeah. Anyway, I'm married now, so it's, you know, that's a trip. Anyway. Um, so this, this gentleman remembers it, and is he still around? Oh, yeah, he's still around. And what's weird is... Like he hasn't. It looks like he hasn't aged a day since this happened. Whoa. Take me up there, it's right? Crazy. Yeah. Hollywood. Hollywood. Uh, he and the other loggers were put under countless like polygraph tests, and they all passed with flying colors. Wow. It's fucking crazy. Like, did you talk to the other loggers? Yes, I've spoken to several of them on several occasions. They all have the same. They all have the same. Are story. they all friends still? No. No. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. How far away were like, you? Be like Taylor, you run away. Taylor still looks all young and fuckable. We're all old ass loggers over here with yeah. our leather skin. Travis, but yes. Oh, uh, Travis. <laughs> I went from Claude to Taylor. I'm getting yeah, closer. Getting close. uh, how far away was he found from where he was taken? Presumably, uh, I think it was something like 20 miles or something wow. like that. Yeah. What do so, you think? Yeah. Oh, so, so that's when you believe, like you feel like. Mm, well, that, yeah. like, I mean, that's a case where I'm like, these. They had everything to lose and nothing to gain with this yeah, story. Yeah, a yeah, story. Yeah. They've made no money on this. You know, they unless made a movie about it. Unless they were like, no, unless they were yeah, with women, an orgy or something, well, and they were yeah, like, what, wait, guys, if we all say we <laughs> saw <a> Bam alive, <laughs> and they all fucked each other, and then he hid for two weeks. Homophobia is deep, man. It's like I'll be in this log cabin for two weeks. It's also an anal probe situation. Um, well, that's the thing. I know people personally who are normal 
people, sane, normal people, people who have seen UFOs, and mm. I know a group of three friends who'd seen it, and one was telling people, and the other two were like, don't tell people, it makes us look weird, so he doesn't yeah, talk about it. I know multiple anything. people who've seen Who've seen it? There's, there are cases where, like, a whole town in Texas saw something. You know, that's yeah. right. They don't in, gain anything. Or, in, from. or in a town in Texas, in Phoenix, Arizona, there was one case in Phoenix, Arizona, that so many people saw it. The governor of Arizona saw it, and he yeah. wow. he, he came out and said, "I saw these aliens." Yeah. What? There what was, did they see? They saw a. You tell us. Yeah, this was the Phoenix Lights incident of uh, 1997. It's a, a great huge title. boomerang <laughs> craft was seen over the city of Phoenix. Uh, Thousands of people saw this, reported it. Uh, they sent out fighter jets to, to try to find this thing. What, they couldn't what year find was it. This, this is ninety-seven. But You're because at graduated it, high school, so because yeah, exactly. you remember that was uh, crocodile <laughs> but Dundee was really huge then, so that's why people were seeing giant boomerangs. <laughs> <laughs> that's not an alien spacecraft. Yeah. <laughs> it is an alien spacecraft. Um, so. So, but that are, wasn't that long ago for a whole time to see something. It's quite like. Well, there's another. There, one of the stories in uh, the uh, to me was the most substantive and really was sort of breathtaking was the story of the airbase in England, where uh, the the U.S. Air Force base in England. Tell us about that. What they saw and what happened. Yeah, so I, I've been in direct contact with the key witness to this event. This happened in 1980. It was in called Rendlesham Forest. This uh, was a forest between two joint military bases owned by the United States in England. Uh, this is during the Cold War, you know, so tensions were high. We were over there just in case anything happened. Um, so one night, this craft is caught on radar. Um, everyone's seen it coming in, land in the forest, and about 60 officers were sent out to investigate whatever the hell this thing was. Because they thought it was maybe a, a sort of foreign actor yeah. that was coming in to do some nefarious something. Absolutely. Right? And, and what's interesting is at the time, we were secretly housing nuclear ordnance under these bases without England's knowledge. Whoa. We were able to sneak them in. So, of course, it's highly sensitive at this point mm-hmm. if something had incurred, you know. And So they scrambled like 20 military police or whatever to go? 60. 60, okay. Yeah. And they all ran towards it. They all had to go. That, that was, they didn't know what they were walking into. They were just told to go out there and see what, you know, what they can do. Um, the base commander, this is caught on audio as well. You can hear this if you... I heard the audio. It's insane. It's, it's pretty scary, yeah. And uh, the base commander is recounting what's going on as this is happening. And he said that this craft was directly over the nuclear ordinance and disabled it. <gasps> it, it got what? shut down. And the other thing is that 20, these 20 military police went to the woods and they all saw something that they universally reported as beyond any kind of possibility of being crafted on at least technology that any of these people in the fucking Air Force knew about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So this is all the way from high-ranking military officials down to military police. All were reporting the same thing. Yeah. And then, correct me if I'm wrong, they called in somebody else once again to debunk the thing. They called in a higher-ranking military official who came in uh, and this, saw the exact same thing. Yeah, right? there was activity for three nights on the base. You know, once this thing landed and supposedly shot off, uh, strange lights were seen over the base for two more nights, and they could not explain what was going on. And they they told all the officers never to speak about it. This story only came out about 20 years ago or so. It's and, interesting. And this was not like, a, you know, a, a you know traumatized yokel, you know, just going like, I saw something in the sky. These are high-ranking military officials. And also, after that, the governments of England... And France 
have come out, and Belgium have all come out with full disclosure on their their UFO programs, their UFO observation programs, and they all report that there are at least some. Uh, substantial cases of UFOs that they cannot explain and that were sightings that can't be explained. So other countries have come out and admit that they're, <clears throat> they've like found stuff. Almost every country you can think of who has ever investigated UFOs, you know, whether publicly or secretly, have come forward and said, look, we've looked into it. We don't know what's going on, but here's our files. They're we're very such assholes. Why are we? Yeah. We're such assholes. Yeah. Like, why are we the ones who are like, no, 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 we'll keep this. Because we're the ones talking us. to them. Do you think we're actually talking to them? Uh, I... That's a, I mean, you look at Contact, to the movie Contact. You know, that, that's where I SETI comes in. I love that film. It's so good. It's really good. Oh. I have a, I have a, I don't know if there's a funny story, but it's an odd story. I saw Contact, <laughs> and I was so taken with it. I was like, when did it come out? Like ninety four? No, it was later. It was like ninety seven or so. I was just, yeah. I was so, I was just like in awe of the film. It like really got mm. my brain going, and I'm like, I gotta get in my car and drive into the hills to look at the moon so I did I got into this like 93 Saturn and I drove up into the Oakland Hills and I didn't bring any shoes because I was like it's like 2 in the morning I'm just going to go ponder the cosmos right and I'm up there I'm sitting on the hood I'm just having like a moment with God and the moon or whatever and I have no shoes on I'm way up in the Oakland Hills and I pull I'm like okay well I've, I've looked at the moon for a while and I pull out I, I start the car and I pull back and the car pulls up over a boulder and I'm stuck. I like can't move the car. And I don't shoeless. have no cell phone. This is pre-cell phone times. No shoes, and I had to walk three miles oh. down a winding uh, uh, Oakland Hill Road barefoot to this hotel where I walk in at like four in the morning barefoot. Like, do you guys have a payphone? Yeah, you guys seen the movie Contact? <laughs> They're like, yeah, people come here yeah. all the time. I've been pondering. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got another shoeless contact fan. <laughs> it's been happening for ten years. The movie's only been out for two. Ryan, uh, tell did us. you see the video that was, that came out a, a month ago? That uh, that was another one of those videos that came out with the the Pentagon guy that they they released one of the videos with it. Yes, yeah, so, I mean the big part of that Pentagon story was video footage that came officially from the Department of Defense, and these were two videos that. Uh, were from the gun camera footage from the fighter pilots who were sent to investigate these UFOs. And you're listening to them, and these pilots are, like, completely out of character. They're like, what the fuck is that? Uh-huh. Like, that's out. not how you talk when you're yeah, a pilot. Right. I don't you know mean, what it is. Yeah, yeah it's It was pretty great. freaky. And the footage itself is extremely startling. Yeah. Of the really? Way these objects are moving, uh, you know, zipping around at breakneck speeds that no human could survive it, it's just and that's what's really interesting and these videos were leaked by the head of the program yeah, he left the program he, he left, left yeah. the program so he could talk about this yes. right and he, what he quit so he could be like some something's happening it's like every other country in the fucking world it seems like isn't except for Blink ours 182 involved in this somehow too <laughs> oh yeah that guy's like uh he's he pays money the long right? yeah. So yeah, so maybe I, all the small things was about that. <laughs> all the small little men. Yeah, <laughs> it's interesting because a lot of the information about UFOs that's come out has comes from very wealthy people. If you have money, you're able to get the information. Mm. So Tom DeLonge 
all through his time in Blink-182, had been investigating UFOs, researching the topic. So whenever they were touring, you see, oh, they go to Roswell all the time. (laughs) It's a great cover. Can you imagine marrying someone from a band and going, oh, it's great, he's got so much money, they'd be like, do you never believe what he spends it on? (laughs) Oh, God, I have to do all the child support. He spends it on alien investigations. What a waste. My girlfriend goes through that almost every day. She's here tonight, ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) Wait, you're in Blink-182? With that haircut, you're Close. Um, what? Tell me some more of the uh, the like. Tell me one more of the stories, the anecdotal stories from your book or from the people that you've talked to that really like. What are some of the most spine tingling stories that you've heard? Like one or just? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the hard one, to refute. What's the that? Ones, the ones that are hard to refute. You're like, I mean, so many people. Right. So the ones I find most interesting is when there's more than one witness. Mm. I mean, you have corroborating evidence at that point. You know what I mean? And there was one where. A mother and her two daughters, they witnessed a triangular craft. This is in Michigan. And uh, so it's floating above their house. And one of the daughters is outside with the mother. The mother is, like, staring up at this thing. She thinks it's amazing. She's in awe. She feels euphoric. And the daughter's right next to her, like, covering her ears and saying how unbearably loud it is and how it's, like, going to kill them. And the mother couldn't hear anything. Oh, God. So it... Whoa! Yeah. What is? What do you? I'm what do you take from that? That 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 one really mystified me. I mean, mm. they're they're clearly looking, I think, at the same object, but having completely different perceptions. Because you know, your ears up until the age of eighteen can pick up sounds that an that's adult right. can't. That's so right. So they do it in a lot of shopping centers. Oh, so maybe she was. That's right. They tried to drive kids away at malls. Was, yeah, because yeah. right. they at malls sometimes they they play these sounds to stop kids loitering. Because is that true? Age, yeah, yeah, it's true. Up until the age of eighteen, yeah. is a frequency it's called easy you can listening. Hear. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> that's the end of the show. Very good. I mean, well, that's a good point for us to. Uh, are there any questions from the audience? Let's uh, take a couple questions. Are there any before... people who don't believe? Wow, I want to. Yeah, here we have a question here. Uh, are any of you more convinced of UFOs now? I was already pretty convinced, yeah, but I, I would say I'm <laughs> more convinced than I was. And also, uh, we'll have to take uh, a lot of medication to sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. I still, I, I've always believed in aliens because I think it's ridiculous not to. The UFO thing, I still, I, I think I have a question over our, our mass hysteria and psychologically what we, what we actually do as groups. Even, even things like looking up before airplanes or even the start of airplanes, did we ever look up as much as we do, and how much do we... That, that's I think that's, a, that's fair enough. What refutes it to me is, like, is 12 military police on an Air Force base mm. and a major seeing a spacecraft right in front of them. doesn't feel like, to me, maybe there's mass hysteria in the military, but it just feels like, they aren't they the opposite yeah. of, of mass hysteria? For me, it's, it's more like, why, why in a military area? You're like, oh, maybe there is some kind of, from another country, sure. going to a military area. Why in that particular that's, well because they there that, are, those are the questions cases too. of them like going gravitating towards nuclear weapons and stuff right mm. Does, that happens a bunch of times oh, right? absolutely yeah the, the Rendlesham one we mentioned there was one in Montana where it went over the base and shut them down again mm. there's one in Germany where it turned them on into oh yeah, that, yours turned you on a little bit too, right? <laughs> I remember that. Because it makes sense that they would go where our technology is best, right? Not, if they want to learn for, about for us. For us, like like I was saying, we always put it something to our perspective. So whether it's language or it's military or it's war, we put it within our perspective. So like, oh, they would go to a military base, and for me, that's a really human connection. Sure, no, but if they're going to a place, if they're where, attracted to radiation. Yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. Well, if no, but like, if they're looking for like. 
good tech, our most advanced technology, mm. it would make sense that they would go. But that's, that's again, it's, it's, it, it has to be to do with technology. Alien life, we always have to go, oh, it has to be with technology. It wouldn't be an organic matter. We can't even No, but that they, they do everything. They're, you know, anal probing, but also yeah. they're going to... That's, that's organic. There's a lot of, really good spot. There's a lot of organic them. matter inside of an asshole. So we have a question up here. Hey, um, so you've looked at so many of these cases. You guys are talking about, you know, oh, they're stopping over military bases and stuff about technology. You've looked at so many of these over time. I mean, are there any particular, like, odd details or recurring details that are just like, what could that possibly be? Like, why would this happen so much? Mm-hmm. Like, sort of strange things. Yeah, I think for me, at least, it's uh, the way it impacts people, actually. It's not even, like, the data or the evidence of the thing happening. It's how it actually affected people afterwards and sort of opened them up to the possibilities. Yeah, um, you're wanting a ufologist badge right now. It really it did a number you up, on you. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything that doesn't connect with what we see as aliens? So, again, like the spacecraft, the, the, the gray men, whatever it is, is there anything that, like, people have seen that have felt something that just doesn't connect with the sort of the cartoon of what we think are UFOs, the oh, kiss, yeah. the triangles, whatever it is. Yeah, I mean, there's like there's the narrative of you know the the, the flying saucer, the mm-hmm. little gray aliens um, that we see over and over and over again. But there's so crazy, bizarre cases out there of like you know seven foot tall Nordic aliens, you know, Ooh, Nordic looking. Yeah. Aliens. There's the lizard people. Yeah. That's hot. Yeah. There's politicians the magic, the magic that are yeah. Like, what do you want, an octopus or a seven I mean, foot tall Nordic man? It's hard to not feel Both threatened ladies. by that because there are few people who are less seven foot tall Nordic than me. <laughs> it's just the flavor she's been having for a while. Yeah, so it's yeah. like, you know, it's, it's an exciting yeah, other. You know what I mean? Right, no, because I always, I love chocolate, but every now and then it's like, let's try a seven foot tall <laughs> is there anybody who came tonight who didn't believe who now thinks that it's possible that it's oh let's hear from you why oh just um, all of the military examples you were bringing up it, it sounds pretty legit and I want to do some research now yeah because our military would never lie <laughs> <laughs> And then again, I leave. That, that's actually a really good point, man. The the fact that the, I don't I don't personally believe the government is ever going to tell us the truth about what they know, because honestly, I don't think they know a lot about yeah. what's going on. Yeah. You know, they, they they don't they don't control what's happening in our skies, but they can control the information that they give to the public. You want to project confidence, absolutely. Yes. And I don't think disclosure, as they call it, is ever going to come from the government. So, like, if you see something, just, it's like, you know, the subways. If you see something, say something. You know, there's 100,000 UFO reports a year, on average. You you would recommend people report UFO sightings? It seems like every person that does is ridiculed and, like, it becomes a mistake in their lives. I, I see that changing. You don't I have really to call do. it, it like I see an a like the, the, the nice thing about unidentified flying objects. You're literally like, what the hell is this? Well, Dennis Kucinich in that presidential debate, they asked him That's if he right. seen a UFO, and he was like, well, yeah, but it was, and his presidential Which, campaign was over. Yeah. Yeah. Right? They were just like, we're, we're down done. here, so bye, Dennis. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you'd still say do it. Why do you think it's important to report these things? I, I think it's extremely important because it gives us something to work off of instead of you know these cases from 1947. Mm. And stuff like that. I, I think the more people, the more credible people, military or academics or scientists that come forward or everyday people, you know, just see something when they look up. If they report it, that's more things that we can look into and, and t- bring it to the government and be like, t- like, tell us what you know. Are the reports going up given that we all have video cameras in our mm. pockets at all times? That is a really good question. Um, t- 
to my knowledge, the amount of UFOs reported hasn't changed. Interesting. Oh, wow. But, <laughs> yeah, because that, that to me makes it less the fact that we can capture the images now. And we're not. And, we, and we're not. No, but it's... Where is that? That's I, the kind of the point I, I was making earlier I think there's more videos, but the, not more, uh, si- uh, not more sightings. Is yeah. that what you were saying? I, I think so. And it's tough because that is the biggest conundrum, I think, in today's you know technological world is that we have the technology to just mm. look up and take a picture and we don't. You know, but for me, and this, this, this might seem like a jump, but if you look at what's happening with race in America, so much stuff is getting how does that connect well, no. well pakistan is a country classically depopulated of seven foot uh, tall fuckable aliens and i just think uh, it's time for us to talk about let it. me finish my point is that what most people are saying the incidents aren't new what's being what's new is that we can finally capture them and go this is happening can someone finally be held accountable but they're also less credible because we can you can manipulate an image yes yeah that that is true but at least like things are being captured so we're seeing more stuff so it's something where for years you're like it was only uh, witness reports because how else would you do it other than a witness report now there's all the technology to capture stuff and yet people aren't capturing anything yeah, but, why is but that there are there are there is audio and there are pictures and there is video or there is not. Oh, but yeah, from it's, now. It's out there. Now. It's, but like you said, it's disseminating the, the truth from the fiction at this mm-hmm. point. Like, there's apps that you can insert UFOs into your pictures. Right. Mm. Like, where do we go from there? Right. It's I guess up. Yeah. Is there anybody with a burning question? One final burn? Yes. All the way in the back here. Uh, so is Scientology real then? <laughs> Let's do Good one night, more everybody. question. Yeah, we've got another question to go. We're right across the street from those motherfuckers. You can talk aliens and the government all night long, but don't you ever impugn Scientology. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, that's our show. Thank, Thank you, you so much. Give a round of applause for Ryan Sprague, Kamel Nanjiani, Emily Gordon, Ashling B. Thank you very much, and come back and see us again on the Hound Hall Discussion Series here at the UCB Theater the second Wednesday of every month. Good night. I love you. Goodbye. Welcome, everyone, to another very exciting episode of Somewhere in the Skies. And I can't believe I'm saying this, but for the very first time on the show, exclusively, we have with us today Dave Foley. Dave, how you doing, my man? I'm very well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. It's a, a delight. I've been, a, I've been I guess, the long, long-time listener, first-time guest, I guess. <laughs> That's I'm extremely honored, man. I did mm-hmm. feature you... Uh, a panel that I did with you and Jeremy Corbell and UFO Jane on the show at one point, but this is the first yes. time you've actually been my guest. And of course I had to yeah. have my co-pilot here, a, um, a fellow Canadian like yourself. Yeah. Come I, on yeah. Here. I've been enjoying your, your new uh, collaboration. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm you guys, you guys are, you're the Nichols and May of UFOs. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying. Yeah. We're trying. We are, we're trying. Know. Good to see you. She, um, Nice to yeah, see you. Christy's definitely brought um she came guns a blazing. I mean, she was the one to get me Elizondo and Chris Mellon after oh, their big was... article came out. Yeah, and, that was a great um, interview. That was great. Oh, it yeah. was yeah, yeah. So we have her to thank for that. We um we just dropped another big story, an exclusive interview about Canadian UFO files, which I want to get your thoughts on too. Oh, I have, yeah, bit. I saw that. I didn't get a chance yeah. to re- to to read that. I was gonna go Oh, no that. worries. 
We but, can definitely uh, um, give you the Cliff Notes version. Um, but let's do the origin story for our viewers, our listeners who don't really know. Um, I, I don't know how they couldn't know who you are. But your 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 dive into the world of UFOs. How did this start? How did you first get interested? What made you start to take it seriously? Yeah, well, I think it's been less of a dive into is more uh, more of a, a fluctuating obs- obsession throughout my lifetime. I would say, uh, where I guess, um, I mean, as a kid, I was, I was definitely very interested in you. I mean, I was a child. The TV series UFO was on the air. Um, terrible show, by the way, by the guys who made (laughs) Thunderbirds or go, um, uh, their first live action show. And if you watch it now, it's fantastic wardrobe. But other than that, it's pretty awful. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and uh, and there was also the uh, Roy Thinnis series. Invaders was on at the time, so it was all you know. And and I loved all the sci-fi movies, like Day of the Earth Stood Still. I loved the sort of utopian vision of of aliens. Uh, of course, a child, big reader of Ray Bradbury as a kid. So, um, so all those things were interesting. But I, but it came in terms of seriousness and attentiveness. It's gone up and down, and it it took a big jump up around the time of the uh, the Phoenix Lights. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, because that was when, um, I mean, I mean before that, I mean, I never bought this, the Roswell story, uh, the cover-up story, but the, when the Phoenix Lights happened back in 97, I think it was, mm-hmm. um, that was one where I just kept looking at it and, and then heard the ridiculous, you know, it was Flair's uh, explanation. And, and again, how quickly... Uh, I mean, you go go back to Roswell, where basically you could just say, you know, um, it was, you know, it was a balloon, and people, go, oh yes, yes, the the only uh, yeah, nuclear uh, wing in in the world uh, would mistake a, a balloon for a UFO, uh, right? <laughs> everyone, everyone have a nap now, uh, <laughs> and so the Phoenix Lights seemed like exactly the same thing, where you know you. Uh, the government comes out and says it was flares, and all the media who were covering it a day before go, "No, I knew it." <laughs> um, so that got me thinking. Oh, this is ridiculous! And I guess, and just after that, uh, the French Cometa report came out. All right, uh, which was the French government's. Uh, uh, well, it was, a, it was a joint thing. It was the military science academy and government all working on a report on UFOs. And at the end, they just came out and came out and said to the whole world, Oh, the UFOs are real. Uh, and our best bet is they're extraterrestrial. And, and again, this is a, this is a pretty established Western government, uh, saying this, uh, pretty, uh, strong, you know, uh, scientific nation. Um, and again, uh, no one cared. You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. And then, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Didn't they shut down Cometa after they came out with that conclusion? I think I'm not sure if they did. I can't. I don't know now. Uh, I don't. Know I think if they, it was within like months or something. They said, yeah, yeah most possibly the the most. Uh, uh, what would you say? The biggest answer to it is probably extraterrestrial. And then they're like, yeah. nope, program over, done. done. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, they got their result. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, arguably, yeah. that's what you do with a program. They f- they true. get their their result and you shut it down. Um, yeah. But you think you'd follow it up with some other studies? And, and <laughs> yeah. I'm going to assume they have. 
you know, um, right. I mean, I, I mean, I do think the French have a better sort of reporting system than we've had. Uh, I don't know if it's still extent, but uh, but yeah. So those are the things that was got, got me really going on again. And then um, years later, seeing uh, watching um, um, uh, the uh, Out of the Blue. Um, um, James, Fox. James Fox's movie. Mm-hmm. I remember watching that, and that was the first. I think to me, I think it was the first really good documentary about the subject, because it was, it was very well produced, and it was dealing almost entirely with with uh, you know extremely uh, uh, what's what's the term? Not unimpeachable, uh, credible. Uh, mostly dealing with extremely credible sources and, and witnesses. And looking at, at at data, and I thought that was like the first really great, and that one really just that, and then watching the follow up, I know what I saw, um, sort of went okay, all right, this is uh, yeah, I gotta I gotta take this is a pretty serious issue for our time. Yeah, right. And then I mean, were you one of these people too when the whole New York Times thing? came out and everything were you all in at that point or were you kind of with the rest of us like huh what's going on here oh i was all in uh in fact i was in enough that 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 i that when the new york times story came out i i knew what they, what was being left out of it um all right i mean i at that time i already i knew from my some of my friends about osap and knew that you were in the know. Yeah, and knew that right. you know, knew, knew that the uh, the larger program uh, was OSAP, and that ATIP was just sort of an offshoot of OSAP within the within the Pentagon. Uh, so I knew I knew the things that you know. Recently, everyone's going, "Well, we should have you know the, these you know the, we weren't told the truth by the New York Times." I mean, I knew that they just they just weren't able to tell it at the time because the, the head of OSAP uh, hadn't come out, hadn't agreed to go public yet. How did you surround yourself then within the UFO community, Dave? Like, how did you like find yourself like embedded in this group of people that now have all this intel, right? Like all this intel, because it's we all find our way in in different ways. Outside of being interested in it, you find yourself into surrounded by people in the community. Well, it started because I was going to do it. I was going to go on uh, my friend Joe Rogan's podcast to promote my own podcast, and uh, and I so I remember. Uh, texting Joe late at night saying, Joe, you're going to be so excited. I'm, I'm full on into UFOs again. And, uh, and, and I was startled to get the text back from Joe. That's ah, all bullshit. I'm, I'm out of that. Right. Go, what, what the fuck? How <laughs> can you be out of segment. it now? And yeah. so, yeah. and that's one of the things where I started talking to him about, uh, I talked about James Fox's movies. And I also said, you know, I said, you should also, you should watch, uh, uh, the Bob Lazar documentary. Uh, by this guy Jeremy Corbell, and I said there's a lot of really interesting, compelling stuff in that, and uh, and then uh, so after I mentioned Jeremy's movie, Jeremy uh, reached sort of uh, gave me a, a shout on Twitter, and so we became Twitter friends, and uh, and we are you know, and then we became uh, real life friends uh, a little later. I actually I remember staying staying at Joshua Tree. And reached, sort of tweeted at Jeremy saying, "Look, I'm out in your uh, your end of the world. Uh, what should I do when I'm out here? Because he was he used to live out in Joshua Tree. Um, right. So uh, so that was yeah. So we became friends over just like you know, telling me what what restaurants and what tourist sites to see. 
And then we uh, just started meeting up and talked to, talking about UFOs. So we've been friends since then. We know that Joe's the person that got you in. Or you've got yeah. Joe back in, I should yeah, say. Yeah, I got Joe yeah. back in. Yeah, you got Joe back in. Well, yeah. well, back in the Phoenix big, Lights days, we used to talk about it all the time. You know, we used to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And then also, I mean, I used to argue because Joe was into sort of the uh, some of the uh, ancient alien stuff that I thought was kind of crazy. Uh, and I would argue with him about, you know, like when Joe was convinced the pyramids were built by aliens. <laughs> and I kept, and I was firmly opposed to that idea. I just kept saying, it's Stone Age technology, Joe. It's Stone Age. It's there's actually just stone masonry. Uh, so if the aliens, I believe the aliens built it. If there was one electric light bulb in there, you know? <laughs> right, right. Hey, and but, you're uh, talking mm. to the guy who's on Ancient Aliens, but I can say yeah. publicly, like Dave, I'm with you, man. Like we yeah. we forget the ingenuity and the innovativeness of of different cultures throughout yeah. the world. And, well, what and, they and the, pyra- the pyramids and the pyramids of Giza weren't built like, like just. Let's build this. There's hundreds of years of progress. You can watch the progress. You can travel around Egypt and see it. It starts with burial mounds. Then it starts with stepped uh, earth pyramids. Then it starts with stone-stepped pyramids. Then it started, eventually gets to the smooth-walled pyramids of Giza. I mean, but it took hundreds of years for them to figure it out. And you can, right. you can actually walk around Egypt and, and see it. You can see the progress towards the pyramids. Uh, so. Yep. That that's yeah but, that, that yeah. But could it be? Could it be? No, I'm just kidding. No, We're, we won't yeah. go there. We won't go there. <laughs> that yeah. Um, that that well, the Nazis the the Nazis got the V two advice from uh, aliens. Oh, that's the God. other one that makes me crazy. Why would Nazis? The Glocken. Yeah. The it's like, why would aliens show them how to build rockets? <laughs> they, they have gravitic propulsion. Why would they? If they want to help the Nazis, why wouldn't they say here? Here's how you defy gravity. Yeah. Yeah, t- take our trash, tra- take our, yeah. you know, thermodynamic rockets, and yeah. uh, and good yeah. luck with that. Um, yeah, no, they, they, the aliens just showed them how to use thousand-year-old Chinese technology. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move to, I mean, a lot of the stuff you brought up that got you interested is um, through documentaries and kind of the entertainment industry and how mm-hmm. they have handled this topic, whether it's through mainstream media or through hollywood um you're saying i'm not they, a reader that's what you're saying isn't it no i'm not saying that i'm not <laughs> no, saying, that's fair what's your favorite what, what's your favorite I'm, UFO? I'm dyslexic so i'm i am i'm oh. i am i'm not a great reader uh leslie that's kane's fair. book i really loved i read that um uh, and i finally i finally got around to uh now that i'm not being cynical anymore yes. nice yeah that's a fantastic <laughs> book i finally got around to reading the day after roswell uh, oh, which i guess i had yes, kind of dismissed yeah, Phil, of course, which I dismissed for years, and finally read it and uh, went, oh, it's, it's so much more rational than it's made out to be. It's so much, you know, he's like, none of his claims seem outrageous, you know, when you actually uh, don't, uh, when you're not reading the people describing his claims. Right, exactly, yeah. I, I haven't made my all made my way through the entire book yet, but you're right. A lot of the stuff that he says, um, there could be some truth to it, and, you yeah. know, unfortunately, like, Everything else with Roswell, we'll probably never truly yeah. know. But, um, but yeah, but it's not yeah. like he was saying. It was not like he was saying we got all these technologies from UFOs. He was saying he he his job was to find areas where people were doing research in various material sciences, where some of the materials recovered might have helped put that push that re- research forward. 
You know, it's not right. saying, yeah, it's not saying he just said, hey, here's some here's fiber optics. Go <laughs> ahead and make a billion dollars. Good luck. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. I actually spoke to Paul Helliard about that. Yeah, I spoke to Paul Helliard before, like years before he passed, about two years. And he read that book and that's what got him into the story as well. And he actually looked at his background because he was the Minister of Defense and then he was also going to be running to be the prime minister against Trudeau. And that was Pierre Trudeau, not our Trudeau now currently. Mm-hmm. But yeah. he then read that book when he was on vacation and someone gave it to him. And then that's what brought him in. But his parallel timelines said that it made sense for him. So when he mm-hmm. read it, he went, I know he knew the Kennedys. He knew everything that was related. So for him, it made sense. And when you get, you know, anybody that's in defense saying that their li- timelines match up with what the book says, you kind of have, you know, yeah. and he obviously knew more intel than we would ever know at that point, too. Yes. So, and then he was the yeah. people, of course, so he was so highly connected, you know, and so yeah. highly respected. And yeah. And as I said, and, and even you read the book, it's a very, it seems like a, it's a very pragmatic account of, of how we took, I got this stuff, I got it, I'm, I'm supposed to hand it out. That's my job. Yeah. And he lists all of the, uh, you know, all of the uh, key players that he was in contact with and that he dealt with, you know, so he's pretty detailed in the, uh, you know, in the, the, you know, the personnel that he cites. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Christy, um, why don't we we head into the entertainment territory? Because I know this is, you know, um, kind of what you guys chatted about on your show with Dave. But I'd love if we could expand on that conversation a little bit in terms of the entertainment industry. And, um, you know, I know Dave is um, you've done some stuff on television. I'm a professional entertainer. You are. You are. You've done just just a few (laughs) things that people might Mm -hmm. come from. But yeah, Chrissy, please take it from there. Yeah, we talked a lot about misinformation to Dave and ridicule, because I know that you started in the community and there was a lot of ridicule around it. Have you seen, like, what examples in entertainment um, that used ridicule that you thought maybe was creating misinformation within the entertainment industry? And then obviously that led to mainstream. Yeah. Oh, I, well, I mean, I think every, uh, I think from the, uh, I mean, when was, when was the decision made by the Pentagon to, to, uh, rid- begin publicly ridiculing and undermining, uh, the credibility of, of, of witnesses that was like early fifties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Back project blue book days. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. It was the, they went from the, they went from a stance of, all right, let's investigate this stuff to let's make it seem crazy and make everyone who talks about it seem crazy and condition the public to that. And so, um, so I'd say like going back from the earliest, you know, I mean, television, radio, uh, there was sort of the atmosphere was created that all of the people who believed in UFOs were, you know, the lunatics who hung out in the desert, uh, waiting for them to come down for, you know, to save us. Um, and, uh, and so they, uh, so comedy, uh, Especially in those days, there was very a, a strong uh, tendency towards uh, what I would used to call public domain comedy. Uh, you know, which is like you know every 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 comedy show would do a scene where I, a, a drunk guy sees something crazy and then takes the flask out of his pocket and goes, "Oh boy," you know. So everyone everyone would do the same joke, right? In those days, uh, I think we've we've evolved a little bit from that. We've made comedy a little harder now. Um, but at that time, 
Yeah, so you'd go for the low-hanging fruit, the easy laugh. So if, if there was a story about UFOs in the news, everyone in comedy would tell their jokes, you know, whether it was Bob Hope or later, whether it was Johnny Carson uh, or later Saturday Night Live. Uh, yeah. And it just all went on. That, that, that smart, intelligent people immediately mocked the story, immediately mocked any witnesses, derided them, uh, disparaged and, uh, and, and disposed of them uh, pretty quickly. Uh, are you hearing these alerts on my computer? No. Oh, no. Then I'll, then I'll ignore them. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I think uh, there was just, so comedians became um, an unwitting ally, I think, to the government in creating uh, the narrative that uh, all UFO uh, encounters are the, the product of deranged minds and, and, and forwarding the uh, stereotype of the, uh, yeah, you know of the of the the hick and his camper in the middle of the woods, you know, uh, with his bottle of moonshine, seeing a UFO, you know. Yeah. And and I got to say to to uh, to a certain extent, I mean that that social conditioning is one of the things that has amazed me most since I guess even since, particularly since the New York Times article, is the profound effect that the social conditioning has had on on the population that even now when you've got the pentagon coming out and saying yes they're real you know uh, no we don't know what they are um the response of the public is still largely <laughs> right that stuff's crazy i don't even want to talk about that crazy shit you know and just the going on with their day well whatever whatever freak you know and and I know, and this is from in, particularly from intelligent people who actually are. As I said, I have friends who who I know read the New York Times from cover to cover. Uh, but when I ask them about about the you know the, these uh, UFO revelations from the New York Times and the, the 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 three famous videos that came out along with it, people I know read the New York Times. We're going. What are you talking about? When was this? This was in the Times. I didn't see that. And you realize it's the social conditioning that. Literally, not only did they not read the articles, they didn't register that they had seen the articles because they're so conditioned to just block out anything to do with UFOs. And right. that, even that, if it's on the front page, yes, even if it's on the front page, and that, you know, there's no way they missed it, but yeah. they did. Smart yeah. people that I know, I could talk to them about everything else that was in that issue of the New York Times, you know. And uh, people that people that are, you know, friends of mine that are comedians that are extremely um, tied into the culture, um, just zero awareness of the fact that that the that the story had broken and that the Pentagon had confirmed it, and uh, that startled me. And I, I kept thinking, wow, it, it really is this a larger danger to be aware of. Which is how susceptible we are to having our, uh, I guess, our our field of view narrowed by social conditioning. Yeah, and through media and entertainment, I had the same thing too. I had a, a friend where I was visiting them in LA, and we were all chatting, and I said, "I'm like, yeah, we have like a you know UFO office, and you could watch their mind just like, poof, like just explode," and they're like, "What?" 
I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm like, I'm like, we haven't been catching up. Apparently, you don't watch any of our work, but that's fine. <laughs> like, yeah. Just seeing, him. No. you know, I have mentioned it a couple times on social, but whatever. Um, but no, it, and I could see her mind just expand, and she's like, I need to know more, and and it was great because yeah. I'm like, okay, well, great. Like I've opened up the, your mind and the door now to to learn a bit more. But for her, it was like, okay, now this is acceptable. So yeah, in, interesting to see her perspective, and then. And, that's and now the, what she'll probably teach her kids and everything else that are, that's going to happen in the years to come. Right. So, yeah, I know. And I mean, cause it's, cause it's, it's it is, I mean, I, I do keep coming up against this where, where you, you, you just talk to people. And you see, I used to have a friend in high school who joined a cult and the cult he was in, they was largely based on meditation and, but they had him conditioned that if you questioned any of the, the, the beliefs of his cult, that he would he would lapse into a trance. So you'd basically you'd ask him a question about his cult, and you'd be sitting on the bus talking and having a fine time. And then you'd ask him a question he didn't like, and you'd go, and he would just stay that way until you backed off. And and it, it struck is just unbelievable that you could condition someone to to respond that way to information that they don't like. Oh wow! And yeah. that's exactly the response I'm seeing from uh, the people I would consider to be my my peers in the world, uh, which which I would say are, you know, the the smart left wing intellectual sort of crowd that I I I, I wrongly believe I'm part of, um, and that 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 crowds when it comes to UFOs. Um, uh, are uh, are the same thing. As, as soon as you present them with these ideas, they don't want to hear. It's, you know, they go into the trance of just not he- listening, not hearing. You can see the eyes glaze over, and it's 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 chill. It's a chilling effect, and that we should none of us should ever think that we've escaped it. Uh, even if we've escaped it, maybe on this one subject, there are probably numerous other subjects in which we've been totally. Uh, shut down from thinking about uh, things. Obviously, religion's great at doing it, uh, at shutting down thought. Um, And politics, uh, adherence to any sort of political uh, party or or philosophy can do it as well. Um, But for us, I think it's the the most susceptible group in the world, I think, are are people who consider themselves to be intellectuals. Um, Mm. Uh, and I think you know, even I think it was as I said, like Noam Chomsky and manufacturing uh, consent uh, talked about how you know that you don't need conspiracies in the left. Uh, all you need to do is create an environment in which it's not acceptable to think about certain things. <laughs> and uh, and the left, the left wing intellectuals will adhere to those rules uh, absolutely. And you will not shake them off of those rules about what you are and are not to think about. Interesting. Yeah, you do, I think, tend to see a lot of uh, more right-leaning people uh, in this topic of UFOs. This uh, sense of (laughs) a distrust in the government um, and, and whatnot. And again, like, I'm not here to, you know, say what's right or what's wrong in terms of where people lay. Yeah, that's your job. Dave. Yeah, you're the one who's going to alienate our audience, not me. No, (laughs) no pun intended. Um, But yeah, you're right. I think, you know, as a, also a, and my viewers and listeners know this as a 
more left-leaning person, they, they always ask me, what, how is it dealing with a community who's mostly, a lot of them don't have the same beliefs as you. And I'm like, hey, look, if this one topic is the thing that I can like have a civil discourse with them about, um, so mm-hmm. be it. Maybe that'll open the door to other things, or maybe it'll make it worse. I, I yet to see any <laughs> results from that, but um, yeah. But I don't know. I don't know. It's such a profound but, topic. You would hope it could transcend all of that. You would hope. I hope so. It, it should. It's, it's certainly. Um, I think. Um, and again, and again, I think that's part of why the left dismisses it because they, you know, again, it's part of the cliche. The you know the crazy red rednecks and their you know and their prepper bunkers. Um, you know, so that, you know, it all gets lumped into one thing as opposed to, you know, maybe these people with their mistrust of the government at least left them open to hearing this information, you know, it may have closed them off from hearing a lot of other important information, you know, um, you know, like about vaccines and stuff, but at least it opened their, their minds to this, this bit of information, whereas the left that are by and large, uh, you know, our minds are closed to this subject, you know, and our, our heroes, our scientists are mostly close to it. It's changing now. It is changing. Um, was I just watched, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the, it was a podcast, uh, Eric, it was Eric Weinstein and uh, Hal Putoff were on a podcast oh, recently yes. with, with a, I guess, a guy who's sort of a, uh, I don't know if he's like a protege or student of Eric's. Uh, I don't know. But I forget the name of his podcast. It's pretty good, uh, but it's mostly it's mostly a, a podcast about science and mathematics. And but he's moved into the UFO discussion and dragged Eric Weinstein into it, uh, still kind of kicking and screaming. But it, but even er- Eric Weinstein is accepting the reality of UFOs now, uh, yeah. uh, and and he's still he's at a place where I think I was a little while ago where he's accepting reality of of UFO phenomena. Uh, but absolutely dismissing the, any possibility of uh, of like the abduction phenomena, uh, mm-hmm. which and I, I got to admit I I feel bad I actually dismissed that as well for a very long time, uh, and then it, which logically doesn't make any sense because if you accept that UFOs are here and that there's a strong possibility that they're extraterrestrial, it would seem kind of stupid if they weren't abducting us. Hmm. It's you know, you know it is it's hard it's hard day for someone who has spent half my life interviewing experiencers and claimed abductees, you know, I can't even pretend to be closer to an answer of whether these abductions are happening in the physical realm as we know it, or if they're happening at all. All I can do is, you know, continue to ask questions of these people and, and at least listen to them. You know, I think it's, it's everyone deserves to at least, be heard when it comes it, to these topics. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it yeah. just seems absurd to dismiss it once you've accepted other, like once you accept one premise, uh, the, 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 you know, and in fact, I remember Eric Weinstein in this podcast was all upset about the idea. He said, well, you know, we can't, just because we accept this doesn't mean we, have, we open the door to everything. You know, just because we accept that the UFOs, these ships are existing, doesn't mean we open the door to, you know, abductees. And it's good. Why doesn't it? <laughs> you know, once you've at least, yeah, keep yeah, the door ajar. Start, keep that door open. yeah, right, yeah, <laughs> uh, and you can start the conversation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You know, I yeah. think we're we're dealing with right now the mainstream now accepting UFOs exist, like just that yeah. 
question, yeah. you know, with the United States government saying, yeah, there's a physical phenomenon happening. We still don't know what it is, but um, yeah, it's real. We're going to, we want people to report it. We'll look into yeah. it. Um, it's a lot to ask them to then believe in abductions. And by that, I mean the mainstream public, yeah. but you know, yeah. maybe there will come a time where we get there. It's just not right now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's like this counterculture group that's growing. You know, there's apps now that if you're in that community, you can go and talk to people and share conversations. And the ridicule is not, it's still there for, I think, for, you know, adapt, adaptees and like contactees. But they're feel, they feel, I think, a little bit easier and lighthearted that they can come out and talk about it more freely. And so you're getting more of those people happening. So I think yeah. once we start figuring out what's going on here, we'll probably, we, there is no choice for that discussion not to happen, but it's probably going to take, I don't know, another five years, I would imagine. Yeah. I, I might be wrong, but I think it's going to take a little bit longer. And also yeah. science will have to catch up to that I too. Ho- I hope so for so. the base, just for the, for the, uh, out of empathy for the people who have had these experiences. Yeah. Uh, and and just the sheer volume of people who've had these experiences, uh, it yeah. just seems um, close-minded and condescending to just dismiss it all. You know, I mean, let's let's obviously probably most of the accounts are not true, and there's certainly a certain amount of of mental illness involved in the phenomena, but there's a certain amount of mental illness involved with everything. Um, right. so we don't dismiss, we don't dismiss everyone who believes something just because some of the people who believe it are crazy, you know, yeah. um, are, are, which cases, Dave, may I ask, uh, do you buy into when it comes to abductions? I get asked that a lot and, you know, I kind of always turn to the, the quintessentials, you know, the documented ones and whatnot, yeah, but yeah, again, yeah. I've spoken to hundreds of people, so I'm going to have yeah. a different answer. I, I which ones would you say? Uh, I mean, obviously, I think the Travis Walton one is is one of the most compelling. Mm. Uh, you know, you know, in terms of just you know the amount of well, the amount of documentation and corroboration, and the fact that he's stuck with this, he's stuck with the story all these years, and uh, you know, and I think the, the uh, Betty and Barney Hill is pretty compelling, yeah. um, and I also, you know, also uh, I friends who have had abduction experiences uh, and I believe them now and I didn't at first. Um, so it's, uh, but I, I would say, yeah, probably the two, the two big famous ones are probably the, you know, the ones I know the best. I've also, you know, I've also read, um, um, some of, uh, <laughs> David Jacobs books. Oh, right. A yes. Bit about Hawk and stuff. And of course, uh, ja- um, uh, Harvard psychiatrist, psychologist. Oh yes, uh, John Mack. John Mack. John Mack. Oh, John Mack. Oh, John yes. Mack. Yeah, right. Yeah, like, John Mack. Both went to Harvard. You were not far right. off. Right. It was Harvard. like yes. It's like <laughs> yeah, the teach at Harvard. <laughs> yeah, right. John Mack. And uh, and he he did a great documentary years ago about uh, uh, experiencers that was pretty kind of chilling and compelling. Um, yeah. He brought it into the mainstream too with Oprah yeah. and so many other people talked yeah. about it because of John Mack and for and him, he, you know, he, he almost, shed a lot of light on it. Yeah. yeah and he almost sacrificed he? his career for it. Yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. I know he, they tried to get rid of him. It's crazy. I know. I think yeah. it came to like a lawsuit at one point, but um, yeah. it's crazy yeah. to me to think too, like Mack was one of the first people on the ground at that Zimbabwe case. Back in yeah. um, 94, I believe it was. Oh, yeah. And the, now, yeah. like, who knows what 
kind of preserved evidence we would have had had he not gone there and like interviewed all these kids who had this yeah. crazy close encounter experience at their school. Um, we yeah. probably never would have really known about it had he not been there. And Cynthia Hines, the investigator who actually yeah. originally investigated that case, we really have her to think. But again, yeah. John was like, yo, I'm on a plane. I'm getting to Zimbabwe. I got to interview these people. Yes. Like That says something when a Harvard that- psychiatrist is worth willing yeah. to do that. And I'm trying to think, has that documentary come out yet? There was a, I know there was a documentary in the works. Not yet. With all I know, they're supposed to come out. Zimbabwe event, yeah. Yeah, I think it was supposed to come out this year or last year, but they've been holding yeah. on to it. Yeah, but I'm excited. They, uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, the footage that James Fox has in his documentaries from, from John Mack. Yes. And yeah. the Zimbabwe uh, kids is pretty, you know, pretty amazing. <laughs> James yep. is working on another documentary too that oh, has, a, yeah, he is, that has a similar, um, I'll just say appeal from what I've known and what I see on his Facebook that he's sharing. Um, but it's, I think that's going to be, I don't know when it's going to be released, but it's going to be exciting too. I think it has a very similar feel to the phenomenon, but yeah. more in depth and something similar to the aerial school event. So, yeah. And I would say yeah. for one thing, a documentary that I don't think a lot of people, um, there was the secret history of UFOs, which is a Canadian documentary. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting the name of the, the filmmaker because uh, I'm old. Uh, I've never watched um, that one. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, I find some people had trouble getting to watch it because they found like the, the the production style of it felt outdated. You know, whereas James Fox's <laughs> stuff seems modern. But you know, and but his was a very sort of casual, chatty, and he's a guy who used to do uh, uh, documentary work for uh, the Fifth Estate, which is Canada's 60 Minutes yeah. and the Nature of Things. So he was like a serious. Uh, uh, documentarian and journalist, and he did a, a, a basically a really solid overview of the whole modern history of UFOs. And but on, on top of that, he also on Amazon you can also find um, the addendums to it, which I think there's three addendums to it, and they're and they're all they're all at least two or three hours long, and it's just the raw interviews, you know, with people like Bud Hopkins and, and David Jacobs and. Uh, you know, and uh, all like all the people that are, that uh, they interviewed for the, for the movie. So That's I would cool. recommend watching the addendums. Just watching their raw interviews is pretty pretty amazing stuff. Well, you know, since we're talking about Canada, um, Chrissy yes. just had on our show uh, Vice contributor Daniel Otis, who just obtained over twenty years of Canadian government UFO files. Insane. Yeah. Like, of course, mm-hmm. you know, the story would break now in the middle of like another pretty crazy time in our history. Um, yep. This seems to be a running theme when it comes to breaking UFO stories, but um, this is pretty stunning. The Canadian government uh, gave him all of this, you know, he's been working on it for a really long time. So uh, that's mm. pretty cool. But, you know, Chrissy spoke to him, Dave, about this idea of, the reason he was able to obtain a lot of these files from the Canadian government is because a lot of it is not classified like it is here in the United States because they're not pinning this um, this threat potential to it, which will automatically increase the chances of something getting classified and and never released. So, you know, Daniel well, spoke in about Canada, that. In Canada, we don't worry so much about threat is, will they like us? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But, well, that's my question for you. Why do you think it is, you know, in Canada, there's this, um, you know, A, it's it hasn't been as big of a thing as it has been here in the United States. And B, um, is it because they don't take that threat 
a kind of narrative that we are getting more from the Canadian government than we would from the United States. Um, but we're yeah, the, but the weird thing is we're we're getting it now. Um, but for all these years, no one's bothered to ask. I guess is Good the point. weird thing about Canadians <laughs> is uh, it's just never like you know we're you know it's all these you know people in the you know the U.S. who are doing constant Freedom of Information uh, Act requests. Um, it never occurs to Canadians to ask, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, it's just, oh, don't, it, he'll think you, you're being rude. Don't ask the government something that, that might be secret. <laughs> um, so Canadians are, uh, you know, we tend, we tend, we tend to see not to, not to, to get as involved, I guess, in, in that sort of thing. Um, yeah. But definitely, but definitely, I don't think, yeah, we, we aren't a, th- a nation that thinks in terms of threats all the time, even though we live next to one of the most dangerous countries in the world. Yeah. And oh, I was just going to say, me? too. What? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, too, Daniel Otis tweeted today, and I brought it up. It says, today, uh, like, and this is movement, and it's probably because of Daniel's article that put some pressure along with what's happening in the States and the news media. But he wrote, today, Parliament member uh, Larry McGuire, MP, asked the government to prepare a written report on identified aerial phenomenon and uh, insecurity at Canadian nuclear facilities and to share the data with the new UAP program. So that's huge. Uh, Yeah, it's huge. And I tweeted, um, Daniel, I was like, that's probably because of you. Uh, You know, and like it. You know, yeah. you your article with Vice, and he's been doing yeah. a lot within the Canadian system, and I have a lot of respect yeah. for him as a journalist because he's he literally said he's like I just asked, and yeah, nobody's been asking, so he just asked the right questions at the right mm-hmm. time. He said, and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad you did, and like, and he's yeah. a really wonderful journalist. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, as I said, Canadians, we have a tendency to not. Um, we're only now uh, taking looks at a lot of the very dark parts of our history. Um, yeah. And yeah. 20 years ago, 30 years ago, that was unheard of. We didn't, you know, Canadians didn't really, um, you know, there was, we were too embedded in being lovely, nice Canada to, uh, to be very uh, self, uh, uh, I guess, uh, to, to examine ourselves very much. Um, but it's also a big transition for Vice as a publication, uh, <laughs> since they were pretty derisive of the New York Times article. And of mm-hmm. the UFO story in general for the last couple of years, uh, so it's nice that they're kind of, I guess, uh, changing their stance and actually looking at the looking at the evidence. I was just going to say too. I'm like, do you think that news media then is influencing politics? Because we're kind of seeing that. I'm going to say it, it's not 100 percent that Daniel Otis stuff is is, but it kind of makes sense. You know, he comes out with an article and then couple of days later or not even a week later this happens in canada so do you think that news media is, is affecting politics and it could be around the world or especially yeah. in the states i think it, i think it is it's it's gradual because the news media is is uh it, it does have tend to have such a herd mentality um yeah. so it's hard to get people to take on the story that nobody else is covering because there's just an assumption well if no one else is covering it, it mustn't really be a story um so, uh, so getting people to t- just sort of turn that ship around is, is slow, but definitely the media. It, I know I'm not, I don't live in Canada, so I don't see as much of it. But I'll some I'll see clips online of Canadian reports on UFOs, and they're uh, gradually 
one by one, they all seem to to be uh, not playing the uh, X Files theme anymore. Uh, and that's my real that's my real gauge of the uh, seriousness of the of the media is is when when finally we never hear the X Files theme again unless we're watching the X Files. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Because right. it's it's automatic. Because it is. It's almost like a. It's almost like the, you know the Manchurian Candidate, where there's the trigger word, uh, you know, to to set the Manchurian Candidate off. The uh, the X Files theme was the trigger to t- turn off everybody's brain whenever watching a story about UFOs. You know, yeah. no, this is silly. You know, <laughs> oh, sit here till it ends, though. <laughs> oh, it's over. By Frank Spotnitz or whatever his name was. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> Christy, um, I have some really good listener questions for Dave that we yeah. got. So Kevin <laughs> on Twitter asks. I already don't like ever this guy. Thought- yeah. Oh. <laughs> I already got a bad feeling about this fella. You, you, go on. Go on. Okay. Come on, Kevin. All right. Let's- I guess we'll read it. Yeah. Let's hear what you got. First, Kevin. Have you ever thought of doing a UFO ET abduction themed comedy similar to say something like uh, People of Earth on TBS, the show that unfortunately got canceled too soon? But yeah, have you ever thought uh, of doing anything like that? Yes, but then they made People of Earth, so I stopped thinking about it. And then People of Earth <laughs> failed, so now I can't sell it to anyone else. Uh, but yeah, no, it was a really good show. I liked it uh, a lot. And. Um, I would have I would have loved to have done a show like that. I would have loved to have been a guest on that show, uh, but apparently, me hinting about it didn't do any good. Um, <laughs> but no, it's it's hard. I mean, I would definitely like, to, you know, to do something um, on the theme. Yeah, I also also really interested in doing something uh, non comedy on the theme too. You know, right? You know, I'd, yeah, I would exactly. Love to- it would say a lot coming from. I think someone like you who's known a lot for comedy, but I've, of course, like any artist, like there's other sides to everyone. And I think, you know, this topic Mm. is starting to be taken more seriously. There was a short lived show, I think on ABC or CBS that was about um, like wreckage that fell to earth from a UFO craft. Yes. Yeah. Then it immediately got canceled after like six episodes. Oh, did I didn't even know it got canceled. I was watching it. It was pretty good. It was a pretty yeah. Show. What was it? Debris. There we Debris. go. I was trying yeah. to think of the name of it. Yeah. Um, um, well, it was an in- interesting in- take on sort of the material sciences. Yeah. Uh, avenue of the uh, UFO story. Yeah, I really um, wanted to see where it was going, but alas, yeah. hey, hey, bad. there's always Netflix or Amazon or Hulu <laughs> yeah. or endless streaming services it could go to. Um, well, here's another comedian who we love near and dear to our hearts here in the UFO community. Um, Dan Aykroyd. No, he did not ask this question. I wish. Oh, I wish. Wow. But <laughs> I, I've never you, talked to Dan about about UFOs. I would love to oh, sometime. That was my friend, the question. Oh, and have I question. talked to Dan Aykroyd? No, I have never yep. talked to Dan Aykroyd. Although one of my very good friends is uh, a man named Dave Thomas, who was uh, one of the stars of uh, SCTV, and uh, and who wrote the who wrote the a Dan Aykroyd movie called Spies Like Us, uh, and is a brilliant comedian. One of the, to me like one of the guys who inspired me. Uh, most as a as a uh, youngster, um, but I have talked to him about UFOs, and he's you know talked to me a bit about some of Dan's uh, you know uh, views on UFOs. And I've certainly seen Dan's public uh, work about UFOs uh, yeah. over the years, but I've never had a. I've, most of my conversations with Dan Aykroyd 
involve me trying to get him to remember that he's met me before. <laughs> uh, so that's, it never usually goes beyond that. It's always like, yeah. we have mutual friends, uh, Dan, we've met before. <laughs> and this is, oh, ah, sure, sure, right. sure, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, excellent, <laughs> excellent. Good work, good work, good work. Yeah. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. Have you tried my, what is it? Uh, like mm. crystal skull my vodka? Crystal skull vodka. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's an encyclopedia when it comes to UFO stories. I couldn't yeah. believe how many he knows. I remember yeah. watching his Joe Rogan interview and I like, what? Like, I never knew you knew so much about UFOs, Dan. Like, I knew he'd love the topic, but I didn't realize yeah. he could spit off at almost every story. Like, he just, yeah. and he, and I make sense. He's a storyteller. You know, he makes yeah. sense that he loves them because the UFO stories are really great or abduction stories are really great. Well, and, well, and, and I believe he's be. kind of, he's kind of a, a spectrum e genius uh, for, yeah. and, you know, he has the tunnels in whatever he takes an interest in, he tunnels in and learns everything. He's one of those guys who just has yeah. this in, intense focus on whatever he's doing at the moment. Right. And so you can see where, um, you know, that he would just just plow into it. And he, he's one of those guys, you know, would he just never care what anyone thinks about him about anything. So, uh, he, yeah. you know, he was so he was obviously way out ahead of uh, of, the, of the curve of, of popular of big figures in popular culture. Uh, oh, for sure. Talking about these things. Absolutely. What What about your your friends over at the kids in the hall, Dave? Like, do they know about your fascination with this topic? What do they What do they think about it? Have they ever they, brought they it up to you? Have you? I think they mostly politely ignore it. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, I think Scott Thompson's probably a little bit interested in it uh, more than than the other guys. Um, you know, you know, Kevin's more interested in soccer. Uh, you know, um, but yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't think, uh, yeah, I don't think any, any of those guys are particularly into the subject. Scott, a little bit. Um, but that's about it. I think that's fair. Eric, yeah. Eric on Facebook asks, what is your all time favorite sketch from kids in the hall? Nice. Uh, (laughs) That's that's hard. Uh, an all time, I would say I, I would, I would. I don't know if it's my favorite sketch, but it's a sketch that kind of sums up the whole attitude of the group. Is a sketch called "Comfortable," uh, which is a sketch about two couples having a polite dinner conversation, and after dinner, the one of the uh, one of the husbands gets up and starts uh, obviously trying to uh, seduce the uh, the other man's wife, and everyone just comfortably goes on and goes, "You know, surely you don't mind me doing this. You know, we're such good friends." and and then it, 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 it winds up with uh, Scott picking up my wife, played by Kevin, and having sex with her on the dining room table while I explain to his wife that, uh, you know, that uh, this is fine because I'm impotent anyway. So. It's a gaslighting sketch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I remember that one. Yeah. I remember that one fondly. Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's, Oof, I I guess, that's kind of a, to me a quint, almost a quintessential Kids in the Hall sketch. I'm not yeah. Sure if if you can make a... Um, if you can make an American blush and uncomfortable watching sketch comedy, then I think you've done your job, Dave. And I definitely yeah. was when I saw yeah. that one. And then, yeah, because oh. you also have the other layers of it being, oh, then that's really a, two men on the table back there, not a man and a woman. Right. <laughs> you know, so there's all layers. The, I mean, yeah, the kind of the, the gender blurring that we did back in those those early, those old shows was yeah. right. was uh, a big part of what I've what I've. I love about the kids in the hall was that we kind of just kind of, uh, kind of, uh, 
once you bought into the show itself, you kind of all notions of gender kind of just flew out the window. Gender and right. sexuality were all all just became a, an amorphous cloud. Yeah, I love it. I love that. I love that. Um, Dallas on Facebook says, you're one of my favorites, Dave, from Kids of the Hall and News Radio, all the way up through It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Uh, such a big fan. Super excited for this. Have you ever heard of things like the Big Phone Home? And have you ever considered the possibility of being a part of this kind of thing with your, you know, your celebrity status of um, trying to pressure either the U.S. or Canadian governments into um, taking this topic ser- seriously? Well, raising well, we awareness. Were, well, we were on the big phone home together, weren't we? The uh, the podcast, the live podcast, Luis's podcast. Was yeah. that the first time you were? Is that I think so with Jeremy. Uh, and Jeremy was on there, and oh um, yes, that was with UFO Jane. UFO Jane, yeah, UFO Jane. Yeah, oh, yeah. So I'm, I'm aware, definitely aware of it, um, and have, have had a little bit of involvement in it, but I'm not. I can't say that I'm deeply involved with it. That's fair. That is fair, my man. All right. Um, let's see here. Oh, Brian on Facebook asks, what are your thoughts on UAPs as technological devices, either known terrestrial devices, extraplanetary, or as Terrence McKenna referred to them as, other tenants in the building yet to be mm-hmm. revealed? What do you make of these UAP, Dave? What do you think they are? Um, well, I think... I think I, my main thing is I, I think we can't think of it as being one thing. Um, I, I think it's, it's unlikely that the, all the UAP are one thing or that there's one source for all of the UAP phenomena. Uh, I think some of it is nuts and bolts craft. Um, and I mean, I'm going to, first off, let's just like eliminate, like put out all of the misidentifications and, you know, and frauds. Mm-hmm. We'll ignore all that. The stuff that we can pretty much agree are are uh, interesting cases. Um, some of it's nuts and bolts craft. Uh, uh, some of it might be uh, some some form of uh, conscious entities in terms of like the spheres that people are seeing and the light spheres, and also just you know some of the uh, I think some of the abductee, abduction experiences might be um, less. Physical, I, although I do, th- I do think most of the abduction phenomena seems to be a very physical event that happens in real time to people in the real world where they actually do go missing. Um, so I think it is a real physical event. But but yeah, but maybe as you know, I guess Jacques Vallée has long said that this is may have more to do with consciousness than than uh, technology. Yeah. Um, but I tend to think that. Uh, at least a big component of it is technological. And I think, I think, uh, I mean, the press and I guess the main, mainstream society still keeps clinging to the idea that, that, well, you know, unidentified doesn't mean alien. Uh, and it's probably, you know, you hear all these people coming out with zero reason to say it, saying it's probably dark projects. And, um, and certainly some dark projects may lead to some misidentifications but uh, but i i take i take the us military at its word that these are not ours these craft that they're seeing uh, and they are not russian they are not chinese and also people also often will cling to the word drone they go well these are drones uh, mm-hmm. for anything, sometimes the military will say they seem to be drones but by that they mean unmanned 
uh, whether by aliens or humans, that the craft seemed to be often too small uh, to have, have anyone inside them. So they refer to those as drones, but that is not an explanation for what they are. Um, so people will go, well, uh, you know, I heard they said those triangles were, were drones. And yes, they did say that. But they also said, we don't know whose drones, where they're from. They don't function in the way that any drone that we know of can. Uh, but they believe they were drones simply because of what they perceived the size of them to be. Um, so, uh, so I'm, I'm rambling on, but, uh, so I think, so I think some of it is nuts and bolts and, and I, and, and the notion that any other country has this technology is ludicrous. Um, cause I think we're, we're seeing right now with the Ukraine, yeah. um, how limited we are and how we can respond to cha- the challenges of the world we live in. That, that basically if a, if a nuclear armed nation decides it's going to do something, we now kind of are looking at the fact of how impotent our, uh, you know, our traditional military equipment is in the face of a nuclear armed belligerent. Um, you know, and of course people can say the same about us, but, um, but here we're seeing the tragic outcome of, of not being able to fight, not having the tools to battle because we're afraid of, of unleashing nuclear weapons. And yeah. so as a result, we have, we're allowing a large country to invade a small country and uh, murder its citizens and, and flatten its cities. And we're, we can do nothing about it. So, um, if we had this technology, uh, this wouldn't be happening in the Ukraine right now. And if the Russians had this technology, uh, they wouldn't be invading the Ukraine right now because they would have already mm-hmm. taken over the whole world. Yeah. Same thing as if the Chinese had this technology. We don't, you know, we would, we would be living under... Uh, hegemony of either the uh, the Chinese or the Russians if they had this technology. And if we had this technology, everyone would be too afraid to move. Yeah, I, I'm aligned with that. You know, I, I agree. The stuff that's going on in Russia, or sorry, the stuff that's going on in Ukraine with Russia is a prime example of, you know, we know Russia doesn't have that tech, for sure. Um, you know, I'm still look at China. I, you know, I'm still... They have a lot of stuff that's coming out in their defense side with planes. You know, they have something that's similar to like an SR-72 or SR-71 that's been coming out. And I think just recently they released it. And the tech is something that I don't even think we have that, that we know. So things are happening on that side. But I agree with you. If they had it, they would be they would be ruling the world already by now. You know, everything there are, including- China's going that way economically. So, yeah. And everything, yeah. including uh, like all, all black projects that have become public throughout uh, the modern era. Uh, everything that's, that's gone from being top secret black money projects to publicly admitted has, has only been incremental increases in technology. Uh, nothing revolutionary has ever come out of a black project. Only slight incremental increases in abilities. You know, whether it's jets, you know, going from prop planes to jets, from jets to supersonic jets. Um, we're still looking at uh, a source of propulsion and lift surfaces and control surfaces. And 
essentially there's no difference. There's no fundamental difference between the best jets we're flying today and what the Wright brothers put up in the air. The physics are exactly the same. We're just yeah. better at we're just better at manipulating the physics than the Wright brothers were. Um, so so to think that we said that some that somehow there's a black project that absolutely uh, eliminates inertia and uh, and defies the apparently defies the laws of, of physics and uh, time and space. Um, and you have to assume that that's what the, the data is showing. Um, so if somebody had that, there would be no reason to spend all the money that we're spending on 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 pumping you know jet fuel out of the back of a of a glider, you know, which is all that all that everything is. Everything we have is basically just a you know a paper glider with a better engine. Um, well, let's let's wrap up the listener questions here, Dave, because we've got just a couple closing ones here. All right, for if you that. hate your listeners, um, that's your business. <laughs> Um, a let's see here. A I yeah. A I McSee asks through email, Dave. Why do you think these mother efforts keep casting you for your voice roles when your face is clearly the golden ticket? Well, <laughs> best question uh, ever. <laughs> I don't know. Well, first off, I don't share your fondness for my face, and I've never understood. I've never understood people's fondness for my voice. Uh, I, I've always, is a, like, like most people, I think I hate the sound of my own voice. And when I hear it recorded, I go, my God, why would anyone hire someone that sounds like that? Um, but, but I've, I've come to realize over the years that, uh, that apparently I have a distinctive voice and I learned years ago that it's a very, I'm almost impossible to impersonate. Oh, wow. Uh, which is interesting. Cause I remember Disney at one point tried to hire someone to impersonate me for, uh, for the, uh, the uh, Bugs Land uh, at, at uh, California Adventure. They tried to hire someone, and uh, my 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 friend John Lasseter, uh, the genius John Lasseter, heard this recording of somebody trying to sound like me. And went, "That's not Dave. What? What's what?" <laughs> and and uh, got very mad at them and insisted that they uh, they hire me to do it. Which makes sense. Yeah. Why don't you hire the original person? Yeah. I remember yeah, you telling yeah. me a story, Dave, about. Um, you doing an audition for it, and they were like, "They're like, you already got it," and you're like, "Or they like, something to the extent that you oh, were like, let's I, do this, I, yeah, I, yeah." <laughs> Can you I, tell the story I, better? It's your story. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was one of the things. Well, first of all, I got. I originally I was going to audition for the part of the stick insect that uh, David Hyde Pierce played, uh, but I got bumped the day of the, the auditions because Carol Burnett came in, and I, you know, they said, "Do you mind Carol Burnett's here?" And I said, "Of course, I'll." Yes, <laughs> Carol Burnett. She's yeah. she's she's yes yeah, she's royalty. Of course you take Carol Burnett before you take me. And so I had to go back to work at news radio. And then they felt guilty about bumping me because uh, that's the kind of people, uh, you know, the Pixar people are. And so they let me come in to read for uh, the the Flick character instead. And I think they were just doing it to be nice. Uh, but they liked what I was doing so much. So that as we were talking, they started reshaping the character and going, yeah, well, the way he's doing it, yeah, the character could do this and this and this based on based on what I was doing in the audition. And at one point I had to stop them and say, guys, you haven't hired me yet. <laughs> and, and, and they went, right, right. Yes. Well, we'll, we'll be getting back to you. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> you know so you landed it when they're yeah, when yeah. they're molding the character around you yeah. during yeah, an audition. That's yeah, a good sign. They were rewriting yeah. the script. I mean Insert Dave Foley's face now and yeah. voice. <laughs> and that's that's my whole my whole history of that company is that they just they, they don't function like other companies. They just they're just all about the art and all about just pursuing whatever ideas excite them. Which it's is beautiful. Um, you know, and it's good to hear. Yeah. The fact that they've made billions of dollars doing that is pretty remarkable. Yeah, yeah. it definitely says something. Um, well, Dave, hope. Hope for the future. We all need it right now in so many different yeah. ways, um, but especially with the UFO topic. Um, what do you hope for in 2022 when it comes to this topic of UFOs, UAP? We've come a long way in the past couple of years, but there's still a long way to go. Um, what do you hope? And what should I'm we hoping, focus on? I'm hoping we get to the point where uh, whatever whatever it is that uh, Lou Elizondo uh, clearly wants us to know he knows, but that he can't tell us, and that he keeps hinting at, I'm I'm hoping that 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 we get to the point where we can hear what those those facts are. And I've also heard like Hal put off intimate uh, that there's there's some really much. There's some really big stuff that we don't know yet that that is known. So I would love it if those knowns, because it's still going to be a mystery, I think. But I'd love to have those knowns, those unknown, those known, uh, those things that some that someone knows be something that we can all know. And um, and then on the negative side, I think we also have to look at Ukraine, and for the people who think that the uh, that the phenomenon is here to save us. Uh, you can look at the Ukraine and go, pretty clearly that's not something they're interested in doing. You know, because we're, you know, we're standing by and watching this because we have nuclear weapons and because they have nuclear weapons. Yep. And and because we're all addicted to oil. Um, and so those, those two things, our addiction to oil and our fear of nuclear war, are forcing all of us NATO allies to basically sit on our hands and, and, and wave a finger at Russia. And, uh, and the, uh, the aliens aren't going to, aren't going to stop it. History yet to be written. Well, I mean, on a brighter note, Dave, I, I, you know, hopefully there's things we can look forward to. Um, while, you know, there, there always should be, and we, we hope humans can be resilient enough to do such, but um, in terms of what you are doing, my man, you you are helping to legitimize a topic that has been delegitimized for a very long time. By and my um, people. I, by, by, by your by comedians. Load. Yeah, comedians, right. have, I know. comedians have done a huge amount of damage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but it's never too late to rebuild, and I think we're on our mm-hmm. way when it comes to this topic. And um, I got to ask before we go, when can we expect to see the kids in the hall and um, everything else you're up to, man. If you don't mind teasing. Well, well, the new kids in the hall season. Uh, this is how we're referring to it. Is season six of the kids in the hall. Uh, <laughs> it's going to start on Amazon in May. I don't know the exact date, but it's going to be sometime in May. Uh, there's also going to be a South by Southwest in a nice. Just I guess just in a matter of days now. Uh, we're going over, going to South by Southwest. Because they're going to premiere a two-part documentary uh, that's going to be on Amazon as well uh, called, I think it's called Kids in the Hall uh, Comedy Punks. Uh, nice. 
Yeah, although I like the original title better that Amazon wouldn't go for, which was The Kids in the Hall, Hard to Kill, uh, <laughs> which is a reference to one of our very early sketches where we had a line about a guy, easy to beat up, hard to kill. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, but it's, I think it's called Comedy Punks now, and uh, it's a two-part documentary on, uh, on the history of The Kids in the Hall. That's awesome. I'm looking forward to that. Me too. Me too. Um, awesome. Dave, well, for before we go, where, is there anywhere people can reach you to chat UFOs or, or just have a, have a good old conversation with you? I guess really just Twitter, I guess, really. I'm, you know, nice. I'm there a lot, you know. Uh, but uh, I'm trying to think if there's a, no, I guess there's nowhere else, really. Mostly Twitter. I'm on Instagram, but I, I rarely look at it. Um, and Facebook never, I, I only, I only have Facebook. So my Oculus works. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I know the feeling. Well, yeah, it's amazing how quickly Facebook has become a, uh, a relic now yeah. in the age of Twitter. Oh, and, and speaking of my Oculus, here's a little th- tip for people out there. And like the, uh, if you're out there in one of them sort of chat areas in virtual reality and you run into someone like me. Don't say you're old as shit. <laughs> uh, really? Yeah. You know, that's what you get. Oh, man, you're old. You're old as shit. And I go, rude. yeah, yeah. I said, well, I was pretty honest with my avatar. <laughs> you know, God I wasn't trying me. to hide it. I got my, my avatar's got gray hair. <laughs> so just you know, uh, have some manners. Kids VR can be people. so mean. I don't yeah, know. It's- well, we'll see you in the metaverse. That's where we're yes. going to see you next. Yeah. Yes. That's where we're <laughs> heading next, yeah. for yeah. sure. Yeah, we never awesome. get to touch on simulation theory. No, right. oh, we didn't go there. We'll have yeah. to have you back to talk about it. We've All You've right. been more than gracious with your time, my man. So well, once you. again, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Somewhere in the Skies today. Thank you. Thank you so much. And, I'm, and again, I continue to enjoy both your work separately. And it's really f- fun to see you guys working together. That's awesome. Thanks, Dave. Skies is produced by Third Kind Productions in association with the Entertainment One Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.